Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. And my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. This is the beginning of season four. Yeah. Very happy to be here. Woohoo! We already did the whole uh, audience applause bit last last week, but um, yeah. I, I guess it, it would make sense. That's to be so here season well. three. That's yeah, uh, <laughs> big season three energy. We said, "Get the fuck out!" to the live studio audience <laughs> at the start of season four. We're going more for a black box kind of theater vibe. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. We have one man show with two people. Uh, right. is, is the vibe here. You're handed you're handed a playbill that has nothing on it, and it's just a guy standing on stage looking down, playing the Game Boy Advance. Playing. <laughs> Playing the Game Boy Advance. Anyway, before we get further into this uh, Tom Stoppard esque bit, uh, do you want to maybe like reintroduce ourselves and talk a little bit about what the show is, just in case it's someone's first episode, or if they're checking it out like solely for the Game Boy Advance conversation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess just like starting with what the show is. Um, this is now the fourth season of Into the Aether as of this episode. Um, we always have billed it as a low key video game podcast, which I think has almost like stopped being uh, us telling the truth or aspiring to something and has more become a running joke. Um, right. It's the goal and whether or not we succeed is up to the moment. Yeah, I, but I do think it is worth like highlighting why that was the way we described it in the beginning which was essentially like a lot of video game podcasts that I was listening to for years and years um, and a lot of games media coverage is so dependent on like what's new, what's out like we have to talk about like the news, we have to talk about uh the latest game every week um and and i i think you and i just like didn't want to do that really uh we thought that there was room in the like ecosystem of video game podcasts for a show that was just about stuff that we really liked regardless of when it came out uh regardless of its relevance um <laughs> as evidenced by this episode as well um but yeah that, that was kind of always the idea was like we wanted to kind of carve out our own space in that we weren't beholden to the latest video game releases. We weren't beholden to talking about the news. Um, it's just whatever you and I are playing. Um, very specifically, I think it's worth mentioning, like we very, very much try to like not bring games to the table that we don't enjoy because like dunking on stuff isn't as fun as enjoying stuff. Yeah, I, I think we definitely like have critical conversations, but I think yeah. our rule is like like a standard episode we re- release every Wednesday and on, on a normal episode, we'll bring up games we're playing that we're enjoying and like even if it's not a game we love we'll like bring it to the table if there's at least a conversation to be had about like an element of it yeah or if there's like something going on that we want to highlight and like you said you know we we will go back and forward in time literally but also like in terms (laughs) of what's coming out and uh it's been interesting because i think before doing this show i was kind of more beholden to like older games and ironically doing this show has like kept me way more in touch with what's coming out even though we aren't beholden to the release schedule yeah. which is kind of funny and for me it's um, the opposite definitely yeah right because i i was very much on that track of like playing the newest thing the week it came out and like wanting to have those conversations about it every single week and and doing the show has allowed me to look backwards again as evidenced by this episode yeah exactly um and it's been cool i mean it's interesting to see like you know without like a conscious plan what things we tend to gravitate towards earlier this year we did a lot of stuff about dragon quest and like that's still very much like a series you and I love and we'll probably keep talking about. So it's nice to see like what things kind of anchor us, like what topics or games like sort of become like these points we can call back to or reference and like us 
seeking out new experiences to celebrate and to share with other people. But that really is it. If I had to sum up the show, it's like us trying to celebrate the medium and our time with it. And uh, that's yeah. also evidenced by this episode. Yeah. I do, so I do that's think it's the show, okay? <laughs> I do think it's worth mentioning. And uh, we've seen this a lot in, in uh, the Discord and the community and people who have reached out to us over the years as well. Um, I, I think you and I kind of set out to make a show that was like, you could go back and listen to episode one and it would be just as relevant as whatever the most recent episode is as well with the you know rare exception of like a, a Nintendo Direct-focused episode because you and I right. were just like bursting at the seams and needed to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but generally, you could go back and if there's a game that you're interested in and we talked about it that week like you could just hop into that episode and hop out and that'd be cool um i think i think that's kind of um that, that's one of the things i've really wanted is that every episode is accessible as somebody's first or last time <laughs> interacting with yeah. into the aether um <laughs> you know hopefully you stick around <laughs> Maybe you might, not. You might Maybe. choose the cats episode first but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you just want to hear about dragon's dogma in the two episodes we talked about it and that's it i get it that's it the dogma heads are out there <laughs> Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I would say that that's that's kind of what the show is. So if this is your first episode, thank you for downloading it. Thank you for listening to it. Uh, it's we usually don't do this at the top of every episode, but it's yeah. the beginning of a new season. So we thought it was probably worth doing. Yeah, totally. And also, you know, just to like, uh, I don't know, I think it's nice to like reflect on the last three years of doing the show and like what has changed and what do we want to do in the future? I mean, something I think that we added to our normal schedule is every month we'll do a bonus episode that's available to everyone and that usually will focus on one game or one idea so you know the weekly episodes are more of like kind of usually there are three sections but it's really every week is different and that's kind of more like it might be a first impressions or it might be it might be more in depth you know we've definitely had standard episodes that are like all about one thing if we're really excited yeah but for the past year and a half two years the bonuses have been our opportunity to like okay we really want to reserve time to like especially highlight this game Mm -hmm. and start Starting this season, we're starting to do patron-only episodes, which we're actually recording the first one at the time of this recording tomorrow, which will be fun. This is a big weekend for us. Yeah, we're recording a lot. (laughs) (laughs) In the patron episodes right now, the plan is to have them not be too related. We're going to strike that delicate balance of like, we want it to be content you want (laughs) to see from us, but it also won't be like just more of the show. It'll be different enough that basically we, we don't want anyone who can't back the Patreon to feel like they're not getting the full show, but we want people who are to get more and it'll be kind of an experimental place for us to like do new things. The first one's going to be like an E3 wrap up, which is probably the most standard those episodes will ever be if I could wager a guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, so I guess it's worth mentioning usually the uh, the markers for uh, our seasons were E3, like our very first episode that we released to the world was E3 2018, um, yeah. season two. Wow. was E3 2019. Uh, season three ended up being uh, an itch bundle for uh, racial justice because they didn't have E3 and it just seemed like a really great way to highlight a lot of incredible indie games for a really good cause in lieu of not having E3. Um, right. And that was really wonderful. And this year we set out to make a big splashy season four premiere, not knowing that E3 was going to come back. We were pretty sure that E3 like wasn't going to exist this year in any like meaningful capacity outside of maybe Jeff Keighley 
really summer game fest returning which like that's an all digital event i just assumed that that was going to happen but i didn't think that e3 or the esa would like get its act together so we had a lot of conversations about what we could do to kick off season four in a cool way that felt as big as the stuff that we've done in the past um and landed on i don't know i don't really know how we landed on it but we landed on what if you and I played pretty much every Game Boy Advance game of note, like almost all of them, and essentially structure it like a Game of the Year episode where we will come to the table with a top 10 individually and then try and boil it down to a top five for Into the Aether. So that's essentially the plan for this episode is to take the, uh, I don't know, I played 70 plus Game Boy Advance games over the past six months, boil them down to a top 10 individually, and then uh, try and try and alchemize those into a top five. (laughs) Yeah, I I also want to say off the top too, like I'm so excited to do this and we'll talk more about how we prepared for the episode as well. Um, But please, as always, like always share your feedback but let us know how you enjoy this one because I, I think that there is a reality in which our new season marker is like a different system every time yeah i could see that you know i don't know if that's going to be like forever maybe it's something we do like every other year um yeah. but i really enjoy doing this and i would love to choose like another like kind of underdog system like this yeah, to the kind of highlight yeah right <laughs> the uh, the 3do is next <laughs> gex 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 is my top 10 yeah i think the ouya would only be towerfall right Right. Did any other games come out for that? I don't even know. Anyway, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, yeah. So basically, do you want to talk a bit about how we prepared for this uh, episode? Sure. I'm interested in how you prepared because yeah, mine mine is real all over the place. I'm wondering if you had a more like structured way of doing this. Now that you bring it up, I actually don't remember the moment we decided on this. It really feels like we were vessels of some weird cosmic yeah. event. All, you know? all we know is that it happened in January. You and I had this conversation <laughs> in January and then landed on doing this. And then it kind of opened the door for a lot of things. I think some people in the Discord were able to like catch on that this is what we were secretly doing in the background because we right. we did a bunch of episodes about uh, we did like a Pokemon Emerald episode. You did your Pokemon Emerald Nuzlocke on right. our Twitch. Um, we did a, a bonus about Mother Three. I think you brought up Metroid Fusion at one point in one episode. So like we we've been like alluding to the Game Boy Advance stuff over you know a pretty extended period of time. It's come up, and there's also been discussion about the system itself in the Discord. A lot of people like got new ones and were like showing off pictures of their cartridges so yeah. like we were really worried it was gonna be spoiled or not even spoiled but like we're like is it too obvious like are we hyping this up for for nothing yeah i think the evidence was there but i don't know if anyone knew for sure it was happening but regardless this has been in the works for roughly six months um i had two major steps for my plan here so one was research and one was like actually playing the games Mm -hmm. the research phase was pretty generic i you and i basically like looked up a lot of different lists of like okay what are considered like the best game boy advance games what are considered the most overlooked game boy advance games read a lot of old like listicles and thought pieces about the game boy advance yeah man and basically wrote down every title of interest you know like uh and then also i even just scrolled down metacritic and like anything that got above a 70 that looked cool i would write down the name of (laughs) so altogether i would say that ended up for me being like 45 ish games Mm -hmm. and it's worth noting too brendan and i both work full-time we're playing other stuff for the show 
not to mention our, you know, personal lives and other creative endeavors. So like it was not realistic for us to sit down and like finish all of these games. Yeah. But at the same time, I wanted to give enough time to each of them to like really in good faith say what I feel about them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think you need to like beat everything, but I think it's okay. Like if it's an RPG, for example, I can't go off the first hour. I know every RPG's first hour is like mom leaving or something. So I need to like, you know, find mom later or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's the call to adventure that I need to experience. So basically what I did was like for RPGs, I specifically would give them at least like three hours mm-hmm. or maybe even more. Uh, in this case, more for all of the RPGs. Every other game, I would give like an hour or two. And if I wanted to play more, I would do like a gut check. Like, do I want to play more of this? I would write it down in, in another list. And yeah. basically the list I had ended up being 45 games. And so for the last six months, I've been like trying to give all those games like a fair shake and yeah. see which would result in a top 10 which was basically impossible and i also want to <laughs> set the mood here real quick inherently all this stuff is subjective and like you know we're we're really focusing on like which games did brendan and i in the year 2021 enjoy playing the most now yeah you know we're not going to be really consider. i mean we'll talk about it if it comes up but we're not going to be like what are the landmark titles that like did x y and z for the medium because that would be a very different list i think And that's a common conversation, you know, where it's like, how do you talk about games impact versus how much fun it is to play now? You know, so I think there's a way to honor that. But, you know, I think what we wanted to do with these lists is like, if we were to say, hey, check out the Game Boy Advance, which you should, here are the games that I enjoyed that if you have similar tastes, you might like as well. Like, that's what these lists are, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's been a really fun, but very involved process. I've definitely given this probably more time and energy than even our game of the year episodes, just because the game of the year episodes tend to happen naturally over the course of doing the show. Yeah, like, totally. We will be playing games throughout that year. And what I'll do for the game of the year episodes is like, I will sit down and replay. I'll do a similar thing throughout that year where every game that came out the year that I enjoyed, I'll write down. And then once it's like September, I'll start looking at that list a bit more critically and be like, okay, what do I want to replay? Yeah. And that's how I'll shape it up. Still a lot of thought and effort. I think I just think this required more because we're doing this on top of everything else. And like, yeah, it's a bit more daunting to be like, here are my favorites of an entire generation and system versus just a year. Uh, So it, it, it was a lot, but it was really fun to do. And I think I can speak on both of our behalves here in saying that, like, this is an incredible system. Like, I already had a high opinion of the Game Boy Advance. We've talked to you about how it's kind of this, like, almost forgotten era of Nintendo. It's like the least preserved by Nintendo. Emulating scene is great. Very preserved there. Yeah. But by Nintendo, there's almost no way to get any of these games. Up until, like, literally last week, where they, <laughs> like, cosmically announced a Advance Wars remake and like there's suddenly all this talk about it which is very yeah, weird there's a sequel to metroid fusion coming out for switch <laughs> this year I mean, it was like unbelievable yeah. how many game boy advance adjacent things got announced in the e3 nintendo direct this year really weird really weird we often joke that the things we say on this podcast become real uh and that that was yeah, we the secret things that was yeah that was like past the point of it being like a funny goof and being like this is actually kind of strange because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cool time i mean i think if i had to classify like what is it about the game boy advance 
um, that like strikes me so positively. And I think like when you look at the history of the Nintendo handhelds, this is really the first system that went out of its way to be like, this is its own console. It's not just the handheld like sidekick of the main console, Mm -hmm. you know, like Game Boy Color had a lot of cool stuff and you could tell like from the original Game Boy to Game Boy Color, they were like really like utilizing the hardware more and like going a little bit farther with the games to like have them be utilizing what it means to be a handheld game for a more purposeful experience. I think like Pokemon Crystal and Wario Land 3 are great examples of a game that like really took every piece of the Game Boy Color to make it like, here's what this system can do that like yeah. wouldn't actually be as fun on this, the N64. But the Game Boy Advance, like I think there's such a flex in that there are so many ports of Super Nintendo games that are like mostly on par with those games on Super Nintendo. You yeah, know, there's and in like, some instances instances like have become the definitive versions of those right. games as well yeah you have that and then you also have exclusives that are just like okay we're just going to do our own thing with the system and it really was just a really cool era it was definitely an experimental era for nintendo both this and the gamecube were like they're kind of weird phase where they're like okay we've had the success of the super nintendo kind of like cementing what our ips are and how those ips should play and look mm-hmm. and then the n64 was like a leap into 3d and so what do we do now and just like nicer 3d (laughs) so you know you had stuff like pikmin and animal crossing and luigi's mansion you know and uh, a lot of really great third-party support on the gamecube and with the game boy advance which i would say is i would have to like do another dive into the gamecube library but i would say like of this generation the game boy advance is stronger because you have like both nintendo sort of like honoring what led them to where they are now by like porting all these old classics that like you know when i was i was like a when the Game Boy Advance came out and I was like a little too young to play a lot of the big Super Nintendo games. I played like Super Mario World but I hadn't played like Link to the Past or you know a lot of these other classics and it was really cool to get to experience those for the first time on a handheld console not to mention all the exclusives that we keep uh, mentioning you know that we'll get more into later but um, I'm just blown away by the system. I also think aesthetically it has aged so well uh, and I'm really impressed by like how a lot of these games that i played will utilize like it's it's this really delicate balance of the limitations of the hardware but they're able to do more than they had before so like you could really tell a lot of games are like pushing the limits of the hardware to like have cinematic events and like Mm -hmm. you know just use color in a way that like really makes things stand out um it's a really really great console and i wish there was an easier way to get it but uh i i had an incredible time revisiting this library yeah i do I do want to mention on that front, just in terms of like some of these games pushing the hardware to its limits. Um, I, I spent a lot of time emulating a lot of stuff in preparation for this episode. Um, I, I've spoken a lot on the show about the Ambernick devices. Ambernick is a company that makes these like handheld emulation devices that play, you know, the beginning of video games all the way up to essentially the Dreamcast era uh, and, and the PS1, like pretty well for the most part. Um, and those devices are like great and I highly recommend them. They're really wonderful. But there are some games that they also have a hard time running like these 
devices that can run Dreamcast games have issues running some Game Boy Advance games. Uh, Mario Golf Advance Tour is one example yeah. where like <laughs> didn't run super well on the emulation devices. And I actually had to play it on the original Game Boy Advance hardware to get it to run well. Final Fantasy VI was another situation like that, which I think it is worth mentioning because we haven't yet. In most instances, ports of games from the Super Nintendo, I think we kind of like disqualified for this list. Um, you know, game games that are like available on a whole bunch of consoles uh, and also the Game Boy Advance like didn't really uh, count to, for this list specifically unless they really brought something like new and special to the table. You know, th- and that, that yeah. was kind of the big delineation for us was um, I think like a great example is like uh, uh, Metroid Zero Mission, for example, is like a game that is a remake of the original Metroid, but also, you know, redid all the sprites, rebuilt the, the game from the ground up, includes the original game in there as well if you want to play it in its like original form. But in in this version also had like big cinematic cutscenes and a bunch of added stuff. Uh, they streamlined the way the game worked in a lot of really interesting ways. And it's like essentially a new game at that point. Right. Um, and, and those games counted in, in, in our preparation for this list. But anyway, Final Fantasy VI, notoriously hard game to emulate for the Game Boy Advance. And like that was a game that I needed to play on the original hardware, which was kind of an interesting thing. There are some games that I could only emulate via the computer, uh, for example, because I needed to use like there's a game called Boktai that I'll talk about later. Like I needed to use a solar sensor and like manually enter in how sunny it was outside while I was playing that game, for example, because there are a bunch of games where the cartridges had like added stuff to it. They like added like a, a rumble pack to the cartridge um, and or they added uh, like a gyroscope to the cartridge. And that stuff is like hard to emulate. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of this weird situation where because this library has gone kind of ignored by Nintendo for so long, people have come up with really creative ways of preserving that. Uh, and and it works better in some instances than others, but in a lot of instances, there is a way to play every Game Boy Advance game like in your house right now. Um, and if Nintendo was more open to like backing up their own catalog and allowing this stuff to be played more openly and like selling it on the Switch eShop and stuff, I think you and I would be sitting here speaking into the microphone saying like, please support that because game preservation oh, yeah. is so fucking important. Um, and the fact that they're ignoring, you know, like some critical years of their own history is like really a bummer until recently, yeah. you know, and even like Advance Wars <laughs> one plus two reboot camp coming soon for the Nintendo Switch is not the original Advance Wars one and two, which like right. might be what some people prefer. So I, I just think it's worth mentioning, like until Nintendo kind of takes preserving their own catalog seriously like go play this stuff however you need to because yeah. it's it's so wonderful to experience what you and i have experienced over the past six months it like i i've been like bursting at the seams to record this episode for so Me long too. because i've just been having like the most wonderful time uh yeah. doing it and I, I think it's worth mentioning uh one of the big one of the big things about uh this episode was that uh one one of our uh listeners and and friend of the show kyle Starr, went and built for you and i and aj some custom into the aether like modded game boy advances uh the the like original kind of uh handheld or i guess um horizontal uh game boy advances and and that is like such a wild and cool way to play this library specifically uh, yeah just like replacing the screen with like a backlit modded like high def quote-unquote screen is just like an amazing way to interact with this library and i think at a certain point you and i realized like this is so cool that we like want other people to experience this uh, yes. which leads us to i think you know we're burying this 30 minutes into this recording but <laughs> i think leads us to one of the 
the big things that we wanted to do for the launch of season four, which is we wanted to give these away as well. So we commissioned Kyle to build three more Game Boy Advances uh, that are like into the Aether themed. And we want to give them away to you, dear listeners. So our our methodology for this is we're not going to limit it to the US or anything. Wherever you live is cool. Uh, we'll cover the shipping and whatever. All you have to do is tweet at us. What, what should they tweet at us, Stephen? I feel like you're the one who usually comes up with this. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something Game Boy Advance specific. Was there a line of dialogue in any game you played that really stuck out to you? Yeah, I'm sure I have about a hundred <laughs> screenshots of things. Let me just. Oh, I got one. You got one? Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. If you tweet at us into the aether or Brendan and myself a picture of Trico, the grass starter Pokemon from the third generation of Pokemon games. Uh, we will add your name to a list of candidates who will win one of these Game Boy Advances. So basically, fr- between now, the Wednesday this comes out, and next week, uh, anyone who does that will randomly choose three people from that list to get the Game Boys, and then we'll reach out to you and work out the shipping and everything. Um, but that will be random. It won't be a first-come, 1st first serve thing. So please find your favorite image of Trico and send it to us as soon as possible. Thank you. Yeah, very, very excited to give these away. Uh, and thank you so much to Kyle for putting these together. They are yes. amazing. Yeah. It's just a really, really, really cool way to be playing this stuff. I also want to recommend to those of you who win, pick up an Easy Flash and an SD card, a micro SD card, uh, and you can load on just like hundreds of games uh, onto that and play them all on the original hardware and it rules yeah. very cool way of playing that i'll say this i've played so i would say like of the 45 games i played more specifically for this episode i played most of them on the kyle game boy um the kyle boy the game kyle <laughs> the game kyle <laughs> the game kyle advance <laughs> You can tweet at us a picture of Trico or the game Kyle Advance and, and you will qualify. <laughs> but basically, uh, I would say like about half of the games I had on cartridge. I saved a lot of my old cartridges and I actually bought a lot of new ones too. But half was emulated, half was uh, on cartridge. But yeah, the best of both worlds is to have that SD card and just, you know, play anything you want on yeah. the Kyle boy, on the <laughs> Kyle Advance. <laughs> the Game Boy Kyle. The Game Boy Kyle. That sounds the best. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's really interesting. Look, I, I really like the Embernic devices and I'm going to continue playing them and I am continuing to play them uh, constantly. I think they're really wonderful. I have the RG351P and the 351V, which is like kind of a horizontal Game Boy Advance style one is a 351P and then the 351V is like the original Game Boy Pocket kind of vibe. Uh, so it's more like a vertical handheld and both of them are really wonderful. Um, and with the exception of the few games that I just mentioned, most of them run perfectly well uh, and you can play up to you know dreamcast and ps1 and stuff uh so highly recommend picking those up also on the side uh i I just think that they're really wonderful devices but yeah i guess just like to to breeze past how i prepped for this episode very similar to you looked up a billion lists crawling through uh game facts forums from like the early (laughs) 2000s which is like (laughs) what a good place to be (laughs) yeah i mean horrifying to revisit that era of the internet um but honestly found some really interesting stuff in there on like one of the wilder ones just you know, my, my day job involves me being on YouTube a lot. So like YouTube is just a big part of my life. Uh, and it was really interesting, specifically going back in time in like early like video game.
same YouTube channel kind of like lore uh, and, and just like seeing these people who were like titans of like video game commentary on YouTube in like the early to mid 2000s, um, you know, like er- real early YouTube era um, and seeing what they had to say about the Game Boy Advance, like right after its prime, essentially, you know, looking back on a thing that was like still recent at that point. Really, really fascinating. I spent a lot of time watching a lot of like very, very, very old YouTube videos um, and essentially put together a list of like, I would say around 100 games. And I was like, I'm just going to try and play through as many of these as I can. Um, and in some instances found stuff that like I would load up and within like two minutes, you know, it's not the one, uh, you know, so it's just like, OK, just throw it out uh, and, and ended up playing like somewhere in the realm of like the, the high 70s, like o- almost 80 video games. I, I think, you know, enough to have like an actual critical opinion on them uh, and then yeah. boiled it down to um, as I always do for my game of the year list as well, a top 20 because I, I have a hard time like making a top 10. I need I need a little bit more context. Um, so I, I have a top 20 and then a couple honorable mentions. But uh, yeah, it's it's been very interesting. I think specifically because I also grew up playing the Game Boy Advance. Um, I, I got one the day it came out. I remember like going to Toys R Us and getting one the day it came out. Um, I, I got uh, F-Zero Maximum Velocity, which was a launch title, I think. I, I just remember that very vividly being, I think, my first Game Boy Advance game. And just having like an extremely mediocre time with that game specifically and thinking like <laughs> well at least this plays Game Boy Color games and like going back and playing more Pokemon Silver instead uh, and it took a long time for me to like eventually get the games that like really solidified this as like a, a, a touch point in my life for video games um, growing up and and I think just like you the biggest ones for me were like the port you know the Super Mario Advance ports of everything from the NES and Super Nintendo um, which again like don't really qualify for this list but I do think revisiting some of the stuff that I had like a really strong emotional attachment to growing up was one of the more fascinating aspects of this entire experience was like how much of my love of this thing is literally just nostalgia and how much of this is actual quality and we'll get more into it as the episode goes on but I've I've had a very interesting time I, I, I think like reshaping some of those notions and then also finding that some of them were spot on like I was so as a yeah. nine year old I was fucking like dart right in the middle of the dartboard <laughs> like this is actually one of the best games on the Game Boy Advance I've been right for years so I, I can't wait to talk about that I, I felt both feelings yeah, yeah me too I'm so excited I think also like I, I just got this image of uh, the like Game Boy color games sticking out of the horizontal yeah. Game Boy Advance there was also the SP I do have an SP as well yeah, so, so jealous. before I got the Kyle 2 64 I also <laughs> was playing on the SP which is great if you can find one, the SP, it's a little small. If you're a 31-year-old man, the <laughs> Game Boy Advance SP is a little small, but it's such a like actually portable system mm-hmm. that like it's it's great on the go. And, and this is actually, the Game Boy Advance is the first time I really utilized it being portable. I, I said before we started recording that I associate the system with summer, which is nice that we're recording it at the start of summer. Mm. You know, cosmic connections, <laughs> astrology. But I remember like 11-year-old Steven going to summer camp like ready like cargo short pockets full of like cartridges and batteries and guides <laughs> and batteries i you should have been friends with me because i had everything i was ready and that was actually like a big part i mean I, i'm making fun of my child self but like i have very fond memories of like someone looking over my shoulder and like seeing what i'm playing and then lending them that game for like a weekend mm. you know like i remember i had a friend uh mike if you're listening mike how's it going uh but he 
borrowed Aria of Sorrow from me like over the weekend and was like obsessed with it. It, it was the first time I really had that like uh, shared experience, which was really nice. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've had the same other than like doing this show and inadvertently indirectly doing that to people listening, <laughs> you know, <laughs> making commission off three houses sales. I, uh, I, I miss that, you know, yeah. and I wish it was easier. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, I love this system. I think like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where it exactly ranks for me, but I think it's definitely amongst Nintendo's best. They've always done handheld so well. And like, I think the Switch is sort of the accumulation of that in a way where they're like, why don't we have the handheld teams like work with the main console and have it be all in one place? Yeah. And I think the Game Boy Advance is really like the very beginning of Nintendo taking their handhelds as seriously as the consoles. Yeah. I think evidenced by, as you mentioned, the GameCube was was the main uh, TV console at the time for Nintendo. And, and there was an add-on for the GameCube called the Game Boy Player that you could plug right. into the bottom of the GameCube that would allow you to play Game Boy games and Game Boy Advance games on the GameCube as well, which is just like an extremely cool thing to do. And then they went up that even by adding a link cable that went into the controller slot and then on the other end would connect to your Game Boy Advance that would allow some games to interact with one another. I think the, the one that everybody always points to is uh, A Link to the Past plus Four Swords Adventures, uh, yeah. which was a, a game for the, uh, it was like a full ass Zelda game, top down Zelda game for the GameCube, uh, where if you had A Link to the Past plus Four Swords Adventures on your Game Boy Advance, uh, you would get like access to a bunch of these side dungeons you could play with your friends and just a very cool thing. Um, and, and Nintendo's always been really, I, th- I think, interested in the interaction between handheld and, and TV console. You know, nowhere is that more evident than the Nintendo Switch just existing. <laughs> right. Um, but, but I do think this was like the big one for them, I think kind of unlocking that like, you know, uh, mega brain understanding of of the the synergy between their handheld and TV divisions. I think there was, all, I, it might have been Wind Waker, but there was definitely one Zelda game where like, you could give the Game Boy Advance to someone and they would play as Tingle, like dropping stuff. I can't, maybe it was a dream I had, but it's like I remember reading Nintendo Power and it's like, if your dad is bored, he can play as Tingle I guess, and <laughs> of your Game Boy Advance. But yeah, because re- there wasn't as much stuff going on with the DS and the Wii. They were like in separate worlds. And honestly, like the DS, I think in retrospect, way stronger library than the Wii. Yeah, kind of weird because the Wii being one of the best selling consoles like of all time, yeah. the DS library is like much stronger. Yeah, Wii is still solid, but I think it like really is concentrated in those like early years and then they just sort of like, you know, rode off the like coasted, of it. Yeah. yeah, and then the Wii all U All the happened. way through the Wii U era. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, I can't wait to get into this. Do you want to maybe take a small break and then we'll uh, get into... We're going to start with honorable mentions and then get into our lists. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm very excited. So just a reminder, tweet at Into the Cast or either of us a picture of Trico or any combination of Kyle on Game Boy Advance and your name will be... <laughs> any portmanteau you can think of. <laughs> yeah, and your name will be added to a list and then three lucky people will get the really... I can't overhype this in because it's such a cool thing to have a classic looking Game Boy Advance with the backlit screen is so cool. And, and the colors he's chosen, they're all different. I'm really excited to share that with all of you. And Kyle, thanks again for letting us commission you for this. Um, yeah. So all that to say, let's take a break. We'll be back with more Game Boy Advance. So exciting. I'm so excited. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hello and welcome back to the podcast Into the Aether Season 4, the premiere <laughs> The premiere. We, I think we wanted to start by just talking about some honorable mentions, some games that like didn't make our list, but um, are at least worth highlighting, you know, f- for one reason or another. Uh, specifically, I'll, I'll just say off the bat, 
some of the games that like didn't count for our list, I think are worth calling out anyway, because my thought process when putting the list together was essentially like, what am I enjoying currently? You know, games that like push the hardware are cool, but that doesn't mean they're good. You know, like the right. Attack of the Clones <laughs> video game is mostly in 3D and that doesn't make it a good video game. You know, uh, point taken. I guess I'll revise my list. Thanks. <laughs> um, but, no but Count that, Dooku here in season four, I guess. <laughs> but that said, like, there's so much stuff that was ported yeah. over that, like, I think is just really wonderful. And as you and I have both already mentioned, was our entryway into a lot of games that we hadn't played. I think the Mario Advance games for me are like the reason I became a fan of Mario platformers in general. It's yeah. weird in retrospect, checking them out again, which like I played them again for this episode, even though they didn't count because I was like, I just want to experience this again. It's interesting playing them in retrospect because the aspect ratio is all wrong and there's like stuff that like should be on the screen that's not. And they just like <laughs> had a weird time, I think, like fitting those games that were in a four by three aspect ratio onto a three by two screen. Um, but that said, I mean, they were still a gateway for a lot of people, including me. You know, Super Mario World is still like one of the best platformers ever made. Uh, yeah. And and the fact that it works on a Game Boy Advance like rules. And I'm so glad that so many people had the ability to play that on that handheld. What is nice, too, is that a lot of these games, specifically the Mario ones that reported are on the like SNES library on Switch. If you have Nintendo online. Yes. So like that was another reason why I'm like, OK, like on this topic, while we're here, one of my honorable mentions was. Yoshi's Island Super Mario Advance 3. Yeah. Just because like at the end of the day, it's probably better to play the Super Nintendo version on your Switch because like you get the full sound it and, yeah. and the aspect ratio. But like, my God, is it still so impressive to see this game on a Game Boy Advance screen? Like, because <laughs> yeah. this, this is one of the most beautiful games of this like generation, you know, for the Super Nintendo, the use of color and the animations and the music, like everything about this game, it, it's easily one of my favorite Mario games. I guess Yoshi technically but yeah. you know it's got Mario Advance in the title so <laughs> and I think it was originally Super Mario World 2 sort of the weird experimental I love Nintendo's weird experimental follow-ups to the hit yeah because they either are like incredible or terrible right but like there's something interesting happening totally you know yeah. whether it's like Castlevania 2 or Yoshi's Island like either way there's like cool ideas at play yeah absolutely so that, that was one of my honorable mentions I think I you're think right though I mean like knowing that the Nintendo Switch versions are are available if you have Nintendo Online right now. Like that is absolutely the way to play Super Mario World right now. For example, yeah. you know, compared to the Game Boy Advance version, like it's cool right. that it runs and it's cool that it ran at the time. But like at the moment, if you wanted to play that game, like this is not the way to do it. Right. If we were doing this episode at the time the Game Boy Advance was like out and it was the new system, I think Yoshi's Island would be on here. Yeah. It's like you're telling me I could put Yoshi's whole island in my <laughs> pocket at summer camp. Yeah, dude. And on the backlit Kyle Advance screen, it's amazing. <laughs> Kyle, I'm sorry we've made a brand out of your name, uh, but, you know, they are your Game Boys. Okay, so that was one of them. Also worth noting, we're, we're doing a bonus about Link to the Past at the end of the month, and I think we'll both be playing the Game Boy Advance version. Yeah, I've been playing the Game Boy Advance version. I've actually, I've played about three hours of the Nintendo Online uh, Switch version just to, like, see how it runs and what it's like to have the, uh, like, save states and loads and whatever, but I'm, I'm playing the Game Boy Advance version specifically for the bonus episode. Yeah, I've heard both are good. There's some, like, small differences differences i think in the game boy advance version link like yells like he does in the n64 yeah. ones stuff like that i think there's some also there's some 
extra content, like even on top of the Four Swords stuff, there's like extra stuff, I think, in the game. So yeah, there is. I think we'll probably speak lightly to both versions, but we'll choose one to do for the episode. But anyway, yeah. enough about the future. What's happening right now? In 2003. Um, in 2003. Uh, do you want to go into the rest of our honorable mentions here? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just did one. What's yours? My next one is on the topic of Mario. This one. So now that we've covered ports, the rest of these are like, these were so close. These are like the ones that like, if, if you gave me another two weeks, maybe would have been cycled on depending on what I played recently. You know, like, yeah, again, I, I, I want to mention I have a top 20. I'm not going to go through the top 20, but like, I'm wondering if some of the ones you're about to mention are in my like top 10 or top 20. And yeah. that's, I think that's a thing I wanted to mention towards the top of the episode, but I'll, I'll mention now just cause better late than never. I, this is the first time ever in doing this show where I literally have no fucking idea what your list is going to be. <laughs> I think I, so just, I guess to catch people up who maybe don't listen to the goatee episodes that we do or like this is your first episode or whatever but the way that we usually do it is steven and i both come with a top 10 and then we boil it down to the into the eighth or top five that's how we've done goatee for the past three years um and that's how we're planning on doing today's episode and i am so curious what's going to happen with that top five because i think our lists are going to be wildly different and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the game boy advance library has like literally literally thousands of games in it which is wild Um, And it was like very much the era of like movie tie in games, weirdly, too. Like a lot of those thousands of games are like the Shrek 2 video game or like the Shrek 2 kart racer. Yeah, Um, right. Which is uh, which is spoiling my list, Brendan, like one after the other. I'll scratch off Shrek 1, 2, and 3 and Attack, and of, attack the of the Clones. There's half my list. <laughs> and I, I, did, I did play a lot of that stuff because like, I didn't want to discount that, I think. I'll, I'll just be honest. I don't know how many tie-in games, if any, made it in my top 10 or, t- or top 20. But like I did spend a lot of time playing like IP-focused games just because I, did, I didn't want to like throw those out as like, well, these were just like cash grabs, which I sure. think the conversation around them at the time was like, this is just a cash grab game. But like these developers that got the contracts to make those, in a lot of instances, that was their entryway into being yeah. studios. Like that was, their, that was their way of potentially becoming a bigger thing than just making the Attack of the Clones video game. Like they got to like stand on the big stage, say like, hey, look what we did with this. Now we want to make something bigger, you know, more focus on our own IP or whatever. Um, and in some instances, there are really, really cool ideas in those games. Uh, there, there's one that I definitely want to shout out that's like very IP focused that a bunch of people told me to play. And I was like, OK, I guess I'll check this out. And it blew me away. So I, I can't wait to talk about it. But anyway, you were about to you were about to bring up another game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about um, this is not an honorable mention, but I was thinking about the Aladdin Genesis and Super Nintendo game as an example of that where it's like whoever made that Aladdin game went all I think it was Capcom actually but whatever team worked on it went all out <laughs> for, for Aladdin yeah. which could have been you know it was around the same time as the movie anyway I think I think you're totally right anyway my first honorable mention is Mario Golf Advance Tour holy this shit all right is a yeah, uh, already this has shaken my <laughs> entire world all right <laughs> fuck Mario Golf Advance Tour is developed by Camelot, creators of Waluigi and the Golden Sun series. Yeah, man. And I bring up Golden Sun because Mario Golf Advance Tour is really like as far as you can take RPG golf like as a concept. Yeah. It feels like almost like the best version of a bait and switch because you see the cover of this game. Mario is on the cover. It's like Mario, <laughs> Luigi and Peach playing golf. <laughs> and then you start it and no one, no one in the Mario verse is there for like hours. It's just people. People. It's like 
gonna... people allude to Mario, which is fascinating. Yes. They talk about Mario as if he's a god. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's a god. He's a god of golfing. You and a few like other teenagers show up to this like Garrick Mock Golf Academy, <laughs> where there's a guy named the Kid, and he's like you know the ex pro, and he's like, I'm gonna actually start over, learn the basics with all of you, and you have like a rival, you have a friend, really fun setup, like immediately into the story, and there's like a, a stained glass window of Mario, so the way the sun goes through it, it's like his face is like in light on the floor, yeah, and everyone's like, yeah, you know, you'll learn golf, like maybe you'll get good enough to play some of the pros here, and like you know, who knows, maybe one day you'll play against Mario. They say it as if it's like never gonna actually happen yeah but you know it will be but yeah mario is like the the sort of deus ex machina of golf in this world yeah uh, <laughs> and i love this game i i really liked i mean this is another game where like they are really pushing their hardware as far as it can go mm-hmm. like you can tell it was using a lot of the same stuff that golden sun used where like when you're walking around the like golf academy campus or even like the overworld screen of like the golf course it looks like this sort of like mode 7 jrpg world map kind of technology and it's beautiful it's like really really impressive visually you know obviously like they have to condense some things it really feels like the farthest you could like push the gba to do like 3d in perspective without it breaking it does always feel like it's about to break in some ways but it's so fun and what people really love about this one is like you know you go through this academy and like after every round you level up and you choose where to put your points in your golf stats i did a lot of doubles golf where you play with your friend and like they're an ai controlled character but you level them up too it's a joy it's it's honestly even though it's an honorable mention i would still like if you're gonna pick up Game Boy Advance games after this episode, get this one. It is so fun. Really, the only reason it, it just was shy of my list is that the matches take forever. They take like so if, long. If, yeah. <laughs> if the if the golf matches were quicker, because I love the core loop of like, you know, you're on the campus, you're talking to everyone, your rivals are like never practicing, which is very funny. They're like, We're gonna beat you one day. We'll practice we're actually practicing more than it looks like we are. <laughs> And there's so much to unlock. Like every time you win a golf battle, you level up so you're a little bit better. You're probably getting better as a player as well. And you unlock new characters to play as or against in like quick play mode. So like if you want to just play matches and not really deal with the academy stuff, you can do that too. But I think the strength of the game really is the academy stuff. But that's the thing. It's like every match is like an 18 hole course that takes like at least 25 minutes. And I just wish I could get in more matches and like get that sense of progression faster then the game allows me but like if you're not playing 7d games for a uh season four premiere and you're just like enjoying yourself and your time you'll have a great time with this game it's yeah. so it should not be as good as it is and i think camelot went like all out and made this like a secret golf rpg it really feels like the precursor to golf story like i feel like golf story oh, yeah. definitely played this game and we're like what if we went even further with like this sort of on the surface satire Mm -hmm. And like really, you know, like made a silly golf RPG. Yeah, I very much consider Golf Story to be like the Stardew Valley equivalent for Harvest Moon, right? Like like Stardew Valley is the answer to uh, Harvest Moon games no longer, you know, coming out. And I think the the like packaging and form and 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 uh, visual identity that people like really connected with. Then Golf Story was very much like, hey, remember when Camelot made Mario Golf Advance Tour? Like, what if we just return to that? (laughs) 
Um, and and uh, I'm going to talk about that game a little bit more later. I will say on on the subject of um, how long the matches take, it is probably worth mentioning that the new Mario Golf that's coming out includes a mode called Speed Golf, which I think is like a direct answer to that, uh, which I'm very interested in. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, Mario Golf Advanced Store is amazing. I'm going to bring it up later. What's uh, what's another honorable mention for you? Um, uh, I, I guess while talking about uh, interesting RPGs that like maybe shouldn't be RPGs, but they secretly are and it's great. Uh, I played a wonderful game called Car Battler Joe. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you play good, this at all? One. I did. Yeah. I liked the world and the like storytelling more than the core game. Yes. So I eventually moved on. But uh, it, it was a really cool idea. It's like a Mad Max Final Fantasy, but like a little bit more lighthearted. Absolutely. Yeah. So so yeah. this is a game that like the 3D breaks it in a lot of instances. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, yeah. you know, is one of the reasons that it's in the honorable mentions list and like not even in my top 20. But but this this is a game in which uh, you play as a kid named Joe uh, and you have like a Mad Max car that's like a hand me down from somebody else. And the whole idea is that you just are like kind of like running deliveries and, and occasionally like battling and almost like twisted metal esque Mad Max battles that take place in like almost a fully 3D environment where you're driving your car around, ramming into people, using weapons that you're attaching to your car and stuff. And then as you continue to like take out the like Mad Max enemies who are trying to chase you down and steal your deliveries and whatever, you're leveling up and, and you get experience and money and you get to spend that on upgrading your car. And you follow this like kid who like wants to be a car battler up through the ranks of like getting good at it. It is just one of those like totally under the radar games that I hadn't even heard of until I did a shitload yeah. of research and saw it at like, you know, number 85 on a lot of top 100 lists and was like, that's such a wild idea in the way Mario Golf Advance Tour is that like if this was car battler Mario, I think like more people would have looked at it. Right. Um, <laughs> they went all in on Joe, didn't they? They went all in on Joe. Um, I I honestly like playing this game. This is one of those ones where if if I could ask for like a remake of one of these games, like I would love yes. to see Car Battle yes. Joe show up again on the Switch in some way because it was like almost too ambitious for the hardware. There's yeah. a lot of really good ideas that like aren't executed well enough for it to really like stand out. But given better hardware, I think that this would actually be a game that like would have a huge cult following. Yeah, in general, I found that like platformers and tactics games and RPGs are like so at home with the Game Boy Advance. Yeah. But like racing is very hit or miss. You know, like yes. it's tough. It's tough to do a good racing game because you're basically like speeding through a mode seven world map. And like mm -hmm. the Game Boy Advance is like, kill me. I didn't want to do this. <laughs> kill me, Joe. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so next up uh, for me for honorable mentions, this is another big one that I think you might be surprised is an honorable mention. Uh, the next mention for me here is Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't wait to have this conversation. So this, I, I want to be, uh, you know, if you mention a thing that's in my top, you know, 11 through 20, I'll, you know, talk about it because I'm yeah. not going to go through those really um but this this was number 13 on my list I, I i'm very interested to hear what you think about it uh because I, I have a lot of thoughts it's worth mentioning on my end i didn't number the honorable mentions in terms of like where they place it just sort of lumped them all together so i was just thinking about the top 10 but regardless this is one of my favorite games as a kid uh i mentioned oh, it before yeah. in terms of like bring it to summer camp and it's still an incredible game um for those who don't know this is like Probably second to Symphony of the Night in terms of the Castlevania games people kind of point to. Specifically the era of Castlevania that's like more RPG. Yes. Uh, I mean, Symphony of the Night is is 
one of the two games that invented the phrase metroidvania so like aria of sorrow is sort of like a follow-up to that concept um Mm -hmm. and it's really fun i mean i think the biggest difference between like aria of sorrow and and the metroid games on game boy advance is that like in metroid overall like you have some freedom to move around but like they're kind of like a zelda dungeon it's structured in a way where like they know you're gonna go into a room and look around and try things and go around whereas in aria of sorrow they're like here's the whole fucking castle yes from, from go and yeah. <laughs> that's the best and worst thing about it i, I think it overall yes. pays off because like the whole game is you're soma cruise this like you know teenage guy who's on a date with his girlfriend and they're like at a shrine and they both get sucked into the moon that's actually dracula's castle the story is very campy and fun i i enjoy it for what it's worth yeah um but soma quickly realizes that he can absorb the power of his enemies so whenever you kill a monster there's like a hidden chance that you'll just get their power yeah and that's the best thing about the game and this is actually directly taken and put into um bloodstained ritual of the night same creator would recommend that if, if you liked Aryu sorrow and you like want more of it bloodstained ritual of the night is like literally exactly just here's more of that idea mm-hmm. i enjoyed that game a lot anyway Aryu sorrow like i think the fun of the game is like just seeing what happens and like the game is short enough that you almost have this run mentality of like what powers am i gonna get this time sometimes you'll just get powers that completely let you like plow through the early game because they're so overpowered and that's fun and i like that sort of very open design the reason it fell a little shy is i just think the mechanics of the game aren't quite as enjoyable as like other similar games on this console where like Mm -hmm. the actual like walking around and mobility and fighting enemies like especially in this genre like going from games like hollow knight or uh you know ori or or you know games that are are much more recent that have like taken this formula and really run with it. It didn't feel like when I was playing Aryu Sorrow, I was thinking more about like what other games like this I could be playing instead. Yeah. Um, but that's not to discount its legacy. It's still an incredible game. And like if you're checking stuff out, you will have fun with this one. It just was like a little bit uh, short for me this time in terms of like my desire to keep playing with it. It was more just sort of like, oh, let me like to see where I end up. I'm not really thinking about where I'm going next. I'm just sort of like letting it wash over me. And for that, it was very fun. But I, I just prefer a little bit tighter design in, in games like this. Yeah. My experience going into Ari of Sorrow was very much like, I, I guess to be very clear, I'm a huge fan of Metroid. Um, and, and because of that, you know, I, I think the way that I've always talked about it is like I'm a huge fan of like Metroidvania games. Um, but really, I, I've come to learn that I'm just like a fan of Metroid specifically. Um, yeah. There are some games that are inspired by that that I really enjoy. Right. Hollow Knight is like one of my favorite games of all time. But also the things that that is pulling from the Metroidvania genre aren't coming from uh, Castlevania as much. So I've tried to get into Castlevania games a lot over the years, like going all the way back to the NES, like trying to play the original. And they just like never ever ever worked for me i tried playing symphony of the night like thought it was like fine like i didn't really enjoy it that much and aria of sorrow was like gonna be the the make or break for me i think uh in in terms of the entire franchise i liked it enough specifically what you mentioned at the top the fact that the whole castle's open to you just means you could immediately walk into a boss room that you're not supposed to find for a long time and just get completely wrecked and that's going to be for some people and that's going to be extremely not for some people uh it very much was for me because i i appreciate the experience of saying like okay i just explored this entire area and i know this isn't where i'm supposed to be yet and then backtracking like it's it's fine it's it's fine to die and then go back and you know uh, chart a new path but at the end of the day 
say the thing that I really appreciate about this game more than anything else was the camp, was the dialogue. Yes. I, I I thought the setup for this game was so funny and it, they kind of just like abandon that for a while when you like get into the castle and start exploring. There's not as much story as I was hoping for, um, at least in what I experienced, uh, because that, that was the thing that pulled me in. And then when it became like, when it became time to just run into the wrong room over and over again, eventually I got too frustrated and it was like, eh, I think that's it for me. I did play a lot of it though. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, I really wanted to give it its due because again, this was going to be like the end of me trying to check out Castlevania, I think for a while. So I really wanted to like give it a fair shake. And at the end of the day, like I enjoyed it, but not enough to make the top 10. It is worth mentioning that like literally last night, there was a rumor that uh, there's going to be a Castlevania advanced collection coming out on the Nintendo Switch, which again is like, we materialize this in some strange way. <laughs> Um, but yeah. I, I honestly, like truly would probably pick that up and, and give it another shot. I would definitely recommend this game. And again, I think the reason I, I enjoyed, like I kept wanting to go back to Bloodstained after playing this because I think mm. it has like the stuff I like from Mario Sorrow, but it, like it really went up to 11 with the camp in terms of like you're always running into weird characters and like finding silly hats and stuff. Like it's a very goofy game Yeah, that I, I miss that. You know, like you said, after the initial scene and then you know there's so many moments in this game where you meet someone who's like obviously the bad guy and someone's <laughs> yeah. like he seems fine like you know like yeah. you meet a guy in a suit who's like one day someone will inherit all of Dracula's powers I wonder if it will be me <laughs> and like as he steps away and there's like you know bloody footprints and someone's like he seems great I'm not gonna believe the next person I meet who warns me about him yeah <laughs> again all of these are recommendations um, it just fell a little short for me yeah this time around so this this is one where I think it was like a little bit more nostalgia, but it's still an incredible game um, and probably still. I mean, this is my first Castlevania game, and I would imagine it's still one of my favorites of the series. I do have its sequel, which was on the DS, which I've also heard great things about. So I might mm. play that in October. I wanted to do that last year, but I just got sidetracked. So maybe this year I'll make it happen. Cool. But anyway, I'm trying to decide if I want to go like big or small for my next one. What do you what do you want? Let's do small. Let's uh, do small. I think that was a pretty big section we just did, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, here's here's two that I'll do back to back, and and I guess kind of together, uh, which might be unfair to both of them, but I think it's worth saying. Uh, Lunar Legend and Summon Knight Swordcraft Story are two really cool RPGs that I played um, many hours of each, and like enjoyed both enough, but like it wasn't enough to like really push me over the edge. Um, I, I guess the thing about Lunar Legend that just kind of disqualified it off the bat is that it's a port uh, already and there are much better ports of it elsewhere. Um, they really like sacrificed a lot to get it on the Game Boy Advance and there's apparently a PSP version and I think even an iOS version that uh, a lot of fans of the franchise are say just will shout out as like the superior way of playing it. Um, it's cool that it's on the Game Boy Advance, but like that's not where you should play it. That said, looking into the history of Lunar as a franchise, I had never even heard of it. Oh, um, yeah. But it was gigantic and then mismanaged to the point of it like all collapsing in on itself. And like just the story of Lunar as a franchise, the way it kind of rose to prominence and then all just fell apart at, at its peak is like a fascinating uh, story to just check out. I highly recommend just like Googling it um, and just seeing that because it inspired so many games and then is essentially just like washed from history, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is kind of a bummer. The thing about Lunar Legend that I just really appreciated uh, right off the bat was I, I think the combat was interesting. The story didn't make a whole lot of sense. It was it was like fine. I, I liked the characters enough, but like the story that they were involved in wasn't really exciting. It's very much like early RPG kind of stuff, but uh, it, it was it was cool enough to like prepare 
propel me to play a couple hours of it where I anticipated maybe playing 30 minutes and then bouncing off of it. Um, the other one, Summon Night Swordcraft Story, uh, one of two games for the Game Boy Advance. There are two of them. Atlas produced. Really, really cool. Like yeah. I, the thing, the thing about Summon Night that I, I didn't know anything about it going in. It was like co- completely like uh, me too, yeah. I, I know zero percent about this and I just want to experience it knowing nothing. So I didn't even look up anything. I just saw it on a bunch of lists and checked it out. Um, the world is awesome. The world is so yes, cool. Yes, yes. You immediately uh, you have a character like you're not like creating a character. You're just naming them and you show up uh, essentially at this like school for uh, sword crafts essentially or just like blacksmiths in a way like magic blacksmiths um, and they're just like hey one of the like top tier magic blacksmiths has died recently or has gone missing and we need to fill this vacant spot uh, and you and the rest of your class all need to like compete essentially to get better at magic sword crafting to work your way up and potentially fill that spot of course that spot uh, was previously filled by your father so there are all these expectations on you as the player character the combat is not turn-based it's real time which was interesting and honestly the thing that really pulled me through it was just i love the the like starting town i love the world i love the people i love the art i really like every character is great has wonderful dialogue wonderful writing i think honestly if i had played more of this if i had more time to play more of this 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 is like towards the end of the games i checked out like i played this for the first time last week if i had been able to put more time into it i think it might have like cracked the top 20 at least uh it's really 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 good and something i had not heard of has never been mentioned to me before outside of like the metacritic list that you and i both looked at yeah i had almost the same experience i re- this game has almost the opposite problem that a lot of rpgs do i mentioned how like you can't judge it off the first hour the first hour of this game is by far the best part of it yeah. for me. Like, <laughs> I, I think i agree with you, i yeah. loved like your mom is so funny weirdly in this game yeah. like she's like she has fun with the whole like rpg trope of like waking up and your mom's like time for adventure she's like i kind of fucks with you yeah and like you do this like Myers Briggs test to see which like Pokemon you get. Yeah. I got the one with floppy ears, the green oh, me one too. with yeah. long ears. <laughs> yeah. Oh hell yeah! There are like five or six, I think. So yeah, I, I loved the idea. Similar to Car Battle or Joe, I love the idea that it's this RPG solely around blacksmiths and mm-hmm. like this focus on crafting. And I like that they're trying to go for real time combat. And there's interesting ideas with that. But I like I was so excited for the setup of the game, and then when I got to like what the gameplay loop was, I was like, oh okay, yeah. like yeah. It was really disappointing because I, I while it's it's fine, like it's serviceable enough that like if you love the rest of the game as much as you and I do, you'll probably have a great time. But it just seemed like the the core of the gameplay was not for me enough to the point where I moved on. But yeah, I agree. I loved the atmosphere and the writing. It's definitely worth checking out and it's like completely overlooked. So like, yeah, you know, if, if we if we can use this segment to like shout out some hidden gems, this is absolutely a hidden gem for the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, yeah, this is. This is like deep dive shit. Like you've played a lot of stuff on the Game Boy Advance and you just want something else to play. This is definitely one to check out. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Um, so I have, I have a weird thing here. I I've gone through the four that were like, you know, going to be on my list. Um, I have two other honorable mentions that I think I might save for like in passing when we do the real list because I think it might spoil weirdly. Okay. Um, is that all right? Yeah, sure. Uh, and then I have one more that I think you and I wanted to talk about. That's I think what you might have said is your bigger section. Oh, it's not. I know what you're. Oh, I know okay. what you're alluding to. Um, okay, bef- before we mention that one, um, yeah. I'll, ju- I'll just rattle off a couple. Um, Go for it, real quick. Uh, Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green. 
made mm. by honorable mentions. I loved those games growing up because I played the original blue version when it came out and loved it. Um, and then Fire Red and Leaf Green came out. It was like, oh my God, I get to revisit this. Like even at the time that those remakes came out, I was already nostalgic about Red and Blue. Um, so really enjoyed them, went back and played them and was like really not stoked about it. I think specifically a, a big part of that is like, I think Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are like just incredible games. Um, in terms of like remaking Red and Blue, I think those games are like extremely successful doing exactly that. But compared to Ruby, Sapphire and Emerald specifically, like Fire and Leaf Green just left a lot to be desired on my end. I agree. I think er, closer to when they came out, I liked that because Red and Blue are so buggy to the point of like broken at this point, like picking up yeah. a copy of Red and Blue. I feel like for me, Fire, Red and Leaf Green almost exist in place of Red and Blue. Like if I want to play mm. Red and Blue as they were. I'll actually play Fire Red and Leaf That's Green. Yeah, I'm I'm not that way at all. Whenever I go back and play those games again, I play the originals. But yeah. Whereas I think you're right though. In terms of like breathing new life into an older game remake style, I think Let's Go Eevee, Let's Go Pikachu, at least in the setting, was a really fully imagined Kanto versus like here is Bulbasaur but with weather. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the in the battle. So, but I do just love like I love the look of the third gen game. So like having first gen in that presentation is like enough for me but I, I that was I, one of my big problem points specifically with fire and leaf green was that they they were clearly using the same engine as ruby sapphire and emerald but all of the sprites and color palette was much more muted a lot yeah, that's a true lot, uh, just like very desaturated comparatively and that's one of the things i loved about gen 3 was just how yeah. vibrant that world was and then to go back to red and blue and have it not be presented in like exactly that same way like to take that engine and then desaturate it was almost like oh my god what did you to my baby it was like <laughs> it, was, it was such a bummer for me and that's not to say that they're bad i mean they're still the original pokemon games i mean they're fucking incredible rpgs yeah. um and we're gonna talk about them i'm sure but these two in particular especially as a comparison point i was really surprised by how quickly i bounced off of it i agree that third gen proper is superior like you know ruby sapphire emerald yeah. are the ones to play if you're gonna yeah. play a pokemon game here yeah another another one i want to shout out uh, before we get on to uh the, the big one uh is Mega Man zero uh just like oh, yeah all the Mega Man Zero games, I guess. Um, it's amazing how many Mega Man games there are on the Game Boy Advance uh, and spinoffs and things like that. Uh, Mega Man Zero is just like a continuation of the like canonical Mega Man storyline, which there is one, and I didn't even realize that. I've never been like a huge Mega Man fan, if I'm being honest. Yeah, but, I've only uh, really played X. X is the big one for me. Yeah. Otherwise, not as much. Yeah, I've, I've played some of X. I, I, you know, it was okay. Like, I didn't like love it the way that I, I think a lot of people did. Um, Mega Man Zero, I got into in a way I wasn't expecting. Uh, it, it was very much me checking it out specifically because like it's at the top of a lot of people's lists. A, a lot of people shout this out as like maybe some of the best Mega Man games. Um, I was like, I should check them out. Uh, zero one, fine. Zero two, though, great. Um, mm. zero, zero one has kind of like a kind of a slow start um, and is just like wildly difficult. I think the whole thing about the Zero series is like they're just much harder than you expect them to be because you're expecting to have like a fun run and gun Mega Man experience. Then it's like, no, 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 no. This is like melee combat. This is dashing. This is like is, is fucking Bloodborne, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, and Zero Two, I think, does a better job of like introducing you into that uh, in a way that isn't like you're just going up against uh, the Asylum Demon, you know, right from go. <laughs> um, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't play three onwards uh, to be clear um but i i think that these games are worth shouting out if you want like a more difficult kind of like hardcore 
gaming experience, I guess. Like the Mega Man Zero games are kind of hard to beat. Again, though, they're all available on the Switch right now. And I think at least at the time of this recording, they're all on sale as well. So like you can get the collection of all the Zero games on the Switch. Um, And I have to assume that they are much better to play with like a pro controller or the Joy-Cons than they are with the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, there are some things that are like a little too ambitious with like the control scheme where it's like push diagonal down and B. It's like, nah, I'm not doing yeah. that on this thing. Yeah, exactly. Excuse that, me. Kind of one of my issues with, with, with Zero specifically. And that's actually why I want to get them on Switch because I mm. had enough fun with two that I think there is something there for me to kind of latch on to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'll maybe I'll loop back to that at some point during season four. Who knows? That said, I think that leads us to like kind of the big one that you and I both wanted to talk about. Um, and, and I, I want to make it very clear before we get into this, like Steven already said, these are our very subjective lists. Um, we heard a lot of people asking us to play these games and, and, uh, I, I think like one of my big anxiety points, uh, if I'm being totally honest about recording this episode was like letting people down or like bumming yes. people out in terms of, you know, the things that they had nostalgic attachment to growing up. I, I, I want to make it very clear that like we are not setting out to like undo your your nostalgia or your love of a thing. Like that's not why we're making these lists. That's not why things are placed in certain ways. These are literally just like Steve and I over the course of six months have played a bunch of things and they landed where they landed for us. And, and for you, dear listener that might be very different the the games are obviously golden sun and golden sun the lost age um which are 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 two games that um are just like widely 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 beloved i have talked to any any person that i've talked to in real life about putting this episode together pretty much a hundred percent of time has mentioned are you gonna play golden sun are you gonna play golden sun i did not growing up i think it's worth mentioning you didn't either right no i missed it which is ironic because this is so my shit you know but yeah you're right you you can't if you put your ear up to like a wi-fi router you'll hear people like talking about golden sun (laughs) online like anytime there's a a mention of a video game if you look at the replies on twitter it's someone will be like what about golden sun it's like second to maybe the mother series it has one of the most like passionate cult followings and you can't do a game boy events episode and not at least just say golden sun out loud yeah so again i think you're totally right these are completely subjective this is still an honorable mention and honestly like honorable mentions in the context of this episode these are all games that we would have played and brought up on the show like these are all games that we like liked and like enjoyed playing it just in playing 70 ish game boy advance (laughs) games like some did not make the very top 10 for us subjectively yeah the thing about golden sun and golden sun lost age which is the sequel we're lumping them together because they tell lost age is not a sequel as much as it's just the rest of the story yeah it's it's worth mentioning that in the creation of this game it was planned to be one game uh and and at a certain point in development they realized that uh the whole thing wasn't going to fit on one game boy advance cartridge they needed to split it into two um and and the first one ends on a cliffhanger uh yeah they they just like kind of you know lopped the thing in half at a point that they thought made sense in the story and lost age just picks up where that uh, left off yeah so I, i think golden sun you know historically is a big deal because like we said on the top of the episode this system had so many ports of classic RPGs, FF4, FF6. Mm-hmm. This was the one of the first games on the Game Boy Advance that was a Hirose exclusive that showcases like how much 
this console can do and how much the teams working in these games care about them. Like here is the Game Boy Advance exclusive RPG and people loved it. And it's a great game. I don't love it though. I'm going to be completely honest. Like mm. I re- you and I put so much fucking time into Golden Sun. Yeah. <laughs> I played the first one for over 10 hours, enjoyed my time with it, but like kept waiting for like something to wow me and like everything was good like in my in my opinion you know everything was like the best thing about it is like the overall ambiance and the presentation like really fun i actually also love the opening hour weirdly i like the you know it begins with like a really devastating event in the main character's hometown that like really sets the stage for what story this game is setting out to tell and i think conceptually the plot is really fun like i like the setup there are really specific moments that I'm like, this is why people love this game. Like, I could see it, yeah. but I never felt it. You know, I, I I never felt it myself. The battle system is, like, very okay. The, the thing about the game is that it has a lot of the esoteric design of a lot of RPGs of this era, but usually, like we mentioned with, like, Swordcraft Story or you know, like name your RPG. There's usually one thing that's good enough that it will pull you through the parts that aren't quite as strong. Mm-hmm. And for me, like everything was like at a seven that I just like eventually like, okay, I've been playing this for 10 hours. If I don't love it already, I'm, it's probably just not for me. Yeah. I did also play the sequel for less time, but I did want to like put time into that. And I know that it's probably better to have like, I knew, I knew what happened. So I knew like the context of the story. And I'm sure if you play through all of the first one, you know, the sequel is more impactful. I do think narratively the sequel is better. I totally agree. Yeah. You're, you're playing from a different perspective and that cast is just the better cast too. Yeah. But that's the <laughs> thing much. like, yeah. uh, you know, the the crew of the first game are like giving you like, they're very much going for a Dragon Quest sensibility. You can see that in like, there are churches where you can like remove curses and revive enemies. The combat is going for that Dragon Quest simplicity. Once you get the gins, the combat picks up a little bit, but it still was just like not like even compared to other RPGs on this system, it just wasn't as strong for me. And yeah. like, again, I think it's a really solid game. I think it's a good game and it's worth checking out to make up your own mind about. But like, I kept wanting to fall in love with it so I can put it on the list and, and save myself from the wrath of the internet. Yeah. But like, it, I just would, I would be lying if I did. It just didn't really like, it didn't land as strongly for me. And that's fine. You know, I think there's a way to honor a game's legacy, even if you weren't part of it, like at its kind of inciting event. I can see what this did you know and i can see that this being a foundational rpg experience would be like you know forever beloved um there's a charm to camelot games it's like kind of hard to come by so like i get it i just didn't feel it myself and i'll leave it at that yeah uh, my, I think it's worth mentioning that a lot of the love of this game is that it was a lot, at least in I think our age group, for a lot of people it was their first RPG. It was like their yeah. first like real kind of like Final Fantasy Dragon Quest adjacent styled RPG. And because of that, I, I think at the time, at the time it was a really good entry point into the genre. And I think it yes. did open the door for a lot of people and that's why a lot of people look back on it so fondly is, the, is this idea that like if it wasn't for Golden Sun I wouldn't have become a fan of Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest or or pick your RPG. Absolutely. The thing about playing it now is that there are much better entry points that have that have been released since. So again, if you're a person who played Golden Sun, it was your first RPG. Like I'm not trying to take away from that experience. Obviously, like that's not that's not what we're setting out to do. I just think that you know, as a person who is recently a fan of the genre, 
um, every season of this podcast, we kind of like set out to do a new thing. And in season two, for me specifically, it was trying to find an RPG that I really liked. And I eventually got there with Fire Emblem Three Houses and then eventually Dragon Quest, uh, which I'm now like a mega fan of, weirdly. Yeah, you're playing um, seven. You're in. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm real in. Yeah. The, the thing about Golden Sun is that like going and playing that game, I also played the first one for like around 10 hours. I kept going but every like month or so. I would go back and play like another hour or two to just like really try and get back into it. And it just never really did it for me. And I think there are some things about it that are spectacular in terms of how it makes use of the hardware, which again is like not how I'm ranking my list. It's not like, oh, it's impressive, you know, it's, yeah. but but like visually, I think the game is gorgeous. I love the way the battles look. I love yeah. a lot I love the perspective. Yeah. I love the like the music is all stuck in my head. Like, I think the yes. music is great, but like the characters, at least in the first one, I thought were like fine. The way the way it opens up was like not exactly like fun for me. Uh, the experience of like running around the world like didn't really grab me. I think that style of like of uh, once you like leave a town, you're in an overworld, you know, where like your character is running on like kind of like a truncated version of the overworld. Like that's just like not for me. I've learned over the course of like playing a lot of games like that, including early Dragon Quest games and early Final Fantasy games like that style of traversal throughout a world like doesn't really work for me as well. Um, so there were a lot of things that I was bumping up against. And at the end of the day, it just like wasn't the game for me. Um, and, and that doesn't mean it wasn't the game for you at the time that you played it. And that doesn't mean that it can't be the game for you now. I do want to mention, though, the big my biggest takeaway from playing this for like 10 or so hours. And then I played like three or four hours of the second one is and this is the exact opposite of what I personally said on the Mother 3 episode. I want a remake of these. Like, I, what, what I would give for a company, Camelot or otherwise, to go back to Golden Sun 1 and 2 and say, we want to make this the way that we had originally intended. Take both stories, mash them into one thing, put them in a new engine, put them on the Switch or what have you. Like, this game and this story i think deserves to be looked at again i totally agree yeah and, and take those things that are all like seven like 70 percent of the way there and bump them up to 100 because i i think like just like you know your experience playing the original final fantasy 7 and then event like eventually getting the remake and having it be like actually what you wanted it to be if not even more i want that experience for golden sun fans and i want what I had with Final Fantasy VII Remake, where like now I have this weird emotional attachment to Final Fantasy VII that I'd never had because of the remake. I want that for Golden Sun, and I think it's possible given the foundation that's laid in the Game Boy Advance games. I also want to be clear. I think that like you or you and I are not into like just replacing past entries with like a glossier product. I think in the specific case yeah. of Golden Sun, the original game is like just shy of where it wanted to be. That like it warrants a remake in the way that even games that are remade necessarily don't you know yes. i think like remakes are like a very situational thing uh when they're called for or not like honestly as excited as i am for the advanced wars remake you I did not need to remake up. that yeah. like that game is is perfect the way it was visually and gameplay wise uh, maybe more on that later um but uh <laughs> yeah I, I think golden sun is like aesthetically is fine I, I don't think you need to change much about the visuals but i think like what really i struggled with is just like the the dungeon design of like yes they love stone hopping puzzles where you like can't see the path you're going on until you're there so you have to go back and hop on a different stone <laughs> that's like 30 percent of most dungeons and then the using the psychic powers to to solve stuff 
sounds cool, but what it ends up being is like, just try that on everything. Yeah. And then you eventually find the stone you can move and then you do it and you're like, oh, I wasted 15 minutes of my life. Yeah. I don't feel that way normally, but it's like the dungeon design is just not there. And I think, but I think you're right narratively and, and visually, like, there's a really cool story happening here. Um, and I'd love to see it with fresh eyes. So I think that like the sequel really pokes at that and that not to spoil too much, but like you get a shift in perspective in Lost Age that like really opens up the world and like kind of almost like critiques RPG stories overall where like you're told what your goal is and you just do it. And yes. the sequel is very much like, wait, you don't actually don't even know what you're doing. You're just like a kid who was told <laughs> by an eyeball to go in a direction. <laughs> So I love that. And again, these are good games. If this, if, if these, if we just played them on our own time, like you, you brought up the first game on the show before, like you liked it enough to do that, you yeah. know, even before we were doing this. So like we would talk about them, you know, and, 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 and highlight the stuff that we really liked. But in this case, you know, compared to the rest of the library, it just wasn't as high for us, but I think we can leave it there. I think now that everyone's unsubscribed and uh, unfollowed <laughs> us on Twitter, we can, you know carry on it's nice to just have like a reset you know we're yeah. like we just shed all the <laughs> listeners that we had and now we get new listeners <laughs> season four you know kind of like a, a wet dog we just you know like get off me fans and friends uh, i don't want i actually want no one yeah i and I, I do i do think compared to mother three specifically like mother three i don't need a remake of i don't need like a re-release i don't need anything like nintendo clearly doesn't care about it or whatever like just go play the fan translation of that is still my yeah. take on that golden sun i have completely joined the horde of people on the internet who like in every Nintendo Twitter, like, but what about a Golden Sun remake? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and Camelot's I, I, still making games. They're making the new Mario Golf. Like they have flex that they know what a good RPG is. Like yeah. between Mario Golf Advanced Tour and Golden Sun. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, my hot take is that Advanced Tour is the better RPG, but that's, you know. I completely agree. Uh, if you really want to unfollow me, you can do it now. But um, <laughs> I think Camelot, like, they know what they're doing. And I think that if they had more shots, because really it's like they did Golden Sun 1 and 2 in Advanced Tour. And then there was a DS Golden Sun that like, didn't do quite as well. And that and was the after end of that, the franchise. It was like yeah. just tennis and golf forever. Yeah. So, like, I would love whoever those people are or, you know, the teams of Camelot who want to make RPGs, I would love to see more from this team. Look, this is the team that invented waluigi they, they know, what, know what good taste is yeah give us a give us a golden sun remake where you play as waluigi that's the waluigi game holy shit golden, Gold, golden one <laughs> <laughs> it's just golden sun but instead of the floating eye it's waluigi and he's like ah alchemy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so is that our honorable mentions or <laughs> that's that's all I had I have two that I'll save for when we're going through the list but those were all of them yeah it's interesting I have a bunch of other games like again I have like an 11 through 20 of like things that are worth mentioning but I don't know what's on your list so I'm gonna like hold my tongue until those games maybe show up and if they don't I'll bring some of them up because um, there are there are a few that I think are at least worth like mentioning in passing um, yeah but uh, I, I think for now maybe let's take a break and then we'll start doing the top 10 yeah I think it's it's a testament to how strong this library is that we just spent an hour on honorable mentions. So like yeah. <laughs> all all of these games, Golden Sun included, like check them out and make up your own mind about them because they're all they all have something going on that is really cool, really unique, and is really like reflective of this era of game. Yeah. Um, so uh, highly recommend all these. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. Let's take a break. Come back and start with number ten. Number ten. Goodbye. Welcome back. 
Oh my god, we're here. <laughs> I've been thinking about this day for six months. Oh yeah, me too. It's, it's it's so surreal that it's finally here. Yeah, season four. Uh, and uh, now that we've covered honorable mentions, we're here in the top ten. Uh, I guess we'll do ten through five, and then probably take a break. But I we'll think, see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I you I see could, the chapter markers. You get it. Yeah, I could see us. Unlike the Goaty special, uh, I could see this being a ten through one scenario. But we'll see. Oh, okay. I am we'll play curious though, Stephen. What is your number ten best Game am Boy I Advance first? game? Yeah, I, I want you to go first. Wild, wild to boil down this whole library into a top ten. Again, you know, yeah. inherently making a list like this is very silly, but we have a lot of fun doing it, and it's a lot of fun to record these episodes. Uh, and it's uh, been a lot of work. So it's also it's really even though it's like inherently, like you said, it's a little silly, and it's also completely subjective. Like on a personal level, I think it's really cool to be like, okay, honestly, what are my favorites? You know, yeah. like really think about it really go back and play things after each other. We put a lot of work into this, but I feel like being number 10 on this list after what we said about Golden Sun, never has there been a bigger target on this game. Oh, God. You know? <laughs> I just feel like yeah, whoever right. has to follow that is in for trouble. But anyway, number 10 on my list is a game developed by Game Freak that is not Pokemon. Oh, no way. Okay. You guessed it. It's Drill Dozer. Wow. Number 10. Tell me about Drill Dozer. Number 10. Dozer is a like kind of like Mega Man E platformer um, where you are this girl who's in a team of like engineer thieves who mm-hmm. has a like mech with a giant drill on it. And basically you're trying to steal diamonds uh, for some silly reason. The plot is like very campy and knows it like. Whenever, when you first see the diamond, the boss of the trio is like, don't they know your mom gave you that diamond before she died? It's the last thing you have of hers. Like, you know, it's like very like direct. Um, but the reason it made my list is like, this game is so, it's just so good. There are a lot of really good action platformers on this console and i think this might be one of the best second to like the mario games like this is one of my favorites i think it's because it's so centered around a really unique mechanic it the original cartridge came with like a rumble pack on it yeah so that it would rumble whenever you drilled uh basically if you hold r you drill in one direction and if you hold l you drill in the other in the beginning it's pretty straightforward you're like breaking through walls you know fighting bad guys with the drill and every level is kind of like a heist location so there's like an art museum there's like an indiana jones tomb there's like a uh there's actually a really cool like mega man e city in the sky there's an underwater level basically what i love about this game is that they really take every possible use for a drill and explore it in a way that like 90% of the time works and is so much fun. So like one of the first moments where the game really reveals itself is when there are these gelatinous cubes where if you drill into them, you get stuck. But then if you drill in the other direction, you fly that far. Mm -hmm. And every level is structured where you get three gears and every gear you get like allows your drill to like, you actually have to like shift it into higher gear, which is very fun. It's really cool. It never gets old. The, The UI of the gear shifting specifically is like really really great that's the other thing i mean i know we're not like talking about like presentation 10 but this game is like gorgeous it's one of the last game boy advance games and you can kind of tell because they really like knew like how to make good music the soundtrack's amazing yeah the animations are great uh and the game is like a few hours then it's done and there are secrets to find if you want to but i was like amazed that this game i knew nothing about was as good as it is and that it was made by game freak (laughs) you know like you and i just recently on the 
on the show talked about Game Freak and how whenever they make a game that's not Pokemon, there's like literally like you could sit 100 people in a room and have them guess what that game is going to be. And no one would ever figure it out in 100 years. Um, yeah. The, the game we talked about last was Pocket Card Jockey on the 3DS, which is um, a, a blending of horse racing and solitaire that like is maybe one of the like best 3DS games. Yeah. Um, and similarly, like this is shockingly good for, you know, from the team that like is only really known for making Pokemon. This is like a shockingly good video game. Um, it it didn't make my list, uh, but I did enjoy my time with it. Yeah, I, I just was really like I kept I kept thinking it was going to be an honorable mention. But like the more I played of it, the more I realized like because I actually had to start my game over. So I like had to play the early levels again. And it made me really realize like how good the level design was. It does the thing a lot of good Mario games do. And like weirdly Titanfall 2 did really well where they like give you a mechanic so you know it exists and then they like have you use it. And then you have to like be more creative with it later. And it really just keeps doing that. You know, there when you're underwater, you have to drill to like propel yourself forward, but you're always kind of moving. It's really yeah. one of the few underwater levels that is actually good. And it's so <laughs> exciting. Like it's just so over the top. Like all the transformations are like uh almost I guess like Sailor Moon esque, where there's like, you know, these like bright colors and like yeah. everything is very it's very like nineties, early two thousands vibe. I don't know. I loved it. Like anytime I I thought about like making an mention i'm like this game is actually way too good and also like <laughs> no one knows it exists so like I, I thought it should make number 10 yeah yeah it's it's very 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 good i i really did enjoy my time with it um at, at a certain point it came down to um again i have a top 20 like it it didn't make the cut because there are some other games that I think are in a similar realm that ended up making the cut that I totally, really can't wait yeah. to talk about. But uh, but Drill Dozer is like really, really spectacular. It's one of the ones that I was actively looking for a cartridge. Um, I really wanted yeah. to play this on the original hardware with the Rumble Pack built in um, and just like couldn't find one that was like not, you know, hundreds of dollars. So, yeah, uh, really cool game, though. If Nintendo ever brings this to the Switch with the HD Rumble, this would be perfect, yeah, you know, because they sick. have that whole feature they don't use. Yeah. Or maybe the PS5 will pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, that's all I got in Drill Dozer. Again, I can't stress how good, like, the presentation and the music is for this game. That's, yeah. I think, what really sealed the deal, too. Because, again, even though we're not, like, qualifying in that way, it was so good that, like, I wanted to keep playing. Yeah. Um. So, Drill Dozer. <laughs> My, num my number 10, uh, this is a game that I had a lot of nostalgia for, went into this experience expecting to not really like as much uh, because, you know, th this franchise has existed for a long time. There are much better versions of it that exist now. Uh, but going back to it, I found that it was the game that I more often than not, if I had five to ten minutes and I wanted to play Game Boy Advance game, this is the one that I picked up and played. Uh, and it was Mario Kart Super Circuit. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Which like man is it still fucking great uh it, it it's a good one i liked it a lot when i was a kid it was the only way that i could interact with mario kart because i didn't have uh, i was never a nintendo kid growing up i grew up with the sega genesis and then my next system after that was the ps2 um the only nintendo stuff that i had was game boy and game boy advance uh and then ds eventually but but this was like my way of playing mario kart like i would go to my friends houses and they had an n64 and i would play mario kart 64 and then i'd go home and i'd play mario kart super circuit you know and and this game i think still especially 
considering how limited it is, really just goes to show that the bare formula of Mario Kart is really the thing that makes it like constantly still relevant and still interesting and still cool. Yes. And 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 the the sequels that we've gotten, Double Dash having you know two characters on one cart, Mario Kart Eight uh, Deluxe for the Nintendo Switch, and and also the Wii U version. You know, just higher fidelity, more characters, more stuff. Um, you know, flying through the air, going underwater, whatever. All of that really just kind of is like a cherry on top of the core formula. And Mario Kart Super Circuit is really, to me, just taking what worked on the Super Nintendo version, which is like really as bare bones you could possibly get, and just making yeah. it look like a little bit better. But really what happens in Super Circuit is like you have so few buttons to work with that it just ends up being this like extremely tight racer. As you were talking about, like it's really hard to make a good racing game on the yeah. Game Boy Advance. Uh, Car Battler Joe being a great example. Uh, F-Zero, I think, is also a great example of like, you know, a game that like is almost great, but like just doesn't quite make it. Yeah. Um, Mario Kart Super Circuit, like still to this day, is like an extremely joyful experience uh, in that it just kind of lays all those mechanics bare and is like, this is all we got for you. And that's going to be <laughs> enough. Um, and it, re- it really, really is. Is. I mean, I, I have played the, of all the games that I played for this episode. This is the one that I've played the most of, uh, which is like shocking to me. And it's all in like <laughs> 10 to 15 minute increments, you know, in between yeah. like activities, in between meetings at work, like whatever. Like this was the one that I always picked up and played. It's funny because my big handheld Mario Kart was the DS one, which until yeah. Mario Kart 8, I thought was the best Mario Kart. Mario Kart like DS is unreal. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. I loved it. That's the thing, though. I think just like looking back at the franchise every Mario Kart is the best one for a while maybe except for the Wii one which uh that's the only one yeah um but 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 outside of that like every Mario Kart is great because those core mechanics are the thing that are wonderful and it's just like okay what's the what's the uh amuse-bouche you get before that you know (laughs) uh that that, that takes it a little bit further than the previous one I think also like like we like you said you know this when I said like most racing games are not great on the GBA this is like the glowing exception yeah and yeah it's I think labeling it as like here's proof of concept like in a sort of a minimalist package yeah is a great way to put it I love that I love that it made the list it's yeah. awesome I do I do I very vividly remember playing this game all the way through getting the like gold cup in 50 cc then 100 then 150 unlocking the extra uh like difficulty mode and doing the same thing and just how long that took like the amount of hours I've poured into this game in my life total are like way more than I think I would expect you know no way of tracking it but I, I just think like I've played this game more than most games on the Game Boy Advance yeah god it's so funny how like Mario Kart is like obviously a successful series but it weirdly is overlooked it's so ironic that yeah. it's like the highest selling thing ever but people kind of write it off and it really is like one of the best series Nintendo has made yeah absolutely weirdly. yeah uh, Mario Kart Super Circuit still fucking rules uh, really good Okay, are you ready for number nine on my list? I'm so excited for number nine, yeah. Number nine is a game that I think means a lot to both of us. There's inherent duality in the title, and we have done an episode about it before. Oh. You guessed it. It's Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Yeah. 
This, for those who don't know, Mario Luigi is like kind of a spiritual spinoff of Paper Mario and the Mario RPG series. But I think it's like maybe one of the funniest games I've played in my life, which I think we talk about like, not that we're like comedy snubs, but it's really hard to be funny in a video game. It's like a tough medium to like tell jokes in because like it's inherently visual. So a lot of the humor has to be visual Mm -hmm. and the writing, you know, it can't be like I played games that have a lot of dialogue that like if I read it as a script, I would probably laugh. But hearing like 10 minutes of dialogue with like funny quips is just kind of draining in a game sometimes. But Superstar Saga is like the best satire of like the Mario IP and is like also like a really heartfelt and fun adventure. Uh, You play as Mario and Luigi and you get like roped into like a Hitchhiker's Guide-esque adventure. (laughs) Uh, And you know, like the battle system is pretty solid. The reason it's not like top five is because I think like the actual game is like solid. You know, there's some fun stuff with like Mario and Luigi get moves together that require like button inputs and that's pretty fun. But you're really playing it for for the story and for the humor and just like it's a really really cool series i've heard great things about inside story which was on the ds really want to play that for the show at some point because like i think the minute you and i picked this up which was kind of completely on a whim we both like fell head over heels for this entire series yeah it's worth mentioning also that there's a remake of this game for the 3ds um that's apparently worth checking out i think uh some people when it came out were unhappy with the changes to the art style um yeah but uh i i I haven't played that version. I played through almost all of the Game Boy Advance version. Um, it's it's on my list. It's a little bit higher. Uh, we'll yeah. talk. Yeah, I'll mention it again later. But I, I, in this conversation, I think it's at least worth saying, like, the thing about this game that really works is exactly what you were saying is is the narrative and is I think the combat I think the combat's really fun um, where it kind of falls apart a little bit is in the, the traversal as you were saying each character kind of has their own like button inputs to control each of them um, A is for Mario B is for Luigi um, and in in the course of traversing the world there's a lot of like okay I have to press L to switch to this item and then press B to use Luigi's thing and then press R to use this and then press A to do Mario and like as as bad as that sounds and as much as I didn't like it early on, I grew into it in a weird way. I The more time I gave to this game, the more I kind of locked into that. And it became almost this like strange allegory for like two brothers trying to work together. Um, oh, I like that. And, yeah. and, and, and wow. you know, using like essentially like trying to sync up, use one mind. But the two of them are like individually trying to do stuff. So whenever you fuck up traversal because you're pressing the wrong button input, it's just like eh, they're brothers and they're going to like squabble and argue and whatever. But that said, I. I found this game to just be like unbelievable. Um, I've tried to get into the Paper Mario games. I've enjoyed them enough. Like even Origami King, you and I played when it came out. We had a lot of nice things to say about it. You know, it's not either of our favorite game, uh, I think, as most people would say. But like there's fun to be had with Origami King. Uh, and I've gone back and played a couple of Paper Mario games just kind of as a comparison point for this one specifically, because I really wanted to see, you know, Mario and Luigi as a franchise exist separate from Paper Mario because Paper Mario started going in a different direction mechanically. And and, and the Mario and Luigi games were like, we're going to just continue that legacy of what Paper Mario was trying to do. Um, so a lot of the people who are like angry about the direction that Paper Mario has gone, just go play the Mario and Luigi games because that's what that is. Like if you liked the original Paper Mario, the Mario and Luigi games are trying to be that. And they do a very good job at being that. And this one in particular, I think is just like really, really, really stellar. I, I had a very good time with it. And uh, I'll bring it up again later, but I, I don't have much more to say than like, I think it's incredible. Um, yeah, and- it's a really great game. 
game. It's just also beautiful. Great art style. Ugh. Yeah. It made me laugh that, that, so many times. That's the thing. It's like, I, I'm sure it's fun to play on the 3DS, but this is the way to play it, I think, you know, in terms of the aesthetics. Yeah. I think I will get it on the 3DS because I really want to try it. Um, and, just to and, see how it is. Yeah. yeah. But but I, I don't know when I'll do that because, again, I'm playing Dragon Quest. You know, a lot, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Dragon Quest on 3DS and no Dragon Quest on the Game Boy Advance, which is worth noting. Uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, that was. Uh, what was even what were, what number were they on in like two thousand one? I don't even know. But I I, yeah. I just remember like literally the first thing I did when we decided we were going to do this episode to see what Dragon Quest games were on the Game Boy Advance and finding <laughs> out there were none was both like a blessing and a curse for me. It was like, oh, okay, this is actually sure. probably for the best. <laughs> So what's number nine for you? Oh, yeah. I forgot we were on me. Um, this this one is actually really interesting. So I don't know what your deal was. I don't I don't know, like, how you went about putting your list together uh, in, in this regard specifically. The story of, like, the Game Boy Advance is the story of, like, duality in a weird way where there was yeah. always, like, one game and then its sequel or one game and then they made another game in that engine. Um, as we were just talking about with, like, the, you know, Gen 3 Pokemon and then Fire Red and Leaf Green, like, whenever I ran into those scenarios, I would pick one that would, like, represent the franchise. That's what I did. Which yeah. I imagine is what you did as well. For the longest time, WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games was on my list at number nine. It's the first WarioWare game. It comes out of the gate just being fucking incredible. It's like short. There's not like a lot going on there, but it is such a good proof of concept. I mean, it is like... They nailed it from the very, very beginning. WarioWare, for those of you who don't know, is, you know, just a collection of mini games. They last like maybe three seconds maximum, sometimes even shorter. The better you get at them, the, the shorter they are. Um, and they're literally just like you need to press a button at the right time. You need to press the D-pad in a certain way to do certain things. Um, the first one is amazing. Literally last week. I went to uh, I, I went to a retro game store in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Video Games. Shout out to you. Um, I had seen it on Instagram for a long time and I wanted to go check it out and see what they had because I, I wanted to take some of the games that are in my top 10 and like buy the physical cartridges for them. Some of the games that I've been emulating, I wanted to get physically just as like mementos in a way uh, for doing this episode. And when I went there and looked at their Game Boy Advance collection, one of the ones that was there that I told myself I wouldn't play unless I had it on the original hardware was WarioWare Twisted, which was a game that has like an extended Game Boy Advance cartridge because it's a gyroscope and a rumble pack built into it. And I picked it up, A, because I wanted to support the store and B, because, you know, I, I wanted to play that game and see what it was like as a comparison point to Mega Micro Games. And I could say this about pretty much every game in my top 10. This game made me like yell out loud, like shout in joy, like actually exclaim like for real, like, yeah. like yell shit in real life alone in my office, like in my <laughs> empty apartment, like yelling out loud about how much I loved it. WarioWare Twisted is like, if, if Mega Micro Games is a proof of concept, like this is where it really came into its own. And this has kind of been where the franchise has been at ever since is like every game has kind of taken one thing and said like, we're really gonna like hone in on this specific stuff. You know, you have you have it on on the DS version with uh, the touch the touchscreen. They do amazing things with the touchscreen in that version of WarioWare. 
The most recent one that they just announced for the Switch uh, involves... Uh, so like, excited for that. Yeah, Get it, invo- it together. Yeah. It's called Get It Together. It involves multiplayer. You know, it's the first time that you, you get to do these mini games with somebody else. You have to cooperate with somebody else. It's going to be a really good experience. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be a great game. Uh, yeah. WarioWare Twisted, just the act of adding a gyroscope. There are no button inputs. You do everything with the gyroscope specifically. Oh, fun. Um, turning the whole console you know playing this on the original hardware turning the whole console to to play these games literally had me yelling at the top of my lungs it is such a fun game i'm actually i i replaced mega micro games with this at number nine i honestly think like given more time with it again i just picked it up this week it probably would have gone even higher but but this game is fucking unreal i don't know if there's a way to emulate it it's possible that there is but i don't think you would have the same experience if you didn't have it on the original hardware and that's you know just another added to the list of bummers (laughs) for nintendo not backing up their own library you know this game would be so easy to port to the switch the switch has a gyroscope built in like you could put this on the switch eShop. people could download it have a great time have as great a time as i'm having currently but unfortunately you know you have to go to a retro game store and buy it for like almost a hundred dollars like that's the only way to play warrior twisted right now and that sucks I'm very like glad and fortunate that I was able to have that experience. And and if you can also have that experience or if you have an emotional attachment because you played this game when it came out, which I did not, I, I'm, I'm, I think that you should seek it out or I think that you should cherish those memories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love this series so much. WarioWare was another one that I was like worried would be nostalgia and so wasn't. I'll yeah. talk about it more later because cool. I didn't I wasn't able to get twisted, sadly, but I did play a lot of uh micro or mega micro games yeah the first one so more on that later but yeah this series i'm just so glad they're add that to the weird cosmic uh events happening yeah they're bringing a new warrior for the first time since what smooth moves on the wii yeah, man i don't even know it's been a long time was there a wii u one maybe i'm not even really sure honestly smooth moves was great that was a really fun smooth early moves wii title yeah yeah but anyway um more more on warrior later but i'm so glad you got twisted and uh you know maybe one day if we can just secret that into reality you can get it on the e-store yeah i but, honestly uh, steven like for real i think when i'm done with it i'm just gonna give you the cartridge so you can play it too <laughs> like i just i nice think you, you should play it we should just pass we can like every few months we'll give twisted to another friend that's <laughs> a good idea <laughs> yeah the sisterhood of the traveling warrior wear twisted cartridge <laughs> that's actually number eight for me <laughs> <laughs> Is it my turn now? Are we on eight? It is your turn, and it is number eight. Oh my god. Okay, so this is a new one. This is one that um not only have I not played this game, I haven't played any games in this series before. Whoa. So it's very exciting. Number eight for me is Harvest Moon, more friends of Mineral Town. Ah. It's <laughs> It's here. Uh, man. Okay. I had a so, feeling this was going to make your list based on how often you told me about you playing it. Yeah. So I'll be honest. When I first... Uh, so this is another game that I would say does not emulate well. I actually did buy the cartridge because for whatever reason, the ROM I had was like like kind of weird graphically. And also, um, you can really tell they were like maxing out like the button inputs for the Game Boy Advance for yeah, this man. game because they're like, <laughs> hold select NL to pull up the map. And like, I'm constantly, just like Stardew Valley, which more on that in a second, I'm constantly giving people like copper by accident, you know, yeah, because yeah, I'm like yeah, carrying yeah. over my head. But anyway... Um, um, 
I did buy the cartridge and I'm so glad I did. Uh, there was Friends of Mineral Town, which was the uh, first game in this yeah. the Game Boy Advance collection. And then More Friends was basically like, they tweaked some things here and there. So I, I just saw that like More Friends was higher rated and like people seem to like that one more. So I got More Friends. Yeah. But I imagine you can get either depending on what you want to do. I, I played uh, I, I played more of the first one, Friends of Mineral Town, and then went in and checked out More Friends of Mineral Town uh, just based on you talking about it. Uh, just to see the comparison points. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, got, I played it on rum and i was like i don't know this is like not running well i don't know if i can play more of this but i i was like i want to give this a fair shot because this type of game is very up my alley so i got the cartridge and then i played it for a bit longer and i was like i actually don't know this is for me like i did notice right away stardew valley like i knew stardew valley was a spiritual revival of old school harvest moon games but i didn't realize how one-to-one it was like that was my big surprise with yeah, this like yeah. the main character is a girl who's like uh you know tired of her office job moves to a farm the farm is in shambles there are weird kind of magical forest sprites that you appease that give you stuff yeah um there's you know a running clock a farming sim and that's not a bad thing i think stardew valley did an incredible job like bringing like what was good about the old series and like breathing new life into it and like really excelled in certain areas specifically like the relationships and the stories with the townspeople Stardew, stardew valley did become its own thing yeah yeah but it was just like kind of shocking to see and honestly like a lot of the game plays exactly like Stardew Valley. So yeah. like once I realized that, I was like, oh, I'm in. This is this is a game I put more time into in the past few weeks. And like I will say this, it has a, it has an even slower start than Stardew Valley. Cause like for the first week, like I didn't even have anything to sell. Like I was so poor. Yeah. I couldn't buy seeds. They literally tell you just pick shit up off the ground and sell it. Like they're like, that's the only way you're gonna make money right now. Cause this farm is uninhabitable. Yeah, there's a friendly muscular man who comes buy a five every day and he's like what you don't have anything to sell get chickens they can lay eggs i'm like yeah dude they cost 1500 gold i don't have anything (laughs) but once you like get going i would say once you like start to like like i now have three chickens i have a horse i have a little farm same thing with Stardew valley you can like fish you can mine there are like a lot of different outlets for how you generate revenue and also same thing there are townspeople who you can meet and befriend and eventually marry and start a family with and they all have like seeming out of nowhere like cutscenes where they go into this story a little bit yeah i haven't had as narratively rich of an experience yet but there are definitely no pun intended like seeds being planted of intrigue where like there's this kid who just hangs out at the church all day and is really shy and like like the main character he moved to town with like no plan but like he doesn't have a farm to work on so he just hangs out in the church and like is scared of people so i'm like i'm gonna give this guy chocolates wrapped in gift wrap every day and see what happens maybe we'll get married maybe we'll become friends whatever yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you know Stardew Valley, I don't have to pitch it too much, but I really found myself falling in love with this game as the like loop started happening and as I was able to like, okay, I'm going to like pet my dog, I'm going to pet my horse, I'm going to check on the chickens, run to town. I know where things are now, mm-hmm. so I know like where to go and like I'm always pleasantly surprised at what's happening. It moves a little faster than Stardew Valley. The clock like ticks down like real quick. Yeah. So I find myself like running to give presents to uninterested villagers like throughout most of the day. But uh, I, I really love the presentation. Like the look of the game is beautiful. If you're playing it on the actual Game Boy Advance, the controls like 
still takes some getting used to. Like there's like a B, <laughs> how to give items and how to throw them away resulted in me like throwing away a lot of expensive gifts, which like was infuriating. Yeah. But I, I really loved it. And I, I definitely, this is one of the games that like I will probably keep playing after this episode. Yeah. Just because I think that like, like any game like this, the appeal is not in the first few hours, but it's in what you build for yourself. And I'm already seeing like that take shape in a way that's really exciting. Mm. Um, so I, there is also story of seasons, I believe is like the modern rebranding of the Stardew Valley games. And there is a switch remake of this game. There's Harvest a story Moon, yeah. of seasons, friends in mineral town yeah. that I've heard. Like that seems to be like, cause story of seasons is kind of divisive. There are some people who like really stand by and some that feel like I, I prefer the Stardew Valley approach, but the mineral town remake seems to be kind of the middle ground so like worth checking out if you're curious and this is too hard to come by but i would highly recommend this to any fan of like that genre of like stardew valley animal crossing type game i had a great time with it absolutely yeah so this was number 20 on my list but again (laughs) again this is Uh, a a list of 70 something games that we played you know and and like thousands of game boy advance games like number 20 is still like pretty high up there yeah I I really enjoyed this game in that it literally just gave me what I liked about Stardew Valley. Um and and that was kind of where my enjoyment of it like ended cuz like as you were saying the the control inputs are a little wild. Like if you've ever played Stardew Valley, imagine trying to play Stardew Valley with only six buttons and a D-pad. Like it's <laughs> pretty difficult. Um yeah. and they really cram like everything that you can do in Stardew Valley for the most part is is possible in Harvest Moon on the Game Boy Advance. And and it really just is about like button combos and like needing to equip and unequip items. And I found that instead of my experience with Stardew Valley, which was like you get into this kind of like lulled rhythm with that game, you know, like the the uh, limitations that they give you are actually just something that kind of um, gets you more in the in the pace of what. Uh, who's the developer concerned ape wants you to get into, you know, harvest moon was more like me bumping up against that control scheme. It wasn't, it wasn't like I'm learning this. It's like, I'm fighting against this in, in an attempt to enjoy it. That said, I still had a really good time with it anyway, because it is just like stardew Valley shrunk down to a game boy advance cartridge, which is fucking miraculous. Um, you know, and, and I know it's weird to be talking about it in that way. Like, Oh, this is stardew Valley on the game boy advance instead of stardew Valley is harvest moon, but for PC, (laughs) but you know, it's 2021 and and these things are all related at this point. Um, Stardew Valley exists because harvest moon eventually started deviating away from what you and I just played on the game boy advance. And, and I think that like these two are in conversation with one another. And for me at the end of the day, as much as I enjoyed this, it did just made me want to play Stardew Valley again. Uh, Mm. that's kind of where I landed at the end of the day. I do know some people who like swear by story of seasons, as you were just saying, um, shout out to my friends, Caroline Nesteban, who I know played, uh, the the like friends of mineral town kind of thing on the switch and like love it love it like yeah. more than stardew valley like this is like that's like their game and I, I think that that's really wonderful that it exists in that respect you know the fact that like you know it's not nintendo going after it but like at least there's like another company that's like trying to do that and trying to like take this franchise into the future especially considering stardew valley stole their thunder you know like saying like no no no, it's us we were the ones who did it first um i think i think is like great um you know stardew yeah. valley pushing that franchise into the future 
is a net positive for everyone who plays video games regardless, you know? Um, totally. So, yeah, I, really, really wonderful games. Um, I, I had a good time with them. I think I will probably check out that Story of Seasons remake, like, for the show one day. I think I might pick it up if it's, like, on sale or something. Dude, it's so... It's, like, unbearably cute. I watched I yeah. watched my friends play it for a couple hours, and just... Uh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out one day. But, yeah, I, I loved More Friends in Mineral Town. Highly recommend. Um, and that that is the one to play of the two of them. I, I yeah. learned pretty quickly. Um, have, I, having put more time into Friends of Mineral Town, more Friends of Mineral Town is the one to play. Anyway. Number eight for me. Could not believe. Again, this is this is one that kind of like rides on the line of being allowed or not allowed, but it definitely is allowed. Uh, I've seen this on a lot of people's lists who also had the same limitations that you and I had. Uh, and it's Gunstar Superheroes, which is oh yeah, which is a remake of Gunstar Heroes. I think for the Sega CD or maybe Saturn or maybe Genesis. I'm not really sure which one. It was a Sega game, but it's on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, this is by a company called Treasure who really, 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 I don't know if they're still around, but they really made a name for themselves in the Game Boy Advance era by making games pretty much exactly like this. They're essentially just shoot 'em ups They're like run and gun shoot 'em ups Imagine like a metal slug adjacent thing, but not in the like, not in the glorifying fucking Vietnam like art style, <laughs> you know? Um, Gunstar yeah. Superheroes is much more adjacent to like kind of a sci-fi like shooting robots, like weird kind of like space combat, uh, but you know, on Earth situation. Um, honestly, this is just what I want for Mega Man every time I play Mega Man. Um, mm. Treasure specifically, uh, I, I think a lot of the, the game that a lot of people would point to when talking about the stuff that they made for the Game Boy Advance would point to Astro Boy Omega Factor, which is also incredible, was number 14 on my list. It's just like a spectacular game. I have no like love really or like nostalgia for Astro Boy as a franchise. Uh, this game was like really my only interaction with you know Astro Boy, but I was really blown away by it, which eventually led me to checking out Gunstar Superheroes, which is like a riot. Like <laughs> that yeah. game is even in 2021 is so fucking like current Fast to the Furious nonsense. Yes. At all times. <laughs> The, the even the first level is just like okay so when you hold down the shoot button it's just explosions <laughs> all over the screen yeah. the whole no one stands a chance fighting against you in gunstar superheroes it you just run and decimate everyone like you just yeah eradicate the entire enemy force it is so fun and stupid the next level, like immediately the next level, like level two of Gunstar Superheroes is your magnet. You have magnet boots and you're attached to a plane. And instead of running left and right, you you do a barrel roll with the entire plane and there are enemy ships flying towards you in 3D space and you have to barrel roll in a circle around the playing field and shoot them with the shoot 'em up controls simultaneously with all the weapons you've unlocked and uh, like again just like Warrior Wear Twisted like yelling like there's no yeah. way that this game could be so ambitious and so fun still to this day blown the fuck away by Gunstar Superheroes this is uh, like of everything on my list like again it's number eight but this is the one that i'm like most excited to talk about 
because I had never heard of it until we started doing this. And I saw it like towards the top of a lot of people's lists. I was so curious as to why. I think even on the besties recently, Griffin McElroy recently mentioned it because he also strangely picked up all the Ambernick like emulation devices. And I think specifically to play Gunstar Superheroes. And I was like, what is this game? Holy shit, it is ridiculous. Like, if yeah. you've never heard of this, go pick this up. The Game Boy Advance one, I went back and played the original. The Game Boy Advance one is the one to play also. They add a bunch of shit to it. Just a ridiculously good game. So dumb. <laughs> so dumb. And so fun. I also played I think I only got to the second or third level. I think you're right that, like, it's so impressive what they do with perspective. Like, We've mentioned this already that like it's hard to pull off certain perspectives on the Game Boy Advance and yes. like they've not only mastered it but are constantly just flaunting it in new directions. Yeah. This is the kind of game where if I was on a Jersey Shore boardwalk, I would waste all my quarters playing this. You know, like I would not even waste. Yeah, I would man. earn I would spend my hard earned coins on <laughs> Gunstar Superheroes. You would earn memories playing Gunstar yeah. Superheroes on the boardwalk. Yeah, I also really enjoyed this. I don't know quite what it was that made me less enthusiastic for it. But like for all the reasons you're praising it, I would uh, totally agree. I think it really just boils down to how much you like this kind of game. Yeah. Um, Which I, I don't. And that's again, the thing yeah. is like, I, this is not like my style of game, um, but the way treasure is able to pull it off on the Game Boy Advance specifically, yeah. like really worked for me. Both Astro yeah. Boy and Gunstar Superheroes are like wildly good, wildly ambitious, even to this day, you know, like again, we didn't make our list based on like what's impressive on on the hardware but like if you release gunstar superheroes right now it would still be praised the exact yeah, same way totally because this is still a sought after art style and the way they handle it with the momentum of the game is like really shocking yeah yeah that's awesome i'm glad it made your list <laughs> it's fucking wild man. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love this game if this is how you feel at eight, we're in for a treat. I've been, I've been like bursting out of the seams to talk about gunstar <laughs> superheroes for like over two months I guess it, are, are we on seven now for me? We're on seven. Unless yeah. you have more to say about Gunstar. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Just go play it. Honestly, I could hear you talk all day about that. That was a very <laughs> infectious aura. I loved it. Anyway, number seven for me will be quick because we kind of touched on it already. But seven was WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I'll say this, though, because I think like... As I referred to earlier, this was one that I played a lot as a kid. I also like this is one of the games where like if you say Game Boy Advance alongside like Golden Sun, people think of this game. I think it really kind of was like a if like Mario 64 was was like the launch of N64 and Luigi's Mansion was GameCube. WarioWare was the Game Boy Advance, like even more esoteric than Luigi's Mansion. Mm hmm. Um, like if you're a really weird kid, here's your launch title. <laughs> I just think it's so like I, I imagine if I played Twisted, I probably would have gone with that one, too. But I think with the first one, like this is so hard to do. Like yeah. doing this show, like I, I, I don't know if I could like really put thoughts into words about like what makes good game design. I can speak to my experience with the game. But, you know, existentially, I don't know if I have like the verbiage, but I can't imagine it's like anywhere. Uh, it, it is next to impossible to be like, OK, this whole game is a collection of five second mini games where we have to tell you what to do. And immediately you'll know what to do. Yes. Even though we're giving you no direction. We're not saying sometimes you'll get a button prompt, but usually not. Usually be like crawl. And there's like a baby on a log. Yeah. Yeah. Wario will yell. 
breathe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what makes this game so special is like it really feels like if Nintendo and Tim and Eric fused. Like it has such a weird like beyond like there's one every like it, it's very arcadey and that's what i forgot about it and that's what i really liked this time where yeah. like the poll for me was like i want to beat my top score like i can definitely beat 39 for for wario stage or for cat stage yeah and every character such fun characters too that like, immediately want to know more what their deal was and i love that they all come back in every game like, like yeah they, they knew that those characters were great from go yeah exactly um and everyone has a different theme my favorite is the weird scientist whose theme is reality and like every level will have like between five second mini games, there will be like a a screen of like some scene like they're all going through their own story and there's something happening where like you'll have a visual counter of what how many games you've done. You'll have four lives and then it'll show like how fast everything is going. So, you know, in between five second games, it will cut to that screen. And for the scientist, it's just a toilet and four <laughs> rolls of toilet paper. And his theme is reality and everything is using like real images of like steak and like faces. And it's so unsettling, but so much fun. I also really like the nature stage because it has this sort of like, like uh feel Japan, like paper doors opening each time mm-hmm. you do a level. And that's the thing too, is like, again, uh, we didn't rank these on like graphics or anything but this game is weirdly beautiful for as weird as it is yeah and as like like there's one especially the the two dogs who are cab drivers um their theme is sci-fi their like level is just like the inside of a cab in the city when it's raining i'm so glad you brought this up this was exactly what i was gonna bring yeah. up about this game the windshield wiper is hitting the rain like your view of a city through both like the rain on the on the window and the wipe it's like stunning like it, it, yeah. it it's like seared into my memory and like the fact that this game goes all out on the little details like that where it could have just been like here's a collection of mini games you know whatever it could have been like yeah. a very light affair but they like went so all out in areas they did not even need to go <laughs> at all for yeah that, I think that's why the series has remained so beloved and like it's just a, it's just a flex of good game design especially when you have a character nine vault whose whole theme is nintendo games yeah it's like nintendo being like how can we like you said with mario cart uh on the game boy Advance being like the bare bones idea this is yeah okay keep going this is exactly the point i was about to make yeah it's like how do we reduce every nintendo ip to five seconds and have you know what to do and what the game is yeah the fact that you know mario is the jumping on the first goomba zelda is going into the first dungeon mm-hmm. uh, and samus is shooting ridley or mother brain uh in in the tank I think it's Mother Brain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a new Metroid fan, sorry. <laughs> um, this game is just so impressive, and I think it's so synonymous with this era, and I, I'm really glad they're bringing it back, because I think this is like, we've mentioned how Nintendo, you know, we're very critical of Nintendo sometimes, but we obviously love the games they make, and like, when they take chances, it leads to stuff like this, and I, I hope that we get, like, the weirdest thing since WarioWare is Miitopia, which no shade on that game, but like, you know, I, I, I think there's it's like lightning in a bottle you know it's like yeah this game should not have been as good as it is in fact it's like maybe one of the best games in the nintendo library and started a whole series that like because honestly my worry going into uh mega micro games is like do i prefer it as a multiplayer experience because i had such a great time with smooth moves yeah. that i'm like how does it feel just playing single player like who plays mario party single player you mm-hmm. know yeah but i i was blown away still it, it's so good and i imagine you know, Twisted is just as right up there with this one, but both are incredible games. And I, I'm really happy to see the series being brought back. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think um, just in the same way that Mario Kart Super Circuit made my list because it's like, okay, here's just like the bare bones uh, mechanics of Mario Kart, but, you know, on the Game Boy Advance and they still work and they're still really wonderful. The first WarioWare is that, you know, like the first WarioWare compared to all the other ones, like you could go back and play the first WarioWare and have just as much fun with every other WarioWare game that you've had before. Re- just every every game is like a 10 out of 10 as long as the the mini game quality and and the like the focus on making them so immediately learnable is there like you're gonna have a hit and then all that interstitial stuff that you're referring to all the all the things that they use to link those mini games together is like weirdly more core to the franchise than the mini games themselves to some instances like that's yeah. really like that that presentation is the reason that it has stuck around for such a long time especially compared to like other companies who have tried to make warrior adjacent things like other companies have tried to make games like this and haven't succeeded really warrior has lost staying power because they just like get it and they got it from the f- from the first one uh and and they've never lost it yeah and and honestly like as soon as the switch came out and they showed off hd rumble and everything like i remember in the what was that 2016 when they announced the switch 2017 when they announced the switch i remember in the moment everybody being like this is going to be the perfect handheld for wario this is like there's never been a more perfect nintendo console for a WarioWare game and it's taken so long for them to come back and i'm yeah. so excited for that to happen but we'll talk more about that during the e3 episode yeah get it together is going to be great yeah. But yeah um I, I'm just so glad that like my love for the series has grown even stronger yeah. and, and revisiting it. Yeah. Um, so that was seven for me. Okay, this is this is a big one for me. Uh, I mean, we're getting towards like big ones, I guess, in yeah, general. Yeah, we're getting towards top five, yeah. But th- th- this specifically is a big one for me because um, I, I went into this I'll just I'll just say right off the top. This is a Metroid game. Um, I went into this growing up with the Game Boy Advance, loving Metroid. Um, I I, this is how I became a fan of that franchise. Uh, I played Zero Mission and Fusion and I really like them both. And I went into this expecting Zero Mission to like be the one for me uh, because that was the one for me when I was a kid. And there are some things about Fusion, and especially in the conversation about Fusion, that I knew I was going to bump up against that I wasn't going to like as much as Zero Mission. And the the shocking twist for me in the course of doing this episode um, is that Metroid Fusion like was the one. So like number seven for me is Metroid Fusion. I I really expected it to be Zero Mission, but Fusion is just a a fucking ridiculous video game. Um, Yeah. So I I, I just want to like be very clear about why this was kind of like a back and forth decision for me. There is an idea of what Metroid is, especially amongst like hardcore fans of this franchise. I think a lot of Metroid comes down to a, a, you know, the classic shit. It's like you picking up the powers in a certain order. You're going and unlocking new parts of the map. Uh, You have to keep track of where you're going, where you've been finding secrets in different places. But really, at the end of the day, it all comes down to atmosphere. It all comes down to how well does it evoke this vibe that you are by yourself in this like kind of like tense and scary place. And you need to, through your own like wit and deduction in a weird way, make your way through it 
fight these threats that are greater than you and survive at the end of the day. That's what Metroid's all about. Uh, and, and, and that is why Zero Mission, for me, for the longest time, was like the Metroid game. I've played all of the, I've played all of them at this point. Um, and Zero Mission always was my favorite Metroid game. Um, you know, I went back, I played Super Metroid, I played all the Prime games. Like, I, I like this franchise a whole lot. The thing about Fusion that, I, that always held me back on it was like, they bail on atmosphere. They they bail on creating atmosphere and instead they create tension. They push atmosphere just one notch past being atmosphere and it just becomes tension and horror. And I bumped up against that for years and years and years and years and years. And in a lot of the conversation about this game, that's one of the things that comes up. And the other thing is that there's a linearity to this game because there's more of a focus on narrative than there ever has been before. This is Metroid 4, it's worth mentioning. This is like canonically metroid 4 metroid fusion is the name of it this was them taking a huge risk uh just to like get into the story very very bare bones like i'll I'll, i won't like spoil it or whatever uh but you end up on this place that there's a a a, like a being called x it's kind of like a virus in a way it's like a kind of like a, a sentient parasite virus yeah and it essentially leads the way towards an antagonist in the game that's referred to as sax which is essentially like a carbon copy of you it's like a clone of you with these like horrifying dead lifeless eyes that is hunting you throughout your experience playing the game and sax can show up pretty much at any time um there are like obviously scripted narrative moments where sax shows up and you need to run away there are moments where like you and sax are separated by a wall or whatever where like it it can't find you but like you know it's there and it's always mortifying in those moments it's like i'm fucked because sax is you with all of your powers as you are trying to re uh reacquire all of your powers all your different moves all your different like weapons and whatever sax has all of it it took all of that from you and it's using them against you to hunt you down it is a better bounty hunter than you are and that is really scary i always bumped up against this game because i was like that's not what metroid is metroid isn't narrative it's not horror it's just atmosphere and 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 uh and and exploration what i have kind of come to realize in the replaying of fusion and i finished it i finished both zero mission and fusion for this episode it is that this this is not a deviation from metroid this is an evolution of metroid like this is where this franchise should go and it's wild to like i've i came to all these realizations like two months ago and seeing the nintendo director they announced metroid 5 unbelievable and 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 they're just like actually that's just gonna be the vibe in in like mainline metroid games going forward Uh, without getting too into it metroid 5 is called dread it's about literally seven robots who are chasing you the exact way sax is it's all about horror it's all about escape it's all about feeling helpless at all times um, that's never been what Metroid is until Fusion. And and in replaying Fusion, I just kind of came to this realization that like this is a fucking masterpiece. Like this game is unbelievable um, and, and is the blueprint for what Metroid I think should be going forward. They tried doing similar things in the Prime games. I won't really get into the Prime games. I have to assume it's been rumored for so long. In the same way Dread, Metroid Dread has been rumored for 15 years. A Metroid Prime collection for the, for the Switch has been rumored since the Switch was <laughs> announced pretty much. 
I have to imagine it's in the works. I have to imagine it's coming in some capacity. Um, and when that happens, I'll talk more about how I feel about those games. But as much as I like the Prime games, it's always been about the 2D Metroids for me. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and I, I did not have a bigger surprise in preparing for this episode than my love of Metroid Fusion compared to Zero Mission. I liked Zero Mission a lot. Like, I, I think it's a really, totally, really yeah. wonderful game. And if you've never played Metroid before, like, I, I really still to this day think that's the one to start with. I agree. Play that one and then Super Metroid and then play Fusion, I think, personally, would be my, like, you know, uh, crash course in understanding why Metroid's a good franchise. But but Fusion is just spectacular. It's really ridiculous. I guess this would be a good time to reveal that one of my honorable mentions was Zero Mission in a yeah. similar vein, uh, because, th- again, there are a lot of, like, doubles where it's like, okay, just to make sure my list isn't, like, half two series, I want to choose one to represent it. Yeah. I will talk about Metroid Fusion again later, but I will say that it's funny because I've had almost, like, the same conclusions from the opposite experience where I played a little bit of Metroid Prime 3 when it came out, and then, like, mm. that's all I had knowledge of. Yeah. Which feels like playing Mass Effect 3 on the Wii U and nothing else in terms of, like, <laughs> entry points. Yeah. But Fusion was my first, like, proper, I'm going to sit down and play Metroid experience. And uh, I, I I agree. I adore this game. And I'll say more about it later. But yeah. it, it is it is so cool to see that they're following up on this exact vibe of Metroid. Not that I think, I agree that, like, one isn't inherently better than the other, but I think that, like, because this genre has become so oversaturated, yeah. I think that if Metroid wants to continue to exist, it needs to do something unique to itself yes in which case like go with the fusion vibe because i have not seen that in any game like this <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll talk more about that later because I, I have some things to say but uh yeah I will. Yeah. I will say I saw an interesting tweet like literally last night, like right before I went to bed, I think from Jeff Grubb, who was linking to a forum post somewhere. I don't know where, but it raised a question. It was just like a conversation on this forum that was um, in the in the phrase Metroidvania. Are we giving too much credit to Castlevania? Um, <laughs> and huh. and weirdly in playing Aria of Sorrow and Zero Mission and Fusion, like I'm kind of feeling that a little bit. Um, I, I kind of lean more towards like I think. You know, they're they're doing different things. I think like the thing that Castlevania brought to the brought to that genre, if, if you're comfortable calling it a genre, some people are not. I've seen that. But if you're comfortable calling that a genre, the thing that Castlevania brings to it is the RPG elements. Right. Absolutely. Everything else. I think I you could attribute to like Metroid one, like the original Metroid. And and I, I think fusion specifically is this really interesting evolution of that genre towards like where you're seeing other other um, like indie games specifically like pulling from uh, really and not even indie games, even games like Dark Souls that are like, you know, loosely Metroidvania adjacent games like they're pulling from the feelings that you that are evoked via the Metroid games um, and kind of exploiting them in new ways, new and interesting ways. It's it's I, I love the genre. I think it's incredible. Like if you say Metroidvania, if it's like listed anywhere in your in your game's copy, like I'm going to probably check it out. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I couldn't believe how good Metroid Fusion was. Um, and again, it's number seven. So like there's a lot of games uh, above it. But uh, man, really good video game. Yeah, it, it's incredible. I will have more to say later. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it again number six for me is that where we're at number six number six so i I chose this one to kind of represent the whole generation you'll see what i mean in a second number six is pokemon emerald yeah i think it's it's hard to 
rate Pokemon games because it's like such an obvious choice that you want to write it off. But like, yeah. And I also my <laughs> the crux of my Emerald experience was doing my Nuzlocke. So it was a very specific <laughs> experience. But we talked about Emerald and we talked about Gen 3 on the show. We had done a bonus episode about Crystal, uh, which is the second generation of Pokemon. And yeah. like, I think that's still our favorite. But Gen 3 is like right second to that for me. Um, and I think largely, and this is the reason why I think uh, you were more critical of Fire Red and Leaf Green, is that like the presentation of this game of, of, of Pokemon Emerald is so good. And it really is like the definitive old school Pokemon look for me. So many moments when I was streaming the Nuzlocke, which is all available on our YouTube if you want to watch 40 hours of my uh, <laughs> Nuzlocke experience. I shared the whole thing. There yeah. was one time I grinded off stream and then the next session was our last one. So <laughs> I, I, that, I think that's a bad omen. I want to share the whole thing yeah. next time I do it. But a lot of moments I'm like, oh my God, like I can see my reflection in the water. There are a lot of really iconic locations in third gen. There's a very heavy emphasis on like nature in that generation, both like mountains and volcanoes and also the ocean. The reason it's not top five is just because I think the latter half of the game is a bit of a lag. Like you are spending a lot of time surfing in just the ocean and seeing Whalmer like over and over again. Yeah. Which I like Wilmer, but I feel like the first five gyms is like, oh my God, this is like the quintessential Pokemon experience. Like hit after hit after hit, cool designs in the new Pokemon. The combat's been tweaked in a way that's interesting. Double battles are here. So it kind of gets a little bit stretched out towards the end, but I still had an incredible time and like we'll probably replay this one alongside my other favorites. Like I think this is definitely one of the strongest games in a series that I really love. So I had to give it, I think six was a perfect place for it. Mm. Um, so that's Pokemon Emeralds. I'm going to talk about it again, and I'm not going to say anything right now. <laughs> Pokemon is like always flirting with top five for us. You know, it's like it yeah. can't it, it just means too much to both of us. So, but yeah, I would I would really recommend third gen like, you know, and again, I think I think the ones to play are you can sub out Ruby or Sapphire here if you like really are like prefer Team Aqua or Magma, <laughs> but em Emerald you get both. And it's sort of like the, you know, it's it's the crystal of third gen. So I just thought that would be the one to be the placeholder. Yeah, I, I will. I will say, as I said, in I think our crystal bonus, I was always a person who played whatever the like the first version was. So I played red and blue and then, you know, tried playing yellow later, but never made it all the way through because it was so recent that I had just finished blue version for example i picked up crystal when it came out but you know again it was so recent that i just finished silver same exact thing with emerald and ruby and sapphire um same exact thing with it just rinse repeat through like literally the entire uh franchise of pokemon um and it's been interesting on this show specifically being able to like actually play whatever that third quote-unquote definitive version was i think crystal playing that for the bonus really opened my eyes to like why the third version is so special to so many people and uh and emerald was no different for me uh I, yeah i'm excited to talk about it again i think with all the third i'm glad actually with sword and shield i didn't play the dlc but i'm glad they just made that dlc rather than releasing the same game because like once you're doing ultra sun like something's got to change you know like yeah big moon and and giant sun like come on uh, uh, my but, my guy, I still to this day don't know the differences between Ultra Sun and Moon versus regular Sun and Moon. Right. But I think when you're looking back, when you're like, okay, which one do I pick up now? Yeah. I feel like it's usually the third one, with the exception of Yellow, because Yellow was like different. It was trying to be like the show rather than like, yes. you know, Red and Blue. Although they did fix a lot of the bugs from Red and Blue, but I still think like, you know, 
it's a different experience. Yeah. If, if you're a person who hasn't played any of those games, uh, just always get whatever that definitive third version is. It's generally the move. Yeah. Anyway, that's Pokemon Emerald. I'm pumped for a brilliant diamond, shining pearl, and uh, overwhelmingly buoyant emerald. Or no, what, what is a uh, platinum? <laughs> platinum. Yeah. Unparalleled platinum. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Got some... Uh, Game Freak, pay us money. Pay us money, Game Freak. We'll talk more about Drill Dozer and Pocket Card <laughs> Jockey. <laughs> Pokemon Emerald, Drill Dozer. <laughs> on six for you yeah we are uh okay. number six for me was oh, God, i'm so nervous uh the capcom game the legend of zelda the minish cap oh hell yeah cool this is a game that i have the original cartridge of played on original hardware for uh this episode you know i, I had my copy from when i was a kid it was maybe actually the first zelda game i ever played weirdly oh, looking wow. back I, I was trying to think about this but like I always attribute Twilight Princess as my first Zelda game because that was like I, I got the Wii the day it came out and Twilight Princess came out uh, at launch with the Wii. And that's the one I always think about. But I have a cartridge for Minish Cap, so I guess technically that's the first one. The wild thing, again, as I already mentioned, is that this game is by Capcom. I mean, this is not, you know, by Nintendo proper. And uh, they fucking nailed it. Even even having played I guess every Zelda game, with the exception of A Link to the Past, which you and I are in the middle of playing uh, for our bonus episode this month, but I've played pretty much every Zelda game, uh, at, at least for a couple hours here and there. I have a pretty good idea of what works and doesn't work in this franchise, and uh, you can very much tell that the people at Capcom who put this one together also have a very good idea of what yeah. worked and what didn't. Um, this game is really, really, really good. And and the thing about it that like bums me out, I think, is that it, it kind of gets lost in the conversation about the 2D Zelda game specifically totally. yeah um, absolutely first of all the sprite work here is ridiculous i mean it, it is we talked about it a little bit in an episode i think right um we brought it up yeah yeah it, it is a stunning game and i think even like i you know i played on the original hardware but i did throw it in an emulator and put it like on a tv just to like look at it like real big for a second just to see like you could port this game to the switch without changing a single thing it would still look incredible it it is a beautiful beautiful game but even more than that, it is like an incredible Zelda game and beats out some of the other top down Zelda games that I've played uh, in, in my life. I mean, it beats out like the, the DS ones, for example. Uh, the, oh, well, the, that's yeah. Most games beat out the DS. Ones. Yeah. But like <laughs> even the original for the NES, like th this, this I think is like towards the top of my list for top down Zelda games. I um, agree. Just the act of shrinking and getting big is real good. Like, I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard before. If you've heard people talk about Minish Cap, I'm probably not even going to say anything that we we haven't already said in our episode about Minish Cap, but it is a game that deserves to be talked about alongside like the great Zelda games, specifically the great top down Zelda games. Like for me, I think it's like a link between worlds will always be number one for me. And then I think at this point, maybe Minish Cap is number two. Um, oh, wow. I, I was really, really, really blown away by it. Having finally had the chance to play more of it because even I loaded up my save from like when this game came out and like I didn't make it very far, yeah. <laughs> which I don't I don't know why that happened. I think I just bumped up against it. I mean, I I had a very different way of playing games. I, I had very different taste when I had a Game Boy Advance way back in the day. Um, I was playing a lot of the like fucking Shrek cart kinds of games, you know? Hell um, yeah. 
and uh, and finally giving Zelda Minish Cap its due, I, I really turned around on it. I, I think it's really spectacular. Um, is it on your list? Are you going to talk about it again? Oh, oh yeah. It okay, is. Great. I, I, I have a few quick things to say. I mean, I will talk about it more. Great. In a bit. Okay, good. I agree. I mean, I think this is like one of my favorite Zeldas, like without being too hyperbolic. Yeah. I loved the Oracle games. Those were ones I think actually shortly after our Crystal episode, I like went and bought a bunch of stuff on the take advantage of the 3ds store while it's active if you have a 3ds yes because you can buy a lot of stuff for like very cheap a lot of game boy advance games i think as well um but they had a lot of game boy color stuff and i picked up both oracle games and really love them and it's the same team uh capcom who did this in minish cap so i think you can kind of see like they're going for different things i i think that minish cap is definitely the stronger one but i think you can see like what they learned from the oracle games and then what they like already their strong knowledge of zelda because oracle games like by themselves are already like oh shit capcom knows how to make a good zelda game two zelda games with like a mass effect connection and almost Uh, a third one yeah and almost a third one uh minish cap is like it's both one of the best top-down zelda games and also you can see how they incorporated a lot of the 3d zelda energy both Mm -hmm. in like the personality of the villagers and like the design of the characters and also just the sense of verticality and place which can sometimes be hit or miss but is usually hit it's just so impressive to be like aware of like you know there's one point where you use your hat as like a parachute in the wind and like you're doing a top-down zelda with a mechanic that you could so clearly see in Ocarina or Majora's Mask where mm-hmm. like like the Deku flowers the same thing I will restrain myself and talk about this game more when it inevitably appears on my list yeah I'm I'm withholding some of the things I want to talk about because I just assumed it was on your list yeah but uh, there, there's some more stuff I want to talk about with this game too so we'll, we'll get to it but that was that was my number six that was number six. So I'll, I'll ask you this. It has been over an hour. Uh, do <laughs> we you should want, take a break. Yeah. Do you want to take a break and then do top five? I think we jinxed ourselves. We're like, this will be a breeze. And we're like, you know, hour one. Yeah. Halfway through. All right. Cool. All right. We'll be back with our individual top five. I think I might be setting us up again, but I think we could probably do our top fives in the show. Top five in the same section. We'll see. Um <laughs> Games of the Decade length <laughs> episode. See you Goodbye. soon. Top five. Oh my god. Here we are. The top five. Here we are. The top five. Yeah, are we in? You want to do this? We might be. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're about to go. Okay. Oh my God, it's me. All right. So I'm just gonna do it. Okay. Number five on this list of our. The thing is, it's like I feel like everything here is such high esteem that it becomes like more and more intimidating to go higher up. Um, but here we are, top five. Number five for me is Mother Three, uh, <laughs> a game. Yeah, <laughs> which we might differ on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I've never heard you laugh like that before. Yeah. It's a, a <laughs> mix <either>. of emotions. <laughs> New emotions being discovered on this episode. <laughs> Mother 3, uh, we did a whole bonus about it in March with our good friend Will, who's a longtime fan of the Mother series. 
And it's a game that we, I think, honestly, of all games we played for the show, that was completing Mother 3 was the first one that involved like actual crunch from us. <laughs> like we like finished like minutes before recording. The episode took a whole day and then it was time for bed. Uh, yeah. you know, not to make light of crunch or anything, but it was the first time we like rushed to finish a game. Yeah. And we had a lot of, uh, a lot of mixed emotions about the entire experience. If you want to hear our full thoughts on that listen to the episode but basically like mother three beloved game that was never localized in the u.s there's an excellent fan translation that we mentioned earlier in this episode that actually you you as a gift got me the cartridge that has the rom of the fan translation in it yeah so i got to play mother three via cartridge on a backlit kyle advance it's the dream i felt like i was doing something that i shouldn't be doing um (laughs) so mother three like you know we've communicated our our divisive feelings on there are elements of the gameplay that can be incredibly frustrating. There are elements of the narrative that are that are very off-putting and haven't aged well and just come across as uncharacteristically hateful given yeah. the game's otherwise very positive message. That being said, the highs of this game have stuck with me in a way that very few games do. And I can see why so many people have dedicated themselves to like keeping this game's memory alive and, you know, making fan-made strategy guides that have that sort of like official Nintendo feel to them. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are very few games that have sustained a cult following like this one. And I think it's because in its best moments, it really not only tells an incredibly heartbreaking and heartfelt story, but also showcases like what a game could do. And in looking at the library of this console, I can't think of any other game that tells a story that hits the notes this one does. Yeah. Um, there are great narrative games on this console, but I mean, in that bonus episode, you, Will, and myself talked about a scene that lasts maybe four seconds. It's just like a panning shot of the city for like an hour. Yeah. Like a, a passing moment that was meant to be impactful. It was definitely like that was supposed to be a big deal. But there are so many corners of this game, little moments that you could just run past that will stick with you for a lifetime. The the things this game tackles in its disturbingly accurate, but also cartoony portrayal of like the rise of fascism and the things people tell themselves to make that okay how people tackle grief not to mention like a really really fun presentation i mean incredible music uh you know the combat well unforgiving i did like i think that there's some cool stuff going on with like the system itself yeah and i think if i ever feel inclined to replay it i think i'll even think higher of it i think this is a game that weirdly as bumpy of a road we had i think i do want to revisit with like without the restraint of having to finish it by a deadline yeah i still think it's an incredible video game and for the narrative alone i I had to put it in my top five because i just think like when you talk about games as a storytelling device this is really high up there just in general never mind the game boy advance so yeah Yeah. that's why it is where it is that's the thing about mother three i think you know, and 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 Mother Three kind of opened my eyes to the way I wanted to go about putting my list together for this episode. You know, it's like Mother Three to this day is still like shocking and impactful and 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 just incredible all around. It's just it's just an incredible package uh, as a video game. And in playing it in 2021, I had this moment that was like, I can't be looking at the library of this console through the lens of like, what about this was cool when it came out? 
it has to be like what still works today. M- Mother 3 is a hugely impactful game and I, I'll talk about it again. Oh my God. Okay. I didn't even know it was going to make your list. Oh, Cause yeah. I think like of the three of us, you seem to have the roughest time with it, but I'm glad it did. Cause I think like it, it, it has kind of like when you, for those Chicago uh, listeners out there, when you do a shot of Malort, And it's like, it just like sticks with you. Maybe it's a bad analogy because it's kind of a negative experience. Some people like Malort. If if you are one of those people, I'll buy you a Game Boy Advance. Um, But uh, (laughs) it just, this game lingers with you in a way that I think yeah. How you think of it is is actually and it almost feels like it's by design because the way the game not, without spoiling the way the game's epilogue hints at the fact that you will probably never forget this time. Mm-hmm. And like that, it's almost like the memory of the game is like the intended end result. Yeah. With that being too meta. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful work for all its faults. I think it ends up overpowering what is not great about it. Very much. But anyway, we'll talk more about that later. Oh, my God. Okay, some other three. This is my fifth favorite Game Boy Advance game. (laughs) Fuck. Uh, cool. Number five <laughs> for me is uh, Mario Golf Advance Tour <laughs> by Camelot. Also a crushing narrative about tackling grief and the rise of fascism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mario rules the golf course with an iron fist uh, and you as a teenager need to rise up against him. Um, no, I look... Mario Golf Advance Tour. I mean, this is this is the benchmark now. You know, like th- to this day, Mario Golf Advance Tour is the benchmark for pretty much all and any sports RPGs, uh, yeah. which like wasn't even as much of a genre, or at least not as fully formed of a genre until this game came out. Even Camelot going and trying to replicate this formula with tennis on the Game Boy Advance does not work as well as it does in Mario Golf Advance Tour. It's such a clear lightning in a bottle scenario that like it's it's hard to match this game and it, and it's why people are so on edge and like iffy about the potential of Mario Golf Super Rush for the Nintendo Switch is like it's Camelot again and they're trying to recapture that magic and like can they is the big question what I found with Mario Golf Advance Tour is, you know, I, I don't have like a huge affinity for golf games. Like I'm not like a huge like golf game fan. I like I liked everybody's golf a lot. I like clap hands golf on iOS. It's like weirdly one of the best games that came out this year. <laughs> golf story. Yeah. Golf story is wonderful. You know, um, I, I think that Mario Golf Advance Tour like kind of stands head and shoulders above most golf games in a weird way. I agree. Yeah. In that it is great at being just a golf game. Like it is when you just go and play golf it's very good but all the rpg nonsense on top of it just adds this extra layer that is like so 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 wonderful i agree with you that the matches go on for far too long you know not every boss battle encounter needs to go on for 18 whole fucking uh, holes but uh it sure does and this is one of those instances <laughs> in which emulating the game was better than playing it on the original hardware like playing this on an amber emulation device where i could press the power button once and then it would like go into a suspend mode and then i could Mm. pick up that boss battle like a day later really added to my enjoyment of this game in a way that i wasn't expecting um if you're emulating this game and and you have the ability to like save state and load state 
uh, on your computer or wherever you happen to be playing this. Like, this is a really good pick up and play game. Is it as good of a pick up and play game as Mario Kart Super Circuit? I don't think so, because in those instances, you're getting in, you're doing a race and you're getting out. It's really wonderful. But this is one of those strange games in which, you know, Nintendo's inability to recognize its own catalog and their inability to, you know, recognize that they should sell this shit on the Switch leads people towards emulation and emulation is the best way to play this game right now and because of that it made it towards my top five i mean i i played way more of this game than i was expecting to because it was fun to jump in for five or ten minutes and like play a couple holes and then bail uh and very slowly over the course of six months like make it through almost the whole game it's great it's really good you unlock more characters they're all stupid uh and and i had a great time meeting all of them yeah almost none of them are mario characters which adds to my theory that this game like Nintendo didn't know what Camelot was doing with it. Like <laughs> they sneaked Waluigi into the Mario verse and then made a Mario golf game where it's starring like yeah. just people. You can also <laughs> like, tell that Camelot was proud of inventing Waluigi because whenever you turn the game on, Waluigi yells Camelot when their logo yeah. shows up. <laughs> this is like Camelot's big moment. Yeah. Um, it, I agree. This game was great. It is like of all the honorable mentions, this and Ari of Sorrow kept like popping in the list. Um, so they were the ones that I was most like conscious of putting on here. You and I in our conversation, you know, we, we didn't talk about what our actual lists were like content wise. But I, I think in our conversations about putting the list together, you and I both mentioned like there are a couple of games where the more you revisit them, the higher up the list they go. And this was one of those for me where yeah. like most of the time I spent with Mario Golf happened, I don't know, in February um until like a month ago when i decided to revisit it and it's just been like a constant for me where like every time i revisit it it used to be number 10 on my list and now it's number five uh, yeah which makes me think like if i had finished it like maybe it'd be like three two or one um no probably not but it's uh it's it's really wonderful um and yeah. and i think there's a reason why this is the game that people constantly refer to uh when you know hoping for a good mario sports game not even just golf just like any mario sports game uh gets compared to this one yeah it's an incredible time and i think if i like you know if if your takeaway from this episode is like what game should i pick up even though it didn't make my list i think the game i would recommend for like most people to get is advanced tour that would be like in the bundle of like here are the games you should absolutely have yeah yeah if we can make like a spotify playlist of like <laughs> game boy advance games yeah oh man a game pass playlist that'd be fun we should get that that would be a great invention mm. anyway once that comes out next week i i will uh, it. <laughs> yeah Okay, so are we on four now? We are on four. For me? Okay, four on my list of favorite Game Boy Advance games Very interested. There's there's one franchise that I'm very curious to see if it makes your list or not. And I'm just waiting for it. Anyway, sorry. No, it's okay. Number four is Metroid Fusion. Whoa, okay. Yeah, nice. You mentioned how playing WarioWare Twisted like made you yell and stuff. Like <laughs> I just couldn't get over how a Game Boy Advance game made me like scream in terror, like <laughs> by myself. Like yeah. this game is so fucking scary. Yeah, and it does it by like Samus just looks. I mean, uh, Sax the the sort of like existential threat of the game, very similar to Alien Isolation in that way. Just looks like Samus. They made <laughs> Samus scary. Yeah. And I think there's something real, like, you know, there, there's more of a direct narrative. Anytime you go on an elevator into the next sector, there's sort of like an internal narration of Sam, 
in this. And mm-hmm. like, there's an interesting relationship between like the AI who's guiding you and, and they are named after like an old mentor of Samus. And there's like, yeah, that, that develops. Um, it is a game talking about, you know, doubles in the Game Boy Advance. It's a game about doubles and about reflection mm. and in a game about trying to get your powers back while a version of yourself is sabotaging that ability. Yeah. Um, I will say, I really wanted this to be my number one because I think when this game is going, it is unparalleled. Like yeah. it is a jaw-dropping masterpiece in its best moments. And then there are some moments that are that are, I think this is a common issue with horror games, which I would consider this a horror game. There's always a moment where a horror game becomes frustrating and then it loses the horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and there are moments of that infusion, but not with SAX. The moments of frustration are with the bosses where it's like, how do I just not get hit? There's no way <laughs> I could dodge this like floating cell. Uh, yeah, and you yeah. know, that that made me frustrated. That being said, I never lost my motivation to keep playing. And I think the linear structure here pays off in that the levels are so emotionally gripping and like sometimes taxing that like it's always a relief to hear the like positive Metroid music and like to go on the elevator. Yeah. Like find a save room. Yeah, exactly. A good horror game always has like, you know, the Resident Evil games have the typewriter. You need that like breath of fresh air to yeah. really help everything else take off. And I just think like the first moment that felt organic. I don't know if this has to happen, but the first moment I fell in front, like SAX was on top of me. Like I was curled in a ball as SAX walked on top and then just blew up the whole floor. So I like, I scurried ahead. And then of course the floor I was on top of like, there are some parts of the floor that just break if you're on top of it. So I fell down and I was right in front of SAX and I screamed (laughs) and like, it's so amazing that they accomplished that and that like it is so gripping and compelling and like even though the bosses can be hit or miss they're always exciting and the music during the boss fights is so fucking cool yeah even though this is like i I think we kind of compared this really to the majora's mask of metroid Mm, where it's like this is sort of like the experimental darker one this got me into metroid and that's i think it's the perfect time because i played this loved it and now dread's coming out and not to say i also loved zero mission i want to make that clear like i was yeah definitely torn between the two i think zero mission is more pleasant to play yeah i totally agree you know if you want to just play a video game and have a nice time <laughs> play zero mission but if you want like your whole world fucked up play fusion because like yeah it really does <laughs> i i think I, I didn't realize i was into horror games until last october where i like i made an effort because like we do a thing called spooky season every October where we play horror games and I've always played like, okay, I'm going to play night in the woods or I'm going to play like something that's like October-y, but not really horror. Yeah. And then last, last October I played like biohazard and alien isolation and I like loved them. I really loved them, especially yeah. streaming them. It was a lot of fun. So fusion is like this kind of colliding of worlds. And, uh, I, I just think like it is, it will be a tragedy if Nintendo doesn't port this to switch in the buildup to dread. It's the perfect time. Cause like, I think that in conversations about Metroid, you don't, there's a lot of love for fusion, but you don't always hear about it. It's usually super Metroid or the, or some of the prime games. Yeah. Fusion is like kind of the, the weird one, but it's so gripping. And like on the Game Boy Advance, the same way mother three, like, 
you know, it, there's no like narrative happening on that same level. I, there's no like direction better than Metroid Fusion in terms yeah. of just like how they've set up these horror payoffs. And like, it, I, I loved my time with it. It's also short, which is, I think, a good thing. I think if it wasn't, if it didn't have some moments where I was like a little bit like, you know, there are some moments where it's like the path of progression is very unclear and you'll have to look at a guide. And like, I normally don't mind that. But when the game is so gripping that I like, I have to do that. Um, it only happens once or twice, but in a in like a five hour game, it stands out. But um, I love this game. I think it's a masterpiece. We're in like masterpiece territory as far as I'm concerned in the top five. Like all these games are great. And some of the earlier ones have been masterpieces in my opinion. But for me, subjectively, I think these games are like doing something transcendent. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, I, I'm with you that I, I would like to see the Metroid uh, collection or something show up on Switch in some capacity because like it's it's wild to me to announce Metroid 5 and have literally no way of playing Metroid 4 in anticipation of that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's l- actually no legal way to purchase from Nintendo Metroid 4. Wild. <laughs> wild. <laughs> Just Super Metroid is on the uh, yes. Super Nintendo library. So if you're in, if you haven't played any of Metroid, it's probably a great one to start with. That is that and symphony of the night are are the games that inspire the term metroidvania so yeah it's it's like the super mario world of metroid where it's like that's the classic one um but man is fusion cool yeah uh, this is one of those situations where like if we weren't talking about it for this episode i think that you and i would have done a bonus episode about fusion yeah i i, I absolutely agree i think not like, counting it uh, out but like I, I, th- I think if, if it was going to happen, we would have already planned it. But like totally. fu- Fusion really, I think, hit both of us in ways that we didn't expect. Because I think we can probably even talk more about the narrative if we wanted to. And I, I'll save that because I don't want to spoil it. But um, exactly. Yeah, that's it, the thing. I don't want to yeah. I don't want to spoil it outside of the context of of like saying that this is a bonus episode about that game. Because there, there are like a couple one specific boss fight that I think everybody talks about from fusion. Um, that is just like far and away the most like terrifying thing. And and (laughs) I don't really want to say much more than that, but you, you're shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone who's played this game knows what I'm talking about. There, there's a boss fight that will like wreck your world. I think my favorite thing is always like, you know, it, it, you always go into a new sector and then the AI is like, go to this data room, get this device. You know, we need you to get this part of your suit back. And then you do that. You're like, okay, cool. I just got to go back. And almost like half the time you go back and the path you need to take, SAX has destroyed, but they're not there. You just see like the wrecked entrance to that room. Yeah. And that got me every time. Like I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like they... Having the villain or having the, like, I guess, you know, monster or or horror threat of the game be you with all your powers and the full knowledge of the game is such a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very excited to see how Dread pulls that off. Yeah, the the cool thing about Dread is that it's like a blending of what worked about fusion from a horror element plus the like combat and traversal of uh samus returns on the 3ds which is a remake of of metroid 2 there's a company called mercury steam that put that game together and they introduced a lot of like fast traversal and like really like fascinating like up close and personal almost bloodborne adjacent melee combat to metroid which like i thought was going to be nonsense and then playing that game like fucking loved so the the blending of like this existential horror, this thing that's chasing you throughout throughout the station, plus the ability to like run away real fast or like get really up close and like land a couple hits, just like stagger it and then leave, I think is going to be really, really cool. Um, and they've been working on this game for 15 years, so I sure hope it's good at this point. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, me um, too. 
but uh but yeah uh metroid fusion uh i think in terms of bonuses about it i i can imagine we'll do something metroid related for a bonus at some point you know, yeah. may, maybe it'll be like a collection of games maybe or, it'll be dread honestly maybe it'll be dread. Yeah. i i i would love for you to play samus returns on 3ds at some point i would love to yeah yeah i'm in man i'm all in on metroid there's also it's probably worth mentioning there's an there's another remake of metroid 2 that exists that's fan made in the zero mission infusion style um that's called am2r that's available for download like on the internet somewhere um i don't know where but you can go play it i've played a little bit of it it's really good if you like fusion zero mission like that's a great way of playing metroid 2 as well but i i think playing the mercury steam version on 3ds like really introduces some new ideas to metroid which you know while not uh encapsulating what made the original metroid 2 like great like the people who were like diehards for that game specifically because it's like deviating a little bit too far from that path it definitely lays half of the groundwork for where metroid can go in the future fusion being the other half uh so metroid dread very excited about it but yeah, yeah. Fusion, fusion's amazing fusion's so good uh as soon as you said fusion's so good and like exclaimed in enjoyment of it the sun like poured into my living room you see this <laughs> yeah i do Anyway, uh, what is number four on your list, Brendan? This, uh, unlike Fusion, uh, you <laughs> uh-huh. know, playing playing Fusion and Zero Mission, um, I loved Zero Mission as a kid, uh, thought Fusion was okay, uh, liked it enough, you know, to keep playing the Metroid games, but like not enough, whatever, realizing upon playing it that Fusion was the better of the two. Um, this was a game where I was expecting to have the same experience because I've heard for so long that the other Game Boy Advance game in this franchise was better than this one. Uh, but Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland is yes. like, I'm going to be upfront with you. I, I, I've come to a lot of very shocking realizations about my own taste in the course of making this episode. This is the best Kirby game wow, for, for okay. me, like easily like the, uh, I've, I've played pretty much every Kirby game really try to get into it like even planet robobot on the 3ds which like i think people don't even remember exists like i've really tried to play all of them that one's good enough kirby nightmare in dreamland it's a remake of the original kirby for the game boy advance just like zero mission is introducing so many new things that it like goes far beyond what that original was making it in my opinion eligible for this list when you finish the game, you get to play through the whole game again as Meta Knight, which is just amazing. And when I was a kid, yeah. just like blew me the fuck away. The other game that is in conversation with this is uh, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, which is like a wholly original Game Boy Advance Kirby game. And playing the two of them back to back in preparation for this episode really just highlighted why I bounced off of Amazing Mirror, I think, when I was a kid. Uh, this is another yeah. situation where I have both of the cartridges. Like, I, I have my original Nightmare in Dreamland cartridge. I started the second save file. Uh, you know, the first one was a fully complete save file from when I was a kid. So I started the second save file. And then Nightmare, and, uh, sorry, uh, Amazing Mirror, I also had the cartridge of because I loved Nightmare in Dreamland as a kid and, like, didn't like that much. And I was interested to revisit them and say, like, I'm going to give more time to Amazing Mirror. I'm really interested in where this nets out for me. And uh, really just found that that game was like overly complex tried to strangely be a metroidvania in ways that yeah. like didn't benefit kirby as like a game mechanically nightmare in dreamland is just a much more streamlined much more interesting constantly evolving better version of kirby a lot of the stuff that nightmare in dreamland succeeds at comes by way of like let me go grab this power and bring it to this level and get this secret and do all this stuff there's like a lot of hidden shit in nightmare in dreamland that's really fun 
Kirby and the Amazing Mirror tried really hard to make that its identity was like actually progression is blocked by you needing to grab a power from three levels ago, bring it through this Metroidvania style world to this area without getting hit once or losing this power so you can continue on in the game. And that creates more frustration points than moments of joy. I agree. Whereas Nightmare and Dreamland is fully and wholly focused on you having a good time and having fun. The mini games are great. Playing as Meta Knight fucking owns when you, you know, as like a reward for beating the game. Nightmare in Dreamland is like one of a one of the like perfect Game Boy Advance games. And I think is for me the the best Kirby game. Uh, Superstar. Great. Uh, 64. Also great. But like this, this one is head and shoulders above the rest for me still to this day. I was really surprised. I really expected my mind to be changed in revisiting it. And it was not at all. In fact, I doubled down on it. I love that. I'm so happy you had that experience. I agree. I think Nightmare in Dreamland is better than Amazing Mirror. I was more into Amazing Mirror in the beginning. I never fully grasped the cell phone calling other Kirby mechanic. <laughs> Which I like initially love, but I'm like, I don't fully understand this. Like it's clearly um, 2005 and you're making a video game and you feel yeah, like you need to like, put a cell phone in it. Yeah. Cell phones. Yeah. What if Kirby <laughs> had a cell phone? Every time I played Superstar, I'm like, but what if he had like a flip phone from 2004? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I played Planet Robobot. I was like, why isn't, why doesn't he have an iPhone built into this? I agree. So I also had a great time with Nightmare in Dreamland and, and I, I would praise it for all the reasons you did. For me, Superstar is so by far and away the best that I can't get into Nightmare in Dreamland. I get that. Because yeah. there are some element. I think one, my foundational experience with Superstar is cooperative. Like my sister and I played that a lot growing up. Yeah, and totally. I usually will play it with a friend. I think it's on Switch. I think it's on the SNES library, if it I'm is, not yeah. mistaken. If you haven't played it, go play it. Kirby, I think, is also one of the more like tragic losses in Nintendo where they just have not made a good Kirby game. Like in a very it's like long the Sonic time. Yeah. of Nintendo games where they just have not figured it out since a certain time. Yeah. And uh but I I I really enjoy Nightmare Dream Land. But yeah, Superstar, you know, has the cooperative element. And also whenever you get a power, there are like four different moves you can do with that power. Yeah. And I, I'm always like a little disappointed in uh, Nightmare in Dreamland where you can only do like one or two moves. That being said, I think like from start to finish, it's just like a bundle of joy. And if you don't like think of it that way, if Superstar isn't so like dug into your brain, you're going to have an incredible time yeah. <laughs> with this. I don't even think like playing Superstar first is a detriment. I just like that's what I want from Kirby. And I also like um, actually there is... There, so the way Superstar worked is there were like a bunch of different games within one, yeah, and they were all different takes on a Kirby game. So there, I think the first one is like a very much Nightmare and Dreamland like levels linear path game. One was called the Great Cave Offensive, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does what Amazing Mirror is trying to do well. Where yes, like I completely you, agree. Yeah, it, it weirdly is more Metroidvania, but it's like a little bit more streamlined, where it's like super fun. So uh, weirdly, I feel like I'm. I kind of thought the reason didn't make my list because it would have otherwise, but I was thinking back to like, would I recommend this over that? You know, when like, Mm -hmm. it's not a port, it's definitely like, it definitely counts. But if I am recommending Kirby, I want to point to that. So that's why I didn't make it for me. But I'm so glad you had that experience. And I think you're right that like this is the one to play on Game Boy Advance. Yeah, the the my my bummer with Kirby is like a f- I was a huge fan of um, Kirby's Dream Land 2 for the Game Boy. Uh, that that was like my entry into that franchise. Um, and then when I got a Game Boy Advance and Nightmare in Dream Land came out, it was like, oh, my God, this is everything I loved about 
Dreamland 2 yeah. and more, not even knowing it was a port at the time. I just thought it was a new game because like I didn't know. And uh, in, in the years since, it's just been kind of like bummer after bummer, you know, like just really wanting them to make a good Kirby game again. I think the comparison point to Sonic is like so fucking apt. It's like very much that same vibe. The the one like looking back at the whole franchise, it's like clear that I think maybe whatever one is your first one is going to be the one that like really sticks with you. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, the only other one I would shout out again is 64. 64 was great. It was the last really good yeah. Kirby game, and it was very unique. I loved combining powers. I loved the multiplayer. I played the shit at the checkerboard. Yeah, we had like yeah, oh, so fun. I, I think I think specifically just like that was kind of the beginning of the like um, the combination 2D 3D side scrolling platform too. Uh, you know that was like mm-hmm. that. That's become such a prevalent. I think uh, method of of creating a visual identity for games. Even Metroid Dread is doing something like that, and like weirdly enough, Kirby sixty four was like kind of at the forefront of that. All of that having been said, uh, yeah, I mean Nightmare in Dreamland, I ju- I just like loved, loved, loved revisiting. I I really I couldn't I couldn't believe how much I still loved that game. Really good mini games. Ugh. I'm just thinking yeah. about the mini games. Kirby's Air Ride like started with oh. Nightmare in Dreamland. Oof. And, and uh, the hot potato with the frying pan and the bomb. Fucking, I think fucking good. Uh, hot potato, but just with the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kirby. I get it. You're cool. Yeah. Uh, so that was my number four. That's number four. Number three, baby. It's your number three. It's my number three. Yeah. Okay. So actually, this is this is good timing. <laughs> I, have like, I have no clue what your top three is because really? things that I thought were going to be in your top three have already happened. So wow. Okay. What you think was in my top three? I don't want to say not, it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so number three for me, similar to your experience with uh, Nightmare in Dreamland, it was a game that I loved as a kid that I was worried was like mostly nostalgia and now have doubled down on being great. Number three for my favorite Game Boy Advance games is Advance Wars. Nice. Really good. So here's the thing about Advance Wars. As anyone listening to the show, if you've listened to our other episodes, Brendan and I are both now big Fire Emblem fans. Three yeah. Houses brought you on board. I was onboarded via Awakening. We recently did a bonus episode about Awakening with our good friend Alana, which you can go listen to. Oh, it was to. such a fun time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, such a fun episode. We also have a bonus about Three Houses. That was our first bonus. If you want to go yeah. back to 2019. Ew. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> yeah, big um, Hilda energy. Big, yeah, absolutely. Uh, more on Hilda later. But anyway, um, <laughs> I loved Advance Wars as a kid. I played this to death. I think I finished Advance Wars multiple times. And I thought of it, it's, it's been so long since I played Advance Wars that now that I've become a big Fire Emblem fan, I'm always like, oh, Advance Wars was fun, but it was sort of just like Fire Emblem light. You know, mm-hmm. I am now a Fire Emblem fan. Advance Wars was for babies. I am more into Fire Emblem now. And that could not be How a more wrong, wrong take. Because yeah. first of all, this game's harder than Fire Emblem. Yep. Like, literally, on this console, Advance Wars is the harder game by far. Yep. By far. The Mighty Kombe, good luck. That's 10 hours of your life gone <laughs> trying to fight the Yellow Comet army. I love this game so much. I mean, I think similar to WarioWare, it is such a flex of game design where like it plays, uh, for those who, who don't know, 
it is a turn-based strategy game, not unlike Civilization, weirdly, but more streamlined in the sense of like you have a base, you have cities, and the more cities you have, the more like revenue you generate. And you have bases where you can make certain types of units. Units are good against other types of units. There's tanks, there's infantry. Um, and on top of that, you also choose who your commanding officer is. Um, and they're all really fun characters and they all have strengths and weaknesses. So Andy is sort of like the Mario character where he's like got no strengths or weaknesses. And his special move is he can repair all units for two damage, which is great. I use Andy a lot. I find yeah. him to be really helpful. You've got Max. Great with tanks. Great with melee. Awful with ranged weapons. Uh, big muscular dude. Good energy. Um, and then you got Sammy, my my actual favorite, who I can't use always because she's very specific, but I love being able to use her. She is great at infantry. So all her infantry are stronger than usual and she can capture bases faster. So Which like in huge, a lot of matches, yeah. Where, yeah, you win either by wiping out all enemy forces or capturing the base. So in a lot of matches where I'm like, man, I'm having trouble winning. Why don't I just try using Sammy and seeing if I can like stealth capture the base? Yeah. On top of that, though, a lot of levels will be like, you may not even have bases. You might not have the ability to make more units. A lot of the earlier levels will just give you like, okay, here are four units. You've got like two infantry, a tank, and a helicopter. How do you make that work? Yeah. And like understanding your game to the point where you can like just get it's like let's play chess with four pieces. And like mm -hmm. I've foreseen the outcome of this to like almost a like evil degree of 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 foresight. Yeah. So the design of this game is like second to none. I just also love the vibe of it. Like I think what I've always fondly remembered about this game is that it's a war game but it never takes itself too seriously. Like there's always this like underlying impression that they're actually just playing with toys, you know, like that's the big thing for me is, is, yeah. is like the thing that I was prepared to bump up against was this like cartoonification and potential glorification of war. Um, and, and it really does just feel like a bunch of people playing with toys in this instance. And, and I think the reason that this franchise has kind of faded into the background is that two, even though it's just more of the same kind of becomes a little bit, darker than the first right. one and then the one on the ds was i think it was called like black hole like literally <laughs> if i'm not uh, mistaken dual strike i think black hole rising was the second one and then dual strike was the ds but you're right like it got darker it got darker as it went it on. just got darker as time went on and suddenly that idea that this is like a bright and colorful and like cheery experience was like no this is getting closer to actual warfare and that is actually making the game worse right um, and and that's kind of why this franchise went away if i had to guess and and seeing the remake you know they're trying to lean into that you know kind of colorful vibrant vibe again yeah uh, but but i think you're right and i i went back and forth on this for a long time just to be clear uh, advance wars was my number 11 game oh wow okay i didn't make uh, i was i was real back and forth on one and two for a long time until i realized that it was the vibe of one it was like the the overall tone of one that that kept me playing that one more than the second one even though the second one kind of changes some of the mechanics in ways that i think are beneficial i think one just feels better to play yeah i i would still recommend the second one i think if you yeah. like the first one it feels like an expansion of the first one in a lot of ways yeah absolutely. i mean the, the story of one is largely like there's misunderstanding that results in a lot of these different armies attacking each other and then they realize the black hole army is the, like the actual threat and they yeah. all team up against it what i also love is like every level you can choose who your commanding officer is and like depending on who you choose throughout the game in the final battle you're actually controlling three commanding officer armies 
And depending on who you chose, you get different characters. So I remember having like Sammy, Eagle, and Max or someone like so cool. And and yeah. and it really feels like okay, you understand the game now. Can you like juggle between different play styles? I am so excited for them to bring this back, and I just had the best time. This is one of the games where like whenever I picked it up to play for this episode, I could not stop playing, even if I was constantly losing. <laughs> I love this game. I think this is also number one for a bit. Like it re- like. The the top four or five here all could have been number one at a different time. Interesting. Basically. Yeah. It's worth mentioning also that this is by Intelligent Systems who made Fire right. Emblem. Like this this is the Fire Emblem team like making an even more hardcore tactics game. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just so I'm so impressed with my young self like forgetting to the end because like I sure struggle with Mission 10 for like a, a while. Yeah. Yeah. I had this game when I was a kid and like just could not do it at all. Um, and it took doing this episode and revisiting it for me to like finally put enough time into like haven't even have an opinion on it um, yeah. which is interesting I, I think if you're looking for like a close comparison point you know if you don't want to go play advanced wars weirdly enough into the breach is like the closest you can get to what advanced wars is trying to do in some instances i agree yeah i agree but but advanced wars is like a wholly original thing it's really wonderful and you should absolutely check it out if you haven't uh, especially when that remake comes out i mean just yeah yeah it's great um, I also love the music. Andy's theme, incredible. Yeah. Big, big early 2000s summer energy from Andy <laughs> across the board. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so what is number three for you, dear Brandon? Uh, number three for me, Stephen and dear listener, is Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Oh, my God. It's back. It's back. Uh, I said it would come back. I hinted at it. For the, those of you eagle-eared listeners may have remembered that I said I would talk about it again. Ah! <laughs> Uh, man, is this game good? I actually, I really want to check out the 3DS version. Uh, having having played as much of this as I have, um, weirdly enough, I'm in my like as much as this episode is about having a love affair with the Game Boy Advance. I'm also having that with the 3DS simultaneously. But this game just fucking rules, man. Uh, I all of the things that I've always wanted from Paper Mario, I'm getting here. This game is constantly funny. Even fucking Mario and Luigi, anytime they speak, they go Baba the boop like. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid and it's like it's it's like actually voice acted it's like actual like mp3s of a person saying that into a microphone and it's so yeah. funny every single time it's never not been funny every character you meet is hilarious all even the abilities you get are fun um or, or, or sorry are funny I, I think that this game is like, for me at least, like going to be the thing that I look at as like my entry point into the Mario RPGs in general. Like this, this just like playing Dragon Quest XI kind of set me off on this path of like checking out the entire Dragon Quest franchise. This is going to be my impetus to like finally go and play Super Mario RPG. This is going to be my impetus to go check out the other Mario and Luigi games and maybe look at the Paper Mario games through a new light. Um, because yeah, I find Thousand Year Door, real good. Yeah, uh, I've always yeah. wanted to play that. Um, yeah. and, and I, I can't wait to play that now Th- this really has opened a door for me in the same way that like Metroid Zero Mission opened the door for me to like love Metroidvanias that Fire Emblem Three Houses got me into Fire Emblem like this is going to be like a, a touchstone for me for the rest of my life now I, I loved this game and I know that's going to make AJ very happy that's in my top five because he's also a big fan shout out to AJ I love that shout out to AJ I also I can't help but still hang on to something you brought up earlier where like the clumsiness of the controls adds to this 
this theme of them as brothers trying to work together. Yeah. Um, even like in the menu, when you like shift between the menus are great, like weirdly beautiful menus. Yeah. Weird thing to bring up, but they're good. No, they're great. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big UI guy. <laughs> and man, that's a good UI. Top 10 UI in Game Boy Advance games. Anyway, uh, when you switch between Mario and Luigi for the like the inventory, they're like pushing each other out of the frame. Yeah. Um, and I love that this is like one of the few games that really actually explores their dynamic as brothers. Yes. I mean, evidenced by the title, but like it's so weird that it has been like so ignored by the rest of the games that like real like even Paper Mario, usually Luigi. There's a whole <laughs> thousand year door, not to spoil it, but Luigi just hangs out in like the main town. Yeah. And whenever you go back, he talks to you about how his adventure has been going. Yes. And like it goes on for so long and everyone falls asleep during it, which is so <laughs> funny. Um, so I love like even in Paper Mario, which are like aware of like that Luigi is like not in the spotlight. Yeah. They're never together. You know? And it's so it's like weirdly a rare opportunity to see them together and to like have weirdly a meaningful relationship when all they say is like above the battle you know yeah. like uh, i i love this game i'm so glad it was so high for you yeah um i feel like there's more i could say but i i mean we've said a lot about it we talked about it on another episode um i just i just really love this game um and uh that's, yeah. that's my number three i have it on cartridge actually i bought it before we even decided doing the episode it was like mm. just one of the games i like wanted to get when i was at the retro store yeah this is this is one of the ones i was looking for that i like wanted a physical copy of and i'm gonna try and find one still yeah i'm sure you can do it oh my god are we on number two we're on number two. Oh my god brendan so number two for me my favorite game boy advance games is fire emblem the blazing blade Released just as Fire Emblem in the U.S. Uh, technically, it's the seventh game in the series, and it has the subtitle of Blazing Blade. I was so interested to see which of these two was going to make it on yeah. the list. So similar to uh, Metroid, there are like two Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem games that like everyone's kind of divided on. Like I looked at a lot of different lists, and like the other one is the Sacred Stones. Which I played a good amount of. I played way more Blazing Blade, but I wanted to give Sacred Stones like a fair shake. And they're both great. I think I think if you're looking for specific things from the series, uh, you could definitely, you know, put Sacred Stones on like a best of list over Blazing Blade. I personally enjoyed Blazing Blade way more. I think because Sacred Stones, they they made it much easier, which is good that it's more accessible mm -hmm. but it just didn't feel so a lot the big complaint about fire emblem blazing blade which is the one i chose is that there's like a long tutorial that kind of like disguises itself as the game and then the game like actually gets going later yeah but honestly what i found is that i enjoyed that time a lot as a game and it paid off to have that like kind of lower key time to like there are three main characters there's lynn Elliewood and Hector and the beginning like X chapters are with Lynn and the game is like actually teaching you how to play and what units do which honestly for a series as esoteric as Fire Emblem is like a good thing to do especially this is the first game in the US so, yeah like, exactly you know it made sense to do that but it's still fun and you're still thinking strategically I brought this game up on the show having only played the Lynn part of it but what I found was that once it jumped to Elliewood 
I like gave a shit about the story because I had spent that time with Lynn and the other characters. Absolutely. So like, yeah. when I heard that her kingdom was under attack, I like cared. And I, I just think it has the better cast. Uh, Sacred Stones like jumps right into a very dramatic story. And it, I just can never really follow it in the same way because I didn't have that downtime leading up to it. Ellie Woods chapter is where the game kind of like begins and suddenly you have way more agency over which characters are you choosing. Um, there's a fun thing where like there's a merchant who wants to join your team, but he uh, you can choose whether or not he can set up a tent on the battlefield. And if you let him do that, you can send all excess items you have to the tent. But the tent is like open to attack. So there's like always a trade off, but the tent gets stronger the more you deploy it. Yeah. And overall, like I think if you've played Awakening or Three Houses, like the battles and the like characters, story, preparation stuff are completely separate. And this game, they're all mixed together. So like stores and everything are on the map, which threw me off at first, but I grew to really like, and it, it gave some characters a very specific use. Like there's a character who's a thief who like, I just use him to like run around and go to all the villages and hit up all the stores. And like, he was able, like he had high enough evasion to like kind of solo on his own. I would maybe send like one or two people with mm. him. And, and we mentioned this on the Awakening episode that like, while we love Three Houses, the big weak point, if you play any other game in the series, that the maps were kind of lacking. And here, like, really cool maps. Every level was kind of focused around a different strategy. While the narrative is lighter and you don't really get to know the characters on the same intimate level, I did get swept up in just like the fun of it. You know, it's a very like a uh, classic adventure story and kind of almost a Dragon Quest way. I cared about Lynn and Ellie Wood and Hector and they do this great thing in Blazing Blade that I wish was less effective than it actually is, is they look at the camera yeah. and they go like, hey, Steven, nice to see you again. And a lot of the characters you played as or played, you know, with in uh, the Lynn tutorial chapters, when you're reunited with them later on, they're like, oh, Steven, it's so good to see you again. Because you, in the world of this game, you name your avatar and you are like the tactician who's giving all the orders, even though you're not like present. So yeah, it's not, it's not like an Awakening Robin situation. Right. Yeah. But that allows the whole game to feel like you're playing it from like this new observer mm -hmm. that made the story more fun to me than sacred stones where it was like i need to find my brother and like fine you yeah, know like i yeah. I, I think I, I imagine if i kept going with sacred stones i would have found it more compelling and there are a lot of people who prefer that to blazing blade but like if i had to choose one both both have gorgeous pixel art like i love the look of the classic fire emblem games the animation of the battles like the fighting is just as exciting as it was as it is in all the recent games. And it's a testament to this art style. And like, I know a lot of people who still prefer it and I can see why I have such a fun time with this series and with this game. I will definitely see this to completion. Uh, it was my number one for a while, but I chose a different one. Uh, I, I love it. I, I think it's incredible. Not a surprise if you know my taste. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say my, my hunch for your list was that both Advance Wars and Fire Emblem would make the top 10 in some capacity. Uh, and it was just yeah. a question of, was it going to be Advance Wars 1 or 2 or Fire Emblem or uh, Sacred Stones? For me, Fire Emblem, uh, Blazing Blade specifically made number 16. I, I played wow. both. 
Yeah, I play both as well. Uh, I I had a feeling, I had a hunch that uh, it, it wasn't going to crack the top 10. Neither Advanced Wars nor Fire Emblem would. Brutal. I'm interested in your number one because I, I maybe have closer to a hunch of what it's going to be now uh, that Fire Emblem is number two, but we'll get to it. What I will say about these games, um, specifically Sacred Stones, as you as you were just alluding to, it reminded me a lot of um, way back, like season one of the podcast, I played uh, on a whim this like Harry Potter free to play mobile game that was supposed to be like an RPG. <laughs> It was like the first ever time that you were allowed to like create your own character and like attend Hogwarts and all this stuff. I mean, like obviously ever since like we've learned so much horrible shit about J.K. Rowling, like I'm not going to recommend you play that. And in that episode, I didn't recommend that you played that. But the thing that made me like lose my mind laughing at that was in the very beginning, they're like, your brother went to Hogwarts and was kicked out because he was a terrible wizard. And I just remember being like, I don't have a brother. What are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? And like, that's how I felt playing Sacred Stones the whole time was like, I just couldn't get into to the story for exactly the same reason and i yeah. i couldn't believe how one to one it was with with that weird harry potter mobile game <laughs> The the thing about Blazing Blade that really worked for me though was I like I am exactly what you're saying because of your almost like your like observer attitude towards the story like it's just a lot easier to get invested in those characters because you're not speaking up all the time you know um, yeah I just I really appreciated that and I think you know going back to I think last September I remember as soon as I moved into this apartment you and I talked about the first Fire Emblem game um or or this one I guess for Game Boy Advance just being blown away by the animation. The animation yeah. in this game oh is like God. stunning. Like to this day is some of the best pixel art I've ever seen. Not in terms of like frame by frame, but like the actual movement of those characters is like so fluid in a way that I didn't even think was possible on the Game Boy Advance um, and still really works for me. I think my my like hesitation towards putting it closer to the top 10 is in the realm of what we talked about in our awakening bonus, which is like, what do you like about the franchise? Like, what's the thing that's keeping you invested in this game? And there are different Fire Emblem games depending on which of the two halves of Fire Emblem you like the most. If you like the tactics stuff, this game is amazing. If you like the characters and getting to know them and building support scenes and that dialogue and stuff like pre-awakening games maybe aren't it for you. And and that was kind of my big uh, problem point with this was like, I, I went into it knowing that it was going to be more about the tactics and it ended up like not working for me uh, because of that because I just knew what I liked about Fire Emblem. The big surprise for me again though was going and playing Advance Wars which is just tactics and being like actually I like when they don't even consider the story. Um, <laughs> I I, re- I loved Advance Wars. Um, that, that ended up being the big surprise for me. I think also that with Advance Wars like, even though you don't have like agency over the narrative or characters like you get a very strong sense of like who max sammy and andy yeah, are totally. yeah. and like their relationships with other people like there's a very fun dynamic with olaf and grit in the blue moon army where he, olaf is like very much like a dr nefarious type villain where he like <laughs> always loses and grits is like a very chill dude who's like yeah. good at long-range weapons um and uh yeah i i just uh know what you mean in terms of like because there are supports here but they're not the same and they're so hard to get like yeah. you've got to go out of your way to like really build it and you hear like a villager will be like if you stand close to each other you might unlock a scene but don't try too hard pay attention to the tent you deployed optionally yeah the the thing was like i was playing this game alongside awakening 
uh, oh, which was yeah. like Maybe a wild experience. I I thought that that was the move, uh, but it it I think honestly still was because it taught me a lot about what I like about Fire Emblem, what I don't like about Fire Emblem, and and even when it comes down to like the tactics and battle stuff specifically, I just learned that I like casual no permadeath. You know? Yeah. I um I it's interesting because I feel like I tend to my preference is like a, a melding of the two I really like when they benefit the other and I, I was actually surprised at how much I liked a game that was like only the tactics yeah so it was it was interesting to learn that I actually like have I have a pretty large fire emblem appetite overall yeah uh, <laughs> that, that doesn't that, I'm gonna be honest that doesn't surprise me as much <laughs> all right um, but what I will say is I think it just goes to show how incredible three houses is as a video game because it really encompasses both sides of it in, in a way that is satisfying to both kinds of fans of the franchise. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Overall, yeah. Fire Emblem's real good and has been for a long time. What's number two for you, Brendan? Number two for me is uh, Mother 3. Oh my god. I am shocked that it's this high for you. Because honestly, I was like not sure if it was going to make your list. I can't wait to hear you talk about this. This is very interesting. Yeah, so I I guess like peek behind the curtain situation um, for my birthday, Stephen, you, uh, and and a bunch of our friends uh, came over and we hung out and it was really great. Uh, We we had a really good time. It was like the first time we could all hang out in person. Um, We, you know, made a big dinner. It was great. It was a really good experience. Uh, But Will was also here. Um, And and Will, who we recorded our Mother 3 bonus with, uh, I, I talked to him a little bit about, you know, the making of this episode. And even then, even at that point in time mother three was number two on my list um and he also was like floored by it and i remember him being like after recording that episode i just thought you hated mother three and i just want to be very clear i did not hate mother three i have a lot of criticism i think totally to, to give to it but that's because i love it so much you know like yeah. it's it's one of those situations where like there are a couple things holding it back from being a thing i can recommend to people but what is there if you go and have that experience, if you go and play through that game is so wildly rewarding that it'll make you think about the world in different ways than you had before you started playing it. And that's the thing that really sticks with me. As you mentioned, the end of the game, which I finished, I f- eventually finished it. Thank God, um, <laughs> because the whole yeah. shit. Um, <laughs> the end of that game really does make it clear that like what they want you to take away from it is is emotion and is like a new perspective and there are so many moments in that game that kind of allude to that over the course of time i just watched a really great video essay weirdly that came out i think last week or two weeks ago from i want to say super eye patch wolf is the name of the youtube channel um that that's titled something along the lines of like how mother three breaks you um and you know it gets into the story i'm not going to get into the story but there's one moment that that this person highlights which is you know throughout the entire course of the game you see these gift boxes on the ground and as you go and open them up you get items you know very obvious thing it's a dragon quest you go and find a treasure chest and you open it up and there's a fucking herb in it and you use that to heal there's a point though halfway to three quarters of the way through the game where that stops being what happens when you find gift boxes like sometimes you open it up and fireworks will shoot out and that's the whole thing sometimes you open it up and just like a cool like uh bossa nova beat will play for like a couple seconds and weirdly enough those are the moments that are more rewarding than actually getting an item in the game and 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 i think this video essay makes a great point that like that's really what the game is 
is about in, in its essence. You know, it's, it's not about opening a chest and finding a thing that you can use to heal later. It's about having these like very specific memories of, of, of like things that kind of uh, subvert your expectations in ways that aren't shitty, but in ways that like kind of make you rethink what the RPG genre can be. This game stands... I, I think so tall amongst the RPGs on the Game Boy Advance, like it is doing something that is so ambitious and beyond what like even RPGs from 2021 are attempting to do in terms of narrative, even in terms of combat, like in, across the board, I, I think it's just like a stunning, stunning achievement. And it's one of the reasons why I like, I don't think they need to change anything or re-release it or whatever, like how it was released with the fan translation is more than enough. It's enough for me to think about and reference constantly. The way you talk about Undertale is the way I think about Mother 3 these days. Like, I just I just look back on this game with such fondness. Even the moments that are frustrating to me that I, like, actively hated playing were, like, worth getting through because of how I feel as a person after having played it. It's really special to me. And I, I it's number two for that reason. It's really great. I am so happy to hear that because I did not know you felt that way. Wow. Oh, my God. I agree. I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And I think I, I don't want to wash away the things we criticize in the bonus because like, no, there's so much bad shit in this game. <laughs> yeah, right. But I think you're right that like what is good is like so above and beyond most games. Yeah. That, like, I'm probably going to go on fangamer.com and buy the strategy guide once we're done recording. It's so cool. I, just, I need a little piece of that game with me yeah. for the rest of my life. I will replay it. I will run into the same frustration I did the first time, but it's so worth it. And, you know, my only ha- my only gripe with, like, I agree. I think the fan translation is the way to play it. We talked about that a lot on the bonus episode. I just wish there was an easier way for everyone to get it. That being said, it's, like, easy enough to find that translation. Like, yeah. I, my my. T- take was like the closest Nintendo will ever get to releasing Mother 3 is allowing the fan translation to exist. Because like it's a very I mean I think Reggie even said he was playing it at one point. So like you can get Post it. Nintendo Reggie it's worth mentioning. Like Post Nintendo No Reggie. longer him working at yeah. Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, time skip Reggie. Uh, <laughs> but either way it, it, it's I think like amongst amongst Nintendo's library I would say Mother 3 is like also a must. Um, never mind the Game Boy Advance. Yeah it's a it's a shocking video game. And I and I I do want to mention that I went back and played through not all of but a big chunk of Earthbound um, in preparation for that episode um, and also a little bit of Mother 1. And like even those games comparatively like don't work for me the way Mother 3 does. I mean, it, it's just on its own level the whole time. Um, yeah. And like it's one of the reasons that it was hard to go and play things like Golden Sun and the Final Fantasy ports and I whatever. Agree, yeah. Was like I just kept thinking about Mother 3 and, and what that was <laughs> able to do on the Game Boy Advance comparatively. And like, man, that game is good. Uh, and I probably will play it again. I do need you to one day play Final Fantasy VI, but that will happen in, in due time. Yeah, I, again, you know, E3 announcement, they announced, you know, a collection of one through six, and they're going to release them, like, I think on Steam and mobile and stuff, and I just, like, I'm really hoping that, that makes its way to Switch, because I would love to play Final Fantasy VI on Switch. But I agree. I mean, I, I think, like, well, I love six, like, 
in terms of just like intimate storytelling, Mother 3 is like unmatched by most. Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, we don't have to get into it because we did a whole bonus episode about it. But just like some of the emotions that that game is able to evoke um, with this like strange master stroke of, of genius really, really fucks me up, I think. Yeah. Um, it, the, the moment that you were referring to, just this moment where you see a town that used to be like a, a small village is now kind of like a bustling metropolis and how that's presented as a horror moment. It's presented as like a moment of like abject terror is is one of the most shocking moments in a video game i've ever seen um and i'm not going to explain why that is but like you'll feel it if you ever play mother three uh and i highly recommend doing that yeah the only reason it's five for me and not higher is because i was thinking about like okay if i average out the highs of it versus the lows of it where does it fall yeah you know it's simultaneously and it's right one in the and, yeah. yeah so um but definitely definitely one of the best of this systems library that lead me to number one for me yeah man we're on number one so here's the thing i had such a hard time choosing uh, not only making this list but choosing a number one game in our time doing goatee i've always had a very clear number one pick like i've never yeah struggled to know what was first uh 2018 my game of the year was celeste 19 was three houses as you could probably guess based on our conversation moments ago uh and last year was hades for both of us uh, three houses was also for both of us um every time we've done a list for this show i've like known okay i know what number one is what's the rest yeah and this is the first time where i really struggled I'm like how can i say i mean how can you ever say something is better than something else like overall rhetorically <laughs> but yeah. How do I choose? Because I think it, even just in these top five, all these games excel at one specific thing. I think that my reasoning behind picking my number one game was more of like from start to finish, the overall package is hitting the highest numbers across the board. Mm-hmm. But I think that like Fire Emblem, Advanced Wars, Metroid Fusion, Mother 3, all like are laser focused on like killing it in one area. So... With that reasoning, I'm like, in place. I have no. I mean, I have I have one guess, but I, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to throw it out there. My number one game for the Game Boy Advance is The Legend of Zelda: The Minish Cap. Oh wow! Holy shit! Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's not what I expected at all. Damn. Um, I I just think like. Of all the games I played <laughs> in preparation for this episode, I, I always had to be in a very specific mood for one of them. You know, like yeah, yeah. picking up Mother 3 is a big investment. It's like, you know, it's like watching a movie that like means a lot to you, but it's very emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. Fire Emblem came close. Fire Emblem was number one, but I'm like, is it number one though? Like, is it like, I love it and I love the series, but I'm like, just thinking about, you know, what makes sense. Fusion was very close. Pretty much everything on this list, uh, you know, above like six was like number one at, in one draft of the list. So yeah. like, who knows what would be number one if, if we delay this episode by a week. I still think, because <laughs> I, I settled on Minish Cap pretty early on and then I switched it up and then I settled back to Minish Cap after revisiting things. Because I just mm. think like as an experience on the Game Boy Advance, as we've mentioned before, it's like a shockingly good Zelda game. It is so beautiful to play the 
imagine environments both in their like classic top-down view and when you're miniature and you're seeing mushrooms looking like the size of trees or buildings. There's so much attention to detail with that. The music is unbelievable. The items you get in this Zelda game are like some of my favorite like Zelda items. You get an item that like sucks up wind and then like blows things back. So fun. Yeah. There it, it feels like a best of mechanics from both the 2D and 3D era with like a really nice story that doesn't overstay its welcome and you just like want more of it when you're done i loved this game from start to finish i I will say my one critique my only complaint about minish cap is that climbing the mountain they were like wouldn't it be cool if (laughs) if we just had a bunch of walls you had to bomb that we didn't have cracks in it it's like okay capcom you're good at making zelda games but like don't break the you need to use a bomb against the wall with a crack in it rule Because the only other Zelda that's done that is the first one. And they learned immediately after that to not do that ever again. <laughs> that being said, it's like easy enough yeah. to figure it out once you do. But like I was stuck there for a while, which is when it dropped from number one. But yeah. um, I also thought like kind of microcosmically, it was nice for me to choose a game for number one that was all about making a smaller world feel big. And to me, that's just the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, so man. I, I just oh, think that I could recommend beautiful. this to anyone. I, I love Zelda. It's easily one of my favorite Zeldas. And I just think like it made sense to be the number one spot. And I also just think like it is the forgotten Zelda. And yeah. I wanted to like really like be like, this is fucking unbelievably good. Yeah. You know, I, I Link's Awakening is incredible. The Oracle games are great. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I would say this is better than Link's Awakening, but it sure is on the same level for me. Uh, so I, I I had to go with it. Yeah. Minish Cap, number one. Minish Cap is real good. Uh, highly <laughs> recommend it. I Look, the, th- the thing about that game that really strikes me and the thing that stuck with me since my first ever time playing that game uh, is the Kinstones. No, I'm just kidding. Is, uh, <laughs> is, um, the, the first time that you get to be Minish in like the main hub town um, and you like make your way into uh, like the little kind of like uh, Kokiri cafe and yeah. it's like on top of another cafe or it's like on top of like another restaurant bar adjacent thing in the town. It It's so wondrous like it's so like it, it evokes every feeling that i want good fantasy to evoke in that moment and you just go and you talk around you, you talk to the kokiri and whatever like it's it's just like a fleeting moment but i think about it constantly like i think about the the emotion i felt as a kid in that moment when i walked in there it was like oh my god of course this is what's going on in the rafters in this place and i felt it again like i felt it fully again revisiting it uh it, it's 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 an incredible experience and it just feels that way pretty much the whole time uh yeah yeah uh, I mean, you can tell, too, they made this around the era of Wind Waker, which is, I think, arguably my favorite Zelda. And I think what I love about Wind Waker is it had the most character to it. Like, you always, like, got a sense of what Link was feeling or thinking. And, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it sort of had a light twist on the formula where, like, Hyrule was underwater. Uh, The respective Link, Ganon, and Zelda all had, like, a very different approach to their role. Like, Zelda was, like, a pirate girl and Link didn't want to be Link. His grandma makes him wear the tunic. I'll never forget that. Your yeah. grandma's like, put on the tunic. It's the hero anniversary. And you can see that in Minish Cap where like there's so many like genuinely funny moments where like in one, I think the second 
dungeon, uh, your hat who talks to you, Ezlo, I believe. <laughs> yep. He's like, oh, that's a minecart. We should definitely hop in that minecart and see what happens. And you go in and it goes like way too fast and you're both like screaming <laughs> as it just like zips down. And he's like, he's like, what are you smiling about? Why did we get in that? That was a bad idea. And I don't know. There's, there's a lot of moments like that. I feel like the hat should be annoying, but he isn't. I just really love my time with it. And I think it being so short and sweet is like really good. I think like unless you're going for a Breath of the Wild type experience, I think most Zelda games benefit from being shorter. Yeah. Because you just like kind of get the experience and you can move on. And then you'll probably want to replay it. So I, I, I adored Minish Cap so much. So it's number one. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, that was, that was number six for me, number one for you. Uh, that that's that's pretty good, pretty good Zelda game. I'm, I have a theory on what your number one is, but I'm excited to hear you say it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I- <laughs> One of the one of the things about about this list is that I was like convinced that the more tactics adjacent stuff, the more like hardcore tactics stuff uh, would be towards the top of your list. And I am very surprised to hear that that uh, it was Minish Cap. I'm glad it is. But I was I'm really surprised by that. This is one of those situations where like I had one and two locked for like such a long time and like it just didn't budge and just never budged. Honestly, three through ten was the hard part for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, 11 through 20 kind of like, you know, moved around and some of them would go into the top 10, some of them wouldn't. But one and two have been locked for a long time. Um, Mother three being number two, I was like locked on that. Like, I think that this is like a best in class RPG. It's it's tackling all these things that I think are like to this day resonating in ways that like Itoy, the, the game director, like maybe didn't even expect it to resonate, you know, years later. Yeah. But number one for me is Pokemon Emerald. Yes. Which, like, is... I loved Ruby and Sapphire as a kid. Like, uh, Ruby and Sapphire... Like, I loved Red and Blue and Gold and Silver. They were great. Uh, You know, you and I talk very frequently and very highly about Silver, specifically. uh, or, Or, sorry, Gen 2, I guess being like probably the best Pokemon games, maybe like, you know, we're, we were very lucky in that you and I both got to grow up playing them and played them like when they're relevant, yeah. like when that was like the, the height of what you could do in a, you know, a handheld console. But I lost myself in Pokemon Sapphire in a way that like, I, I just have not matched in any Pokemon game since really. Like I, I've also talked about how when um, Diamond and Pearl came out, I played Diamond and it was the first time I ever filled the Pokedex. Um, it was the first time I ever like really said like, I'm going to go catch every Pokemon in every game, trade them all up through all the different handheld consoles up into Pokemon Diamond and like fill out that whole thing. But even that was just like a weird like bet between my friends and I. Like I loved Pokemon <laughs> Diamond. I think I think it's I think it's an underrated game in the franchise. But it's not like my favorite by any stretch. And I think going back and playing through Gen 3 is like, I, th- I think these might be my favorite. I think these I might actually be like the best ones. Uh, and Emerald, I never really got to play. Like I had a copy of it, but it was so recent for me that I had finished Sapphire that like I just couldn't bring myself to just go play the same game again. And it's wonderful to be so far removed from that experience from the last time I played Sapphire. Uh, going in and playing Emerald was like, this huge breath of fresh air for me. I mean, I I just like learned to relove Pokemon the way I did when I was a kid. 
Um, but even past that, because I, I think like you go and read other people's lists for like what their top 10 or top 50 Game Boy Advance games are or whatever. And the first thing everyone says before they even start getting into the list is like, I like Pokemon or I don't like Pokemon. Like if they don't like Pokemon, and it's not gonna be on the list. They'll say that before they get into the list. Like that's such a common refrain. Go back to like the early 2000s of people talking about the Game Boy Advance. And like, that's a thing that people will say a lot. I personally feel like Pokemon Emerald, like regardless of if you like Pokemon or not, is just an incredible video game. It's like I a, agree. Yeah. it's just like a stunning achievement of like how to craft an RPG in a way that is so wildly accessible, but has this extremely high skill ceiling for those who like want to get to that point. If you want to do a Nuzlocke run where your best Pokemon is a loud dread named Tony Sopran, yeah, you could do that. You can do it. But <laughs> even even the way Pokemon Emerald changes what Ruby and Sapphire succeeded at, you know, like First of all, just from a story perspective, including Team Magma and Team Aqua was really interesting. That's so fun. Yeah. That was the thing I was like most curious about was how they would include both of those teams because they both have very differing goals uh, in, in each of their respective games. Like, how do you blend both of those stories into one? I thought it was fascinating to finally find. But more specifically, the thing that really blew my mind was when you finish the game and get to go to the battle frontier, it's just like a whole second truncated Pokemon game in the same way Gold and Silver have you know the Kanto region when you're done with Johto and it's like oh my right. god it's like Back to the Future 2 where the entirety of Back to the Future 1 is in this video game um, <laughs> when you're playing Gold and Silver this kind of felt like a similar thing but you're not getting a throwback to something else you're just getting a whole extra game on top of the one you just finished and they have all these very specific rules and and uh, and, and different forms of engaging with the mechanics that you already know and love in new and interesting ways that are specifically catered to like a more hardcore, like more experienced audience with Pokemon that, you know, to this day, people are like clamoring for. Um, yeah. and, and they've tried to engage with that audience in different ways, you know, in the years since. I think X and Y had, had a really interesting take on it with like that mansion that you could go in that was just like battle after battle after battle after battle. But the Battle Frontier feels like crafted for those people. Uh, and I never thought of myself as one of those people until I finally got there and like started to experience it and was like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, playing. I don't know. Excuse the stupid analogy, but it's, it's like going and playing Halo and doing like a snipers only match, you know, like going into like Halo matchmaking. It's like, oh, I, I'm in a snipers only match. I'm not like a huge fan of the sniper rifle. But then you go and you continue playing it. And it's like, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of fun to be had when you impose these really strict limitations on the player. Uh, and that's what the Battle Frontier is like literally all about. And and adding that into this like extremely vibrant world that I already have grown to love over hours and hours and hours of just playing through the story that like is shockingly high stakes for what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, even though it starts with you just moving to a small town. It feels like it does everything that every good RPG I want to do. Like it just like accomplishes all of that in a way that is so accessible that I could hand it to literally any person at any age and they will probably have fun with it. Oh, um, yeah. And and that's why this is number one and Mother 3 is number two, because like although I think Mother 3 is pushing the genre past the boundaries of what I thought was emotionally possible in a story like this. 
Pokemon Emerald celebrates everything that the genre is capable of and makes it as down to earth and accessible as possible for literally anyone. F- fucking blew me away playing Emerald again. Again, this, this is coming from me, somebody who loved Sapphire, who like defends Sapphire. I have a spec script that's all like set in Slateport City. Like I have a really strong emotional attachment to this specific world. Like Hoenn as a region, I think is really it's interesting. It's a great region. Yeah. A, yeah. Just a lot of really interesting and diverse environments, a lot of really interesting ideas um in that world but going and playing emerald is like the definitive version of this like i never really found appealing as a person who had already played through sapphire multiple times uh and now i'm like yeah this is the one that you should play and is probably the best game on this system for me uh yeah oof it's good it's so good i mean i think the only reason it's second to crystal i mean obviously subjective but like I think Crystal and Gen 3 are both excelling in very specific areas. We mentioned a lot in the Crystal episode how, like, there's almost an Animal Crossing, like, relaxed vibe to Crystal. Totally. Like, it has the focus on the day and night cycle. And, like, the story is never really high stakes. There's, like, some remaining Team Rocket members that are selling Slowpoke Tales. But it's really about, like, uh, I mean, the main story is, like, the redemption of the rival, really. Yeah. And, like, you know, you, it's similar to Red and Blue where you're, like, a kid who saves the day. But the legendaries are there more as, like, something of myth and not, like, being used against their will in the same way that Kyogre and... and uh, Grudon. Who, Grudon are <laughs> and it's also like I think it's funny and also more realistic where like, okay it's been established that every Pokemon region has a team that has some bad idea about how the world should be of course they're going to run into each other at one point so yeah. like it's very funny to have you know Team Aqua and Team Magma I have to say having them both there I was way more Team Aqua in terms of like if I had to choose a side because <laughs> Team Aqua is like, they're essentially like eco-terrorists where they're like, we need to create a better like natural habitat for like fish and aquatic right. life. Yeah, they're avalanche. So therefore, we have to get rid of all land. So you had me for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> the right, second right, part. Right. But whereas Team Magma is like, don't you want a bigger house? That's like how they pitch the idea of more land, which like reads to me as like, okay, they know how silly this is. But like you said, this is the last time that the end of the world stakes felt real because yes. most of the game, you're just endeared to the setting and then as soon as it's about to be like terraformed into something nightmarish either way like you want to stop that and and the way that plays out with Rayquaza and everything is like so cool yeah I mean I mentioned how the latter half of the game like dragged a little bit for me that remains true but it's an incredible RPG for all the reasons you said and I think really like Crystal's my favorite Pokemon game but I do think Emerald is the best RPG of the genre like they really that's the thing for me is like th- yeah. this franchise just gets lost in the conversation around RPGs in general like Pokemon has become such a huge cultural thing that it's like kind of grown past being even considered an RPG. It's just Pokemon now, you know, and other games that are trying to do a similar thing are Pokemon likes. They're not even considered RPGs, but like at the core of the franchise, that's really all it is, you know? And, and this one really just like excels at being an RPG and telling a story within the confines of that genre. And I, I, I think it's exceptional. I, re- I really was blown away by this game. I think the only Pokemon game that's going for a very similar take on the RPG genre is black and white, actually, and that mm. how it's like trying to tell a more specific story. But I think even though I love the New York inspired setting, I was never endeared to the place as strongly as Same. in Because in I think in, in black and white, the ideas are a little bit like shoehorned. Like they're, they're very like clearly... 
announcing themselves. You know, yeah. there's a villain yeah. who like looks at a Ferris wheel and he's like, the spiral of life. It's like, all right, man. Um, whereas in in uh, Ruby Sapphire, like it's mostly just you hanging out on the beach and then the world is about to end. Right. Which I think is is a better way to tell that yeah. story. Yeah, you have you have like 20 hours of just like loving the place you're hanging out and then uh, suddenly someone's like, what if I just took all that away from you though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Right. Yeah. I think you're right though. I mean, I, th- I think you're right in that, you know, it, we talked about this a lot in our Crystal Bonus, but like that game somehow on the Game Boy Color evokes this like, I, I hate to use this because especially been overused during E3 week, but it, it evokes this like uh, Hayao Miyazaki adjacent atmosphere in its sprites and music and world and tone and like pace that I just like really, really, really appreciate. You know, that game, strangely enough, gets closer to showing you what it's like to live in the world of Pokemon than any of the more high fidelity games that have come since. Totally. But this Emerald specifically is like, if you want an RPG, if you want to engage with the world of Pokemon, like it's hard to find something this good in the franchise to this day. I mean, it holds up way better than I thought it was going to. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. I feel like my associations with Summer and the Game Boy Advance are apt also for third gen because I feel like second gen is so inherently autumnal and how like yeah pleasant and cozy it is. Dude, and then yeah. third gen is like, are you ready for beach day? Because like it's summer, man. Get ready. We're gonna do it. It's gonna rain and be hot. Yeah. So I, I'm so glad to know you're number one. It's so cool. The the secrets in this game are wild. Like if you want to go get like the the Reggie, uh, the Reggies, the Titans. Yeah, they're fun. Like just really like wild shit and like I. I imagine most people who played these games when they were kids like didn't even know that was possible unless you had access to gamefacts.com or whatever <laughs> um like some of that stuff is like really really shocking like uh pacific log town uh there's like the person who's like looking out the window and every once in a while they're like i think i see an island out there no yeah. no that's just my that's just my imagination and like you know if you're emulating the game you can like manipulate it so like eventually you'll get a situation in which like there's actually a secret island floating out in the sea that you can go find that kind of stuff is just like lost to time with this franchise um and and they like really just kind of created a best of all world situation for this one it's real it's good i i i know i just keep saying that over and over again but like if i was to hand the game boy advance to anyone with one game like this would so clearly be it for me um, yeah that makes sense yeah. i mean again it's i mentioned this when i brought it up it was, it was number six for me but uh you know, it's like it's easy to write it off, but it is it's similar to Mario Kart in that way. But yeah. it, I think unlike Mario Kart, where everyone other than the Wii version is like pretty great, like Pokemon, I've enjoyed pretty much every Pokemon game. But there, I think after this point, it is definitely like it feels a little bit more artificial yeah. going forward. You know, I really loved Sword and Shield. I think the wild area was a really cool experiment. I'm really cautiously optimistic to see how they implement that with the Arceus game. Yeah. And I'm also like, I'm probably going to do a Nuzlocke of Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which will be exciting. But yeah. I I really, I, I think there's something very special about third gen. And I think that Emerald in particular is like the one to play for, you know, Pokemon games on this console and also like the entire series. Yeah. It's also probably worth mentioning that like there there are remakes of these games. You can go get Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire on the 3DS. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. And they're great. Um, I know a lot of people who prefer those to the Game Boy Advance ones. I did not have that experience having played uh, the 3DS ones as well. 
for me it's really all about the gba ones uh yeah and yeah. the presentation here is just like the way to go i think you yeah. know I, yeah. I just i just prefer it but but I, I think you're right i think i think it's one of those games that like for some reason just gets overlooked it like like you know it weirdly to me Pokemon Emerald being number one and honestly Minish Cap being number one for you like really is this situation where we're taking these two games that are like best in class in their franchise that have just been like lost to time placing them at number one for the overall library of a console that has also strangely been lost to time Um, you know there are obviously a lot of people who still love the Game Boy Advance and talk about it a lot but like how many people like have the ability to go play those games in a way that it like makes sense for most people you know like even yeah. the, even the idea of saying like go emulate this stuff like that's that's already too much for a lot of people to interact right. with i mean the, these games are just gone um and and strangely enough pokemon emerald uh and and minish cap are like two great exemplifiers of why that is so much of a bummer i think um to to just the overall like historical uh like wealth uh, of of these games um but just in general like the the strategy of like ignoring them entirely uh from from the company that created them uh you know it, it's yeah these, these would wild. sell so well on the switch i mean like yeah. they're both you know it's not it's not hot to just say zelda and pokemon will sell well but like there's such an appetite for these games you know and i think like especially these two like you said they're sort of weirdly the ignored ones in their respective series yeah i'm, I'm hope i mean it seems like you know in the time of recording like there is weirdly suddenly like a zeitgeist interest in game boy advance yeah i don't know there how always has been an interest yeah. but like i'm hoping it materializes because like weirdly like super nintendo nes you can get that stuff more easily you know on the switch library it's usually in more e-stores like something about this era nintendo is like now nah, that was my weird phase don't remember that no yeah. we want to we loved your weird phase bring yeah. it back uh yeah dye your hair blue man um it's fitting now that our our ask for the for the contest was a trico picture i thought that's number one yeah i was very happy that you chose that yeah Okay, so how are you feeling? Do you want to go right into making the top five for the for the show? Do you want another break? Do you want to take? A I have walk? an idea. I, I have a couple more games I just want to like mention real quick that I I withheld because I thought they might show up on your list. Uh, and th- and then maybe we take a break and then top five. Is that cool? Perfect. That sounds great. So I'm just curious. It, this is less of like an honorable mention situation. I mean, these were in my top twenty, so like I'm bringing them up, I guess, kind of as honorable mentions. But I this is more just me asking you. What did you think about Final Fantasy Tactics Advance? That was an honorable mention that I forgot to bring up. Oh, that, that was, was the one. Yeah, okay. I don't know how, because that was on my list for a while. That was also a game I brought up on the show. I love that yeah. game. I love the presentation. Uh, I think I love the approach to tactics. Um, I, I love the interpretation of Final Fantasy jobs as like, you know, characters on the board. Like I yeah. really, really was so smitten by this game. Similar reason to Advance Tour. The reason it was an honorable mention was it just takes forever. Every match is like a little too long than it should be. And I'm really not an impatient person, but I just think like because I think a strength of the game was the presentation, I always wanted to see what the new levels were. So it's it's a happy problem to have where there's too much of a good thing. Um, I also found that at a certain point, the narrative wasn't like as appealing to me. That was my issue too. Yeah. But I loved the game and the presentation so much and I would highly recommend it. And I, I, I've had a lot of people recommend that I give the original 
FF Tactics and other shocks. I bounced off of that when I tried to play it, mm-hmm. and I greatly preferred Tactics Advance. I did get, uh, I got the original Tactics on my phone, um, and I also have the PS One disc, so I'll probably try it again. But I, I really loved it. But it was an honorable mention for me. Yeah, that that ended up being number fifteen for me. I, I ended up enjoying that a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, yeah, and, and for me, strangely enough, I, I they're not the same franchise. They could have all been part, you know, part of my list. But um, there's another game called Tactics Ogre. Um, uh, on the Game Boy yeah. Advance. Did you play that at all? I didn't get to play it, but I've seen that in a lot of the research we did. Yeah, I mean, it it is really going after a very similar gameplay style uh, to Final Fantasy Tactics. And from what I've heard from some people, they like the narrative more in Tactics Ogre. And I kind of get where that's coming, where they're coming from on that front. But I weirdly enjoyed the like kind of lower stakes vibe of of Final Fantasy Tactics uh, of the two of them, which is why that ended up being on my list instead of Tactics Ogre. But that said, I do really think that this style of combat and gameplay is like really fascinating. It um, is, yeah. and, and I'm glad to strangely see it show up again in Project Triangle Strategy, which is like, yeah, I think going to be a game that you and I are going to like absolutely love. Oh, if it's yeah. If it's even remotely as good as the demo was. It really is. I mean, it, again, weird coincidence, but like the minute I played Tactics Advance, that demo came out and I'm like, OK, here we are. Cool. Yeah. But I, there, there's a big appetite for this kind of game. And this genre, I think, has kind of gone ignored. I mean, you can kind of compare it to Fire Emblem, but it's different. Because it's a little bit more like in both Advanced Wars and Fire Emblem, like when you command a unit to attack, you're you are told what the outcome could be, but it happens independent of you. Mm hmm. Whereas in Tactics Advance, like you are kind of controlling more steps of it. Yeah. And there's a little bit more variety. It, it really does feel like you're playing Final Fantasy, but like on a chessboard. Um, which yeah. Is fun. We- weirdly enough, like the, the differentiator I would say between the two of them is that like Fire Emblem and Advance Wars are about positioning uh, and Final Fantasy Tactics Advance is even more about positioning. Like for s- somehow it's like even more important that your units are in the right space. Um, there's a lot more like height and verticality as well. Or yeah. Like, you know, know being above or below like i love the isometric maps really if i had to rank like just design this would be in my list for sure like i love the look of this game yeah yeah it's it's very pretty um i really like the characters i don't know i i was like surprised at how much i like this game because i didn't think it was gonna be for me um and then uh and then project triangle strategy came out or that demo came out and i really liked it and i was like okay i should play this more uh, one of the other ones I wanted to ask you about, did you play Mega Man Battle Network at all? I did. I didn't care for it, to really? be honest. Yeah. This is one of those ones where like, I played it. I was like, eh, that's not for me. And then I went back and revisited it. I was like, oh my God, do I fucking love this? <laughs> um, so uh, just for context, this was number 12 on my list. Uh, the first Battle Network specifically, again, this is one of those situations where like there was literally one every year and some in some cases every six months that the Game Boy Advance was out. So I think there's like five or six of these. The first one was the one that grabbed me the most. Um, yeah, I, I won't I won't get too into it, um, you know, because, again, it wasn't on my like top 10 or whatever. But this is one of those instances where like they just created such an interesting form of combat that I'm surprised I haven't seen more people try and do it. Yeah, there's this like there's this really interesting um I don't even know. It's like it's like a three by nine grid uh, and you have one half of the field and then the enemies have the other half of the field and you kind of have like a card or like a deck of cards that you use that allow you to attack in different ways and the enemies are attacking and it's all about like you can move freely throughout this grid uh, and use these cards to attack, you know, specific uh, squares on the enemy side or 
you know, destroy squares on the enemy side so they can't move around freely, things like that. Um, but weirdly enough, the whole game takes place in like kind of just the real world. Like it's very much like a Y2K, like the internet exists and that's exciting kind of vibe to the thing. Kind of Digimon-esque almost a little yes, bit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and Mega Man is not an actual character in the game, but Mega Man is like an AI that the main character just like has on like a computer chip. And it's very, it's very fun in ways that I really wasn't expecting. I, I, I think that this combat's really interesting. And I actually looked into just like where the fans of this franchise have gone, you know, cause like I, I don't have as much of an attachment to Mega Man, but like I weirdly do now have more of an attachment to Mega Man Battle Network. And I just wanted to see like, what are the spaces online where these people are still fans of this and like clamoring for like a collection or something the same way there's a Mega Man Zero collection. Like what are they saying in 2021? And weirdly enough, what I found is that there's an extremely vibrant esports community of Mega Man Battle Network fans who are like, fighting in Mega Man Battle Network online matches all the time. That's awesome. I love that. I, I was so glad to see that because like this real like this really feels like a franchise that was lost to time. Like Mega Man yeah. Battle Network is a thing that a bunch of people recommended when we said we were doing this episode. I had already put like a bunch of hours into it, um, but revisited it kind of because so many people recommended it again. I was like, OK, I'll give this another shot and like really grew to love it. And I was very glad to see that there's a lot of people still talking about it. The, the other two I'll mention real quick. F-Zero Maximum Velocity. That was number 19 on my list. I, I actually really like that game. Um, I'm not like a huge F-Zero fan, but like surprisingly a great 3D racer on, on the Game Boy Advance. Um, and the other one, very late edition, uh, was recommended by three people to me on Twitter was Hamtaro, Ham Ham Heartbreak. Uh <laughs> could not believe how good this game was so this is based on the hamtaro anime uh for those of you who remember that from like the toonami era of cartoon network the thing about this game and and this was what why it was recommended to me and like i completely just like loved it um the thing about it is that you run around this world and you have a couple verbs it's kind of like a it's kind of like a point and click adventure game in a way you run around this world and you have the ability to like speak to someone dig sniff or poke with a stick when you start the game, but you have this big dictionary of like potential other verbs. And as you continue to interact with the world and use those four starting ones, you start to learn more verbs that add to your list of things that you can do to interact with the world. And it strangely plays, this is very much of a reach, but it weirdly plays like a Metroidvania in a way where like, as you continue to unlock these verbs and you have the ability to like scream, you know, or something, um, that'll allow you to go back and interact with things in new ways that will allow you to progress throughout the game. Um, there is weirdly like a villain who's doing weird shit and like that's not interesting at all. But I, I, there's a really cool idea here that I'm amazed I haven't seen done more. Like the idea of playing like a, a, a Monkey Island style game where you have like your your four main verbs to interact and, and interacting in those four verbs will allow you to get more verbs is a really cool concept. And I, I, I feel like eventually someone who played this game on the Game Boy Advance will get into game development and make something similar that's not using the Hamtaro IP uh, and will become <laughs> like beloved in the indie scene. It just yeah. it feels like an inevitability. It's such a cool thing. I didn't play enough of it, really, but I did tweet a picture of me playing it and the amount like the outpouring from people who played this game growing up was like way larger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So just that's like a awesome. really cool idea for a game. But the, anyway, that's everything that was on 
all of my lists. I want to I want to clarify too with a Mega Man Battle Network that I feel like I that was like one of the games I probably just didn't have enough time for. Yeah. Um. Like I I, I definitely think it had some cool ideas going on, but I, I just didn't really get too into it. But um, I I just think I want to add too to like you know we put so much work and effort into like really being honest with ourselves about which games we liked the most. But like there are over a thousand games for the system. We could probably if we had more time to do more research, do like a whole other episode about like <laughs> another you know like there's so many games to celebrate on this console i really if there's any takeaway it just like don't forget this era of games so that's like really even more than like the games you and i chose i just think that this is such a cool era to draw inspiration from yeah that i hope more people you know who missed it or maybe didn't grow up with it like you and i did can go back and and take this into the future because a lot of really really and even outside of taking it into somewhere new there's so many great works of art that like you can engage with uh, in a meaningful way here so yeah just a great a great system yeah as of the time of this recording um it's it's june 19th 2021 uh the day that we're recording this as as of the time of this recording the game boy advance is like officially 20 years old like nintendo tweeted the other day uh you know the game boy advance has hit 20 and i'm just wondering if eventually god willing kids who grew up playing the game boy advance will eventually be in charge and in control at nintendo and like you know having grown up with the Game Boy Advance will like kind of give it its due on whatever the new Nintendo console is and like bring these things out in a way that like allows you to support it, you know, allows you to like pay for it with real money and not need to like buy an emulator handheld off Amazon or whatever, or like, I don't know. I just want this stuff to be more accessible. Uh, yeah. And it's great because they've done it before with both the Wii U and the 3DS and the Wii. It's really yeah. up until now that they've like been pickier about it. Yeah. But um, there are ways to play these games. There so. are do it uh cool you want to take a break and then try and do our top five that's gonna be an interesting experience yeah that'll be fun let's do it uh <laughs> we will see you soon dear listener thanks for your patience goodbye goodbye all right we're back we uh did the easy part which is playing <laughs> 80 video games over the course of six months and then making a top 10 list uh and then ex- explaining that top 10 list but now it's time for the hard part. The gauntlet, the battle royale, the the Fortnite of lists. <laughs> <laughs> the Fortnite of lists. Yeah. What else you got? I don't know. <laughs> We've been recording for so long. It was a long one. Yeah. This is like, this is an especially long one. I, kn- I knew it was at least going to be three hours based on our usual yeah. Gordy length. But yeah, this is a lot. Anyway. Now is the time we settle on a top five for the show. For those who are listening for the first time, it's kind of a one plus one equals three logic. We're like, <laughs> it's not like, oh, you put this six and I put it first. Therefore, it's 3.5. It's more like, okay, if we had to combine our preferences, what is like most emblematic of you and I together and the show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I bring that up because for the first time since maybe 2018, we have pretty different lists. We have different number ones and our top fives only share one game in common. <laughs> yeah. I, I said this to my partner, Persia, this morning uh, while I was like drinking coffee and eating a bagel outside, uh, just like mentally preparing for this, that like I think that this top five is going to be the most difficult we've ever had to put together. Generally, we've had a pretty easy time because our lists are pretty much in lockstep. Uh, 2018 was kind of a weird deviation from that where we started the show halfway through the year. So there were games that you and I played before doing the show. 
um, that made the list. This is like, okay, you have to take 100 video games and create a list out of it. Um, of course, our lists are wildly different already. I think you and I have different tastes, even though we've kind of become a little bit more homogenous between the two of us over the years yeah. of doing the show. Um, we still have different tastes, and those have uh, resulted into very, very different lists. Uh, interesting how much overlap we have in terms of top 10, but not right. much overlap in top 5, which I think yeah. was a little bit to be expected. We were just saying in the break, I, ha- I had a hunch that yours was going to be more tactics-based. What I wasn't expecting from you that I wasn't expecting from me either until I started putting the list together is how much of it is focused on first-party Nintendo stuff. Like, yeah. in, you know, a lot of people made video games for the Game Boy Advance, and it's wild that Nintendo were the ones who, like, nailed it time and time and time and time and time again. Um, yeah. Which, like, maybe is a bummer to you, dear listener, that, like, we have so much <laughs> first-party Nintendo stuff. Like, oh, my top ones are Mario and Zelda and Pokemon. But, like, they really made the best games that they had made up until that yeah. point for the Game Boy Advance. And you'll be happy you got Joel Dozer. That's a weird one for you. Um <laughs> Anyway, so in terms of the show's top five, I think an easy one we can do right away, which I think will be harder later for the order, but one we can immediately say is going to be in the top five is Mother 3. It was on both our top fives. Yeah. It was five for me. It was two for you. Right. We did an entire bonus about it for multiple hours. We've we've talked about <laughs> how much we love it. I think it has to be on there. Yeah. Uh, well, quickly, actually, do you, do you want to go through your top 10? Go 10 to 1? Oh, sure. Just, yeah. just a reminder for the listener because it's been hours and hours and hours <laughs> and hours. <laughs> this episode is longer than the Godfather trilogy. Think yeah. about that for a minute. And I, anyway. I you know, it's, it's all uh, because of our sponsor, Energizer. Shout outs to you. Um, ten- <laughs> Tell me your list. 10 to 1. 10 to 1. 10 is, you guessed it, Drill Dozer. 9 is Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Yes. 8 is Harvest Moon. More, More friends, friends in the world town. Yeah, don't don't get it twisted. Unless you're playing WarioWare. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. So, oh my god. 7 is, speaking of which, WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games. Uh-huh. 6 is Pokemon Emeralds. 5 is Mother 3. Yes. 4 is Metroid Fusion. 3 is Advance Wars. 2 is Fire Emblem The Blazing Blade. And uh, or just Fire Emblem Seven, if you want to be, you know, in the know. Yeah. Or just Fire Emblem, if uh, if you're looking at the cartridge. That's true. Uh, that was one of the cartridges I bought that cost a lot. That one is hard to find. Yeah. Uh, just I had that one up. growing up, and I remember playing it for like maybe eight minutes and putting it down. <laughs> <laughs> and number one is the Legend of Zelda: The Minish Cap. I love that. Which actually that is, I guess, kind of a third party game, even though it's Zelda. It's Capcom. That's true. So. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so for me, 10 to 1, Mario Kart Super Circuit, WarioWare Twisted, Gunstar Superheroes, Metroid Fusion, Zelda the Minish Cap at number 6, number 5, Mario Golf Advance Tour, number 4, Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland, number 3, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, number 2, Mother 3, number 1, Pokemon Emerald Version. Yeah, as as you were saying, not a whole lot of overlap. The only one that's in both of our top fives is Mother 3. That said, again, you had it at number five. I had it at number two. So, like, again, it's like a one plus one equals three scenario. What does that really mean for us in terms of placement? I don't even know. I just have it in list in the list of potential things to be in our top five. I'm not even uh, my my method for this is not even thinking about placement. I'm thinking more like what are the five contenders? And then, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I agree. The contenders. Okay, so Mother 3, definitely clear contender. I think based on our conversation, Metroid Fusion has to be in the top five, right? I, I would say so. What was it for you? Six or seven? 
Uh, for me, it was number seven. So the, the three games right now that I think are not on both of our, like, so Metro Fusion's in my top five. It's not in yours. Pokemon Emerald is your number one. It's number six for me. Yeah. And Mario and Luigi is number nine for me, but is in your top five. Yeah. Those are the three games, though, that I think are contenders. Mm. And we can talk more about that. But I think Mario and Luigi, Pokemon Emerald, and Metroid Fusion all would be emblematic of the show and of our lists. Again, again, like we love all 10 of these games, uh, but I think those are the ones that even though there isn't like 100% overlap, they are on both our lists and they are like games we think very highly of. Yeah. Interesting. So wait, is that four or is that five? That's four. That's, That's four, four games. Yeah. Mother 3, Pokemon Emeralds, yeah. Mario and Luigi, Mario, and, Metroid and, Fusion. and Metroid Fusion. I mean, if we're going down this this avenue, then I think the obvious like fifth contender is Minish Cap, right? I mean, right. it's your it's your number one. It was also my top ten. It was number six. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty it high actually up there. both our number ones are the others number six. Oh yeah, which is kind of funny. Well, that is yeah. weird. So I think Emerald and Minish Cap have to count like even more than the other two. Those I are think like, so too. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a pretty good top. It's it, okay. This is weirdly easier than I thought it was going to be, but also we haven't figured out placement yet. The um, thing is, though, I kind of want to make a case for either mm-hmm. Fire Emblem or Advance Wars. I would be leaving part of my soul behind if one of those games wasn't on there. I'm not going to be a dick about it, but I do think that this can't be that easy, Brendan. I'll say I'll say this much: if if you're comfortable taking taking the the trade immediately, this this does feel like 2018 era. Yeah, list weirdly. If you're if you're comfortable with just saying yes to this offer immediately, I think it's Advance Wars. If we're going to consider one of the two, I think it, I think it has to be Advance Wars. I think that makes more sense. Yeah, I think the Fire Emblem games on the Game Boy Advance are not even close to the best Fire Emblem games comparatively. I disagree, but I'm willing to accept uh, <laughs> your trade. Uh, whereas Advance Wars definitely better than Famicom Wars. I'll say that much. <laughs> I'll say that I like I like Awakening and Three Houses more than Blazing Blade. But like, you know, I mean, I, I, I'll have to check out more of the series. I definitely like this Fire Emblem more than Fates, uh, personally. But um, mm. that's a whole other conversation. I think, though, in the representative list, I think Advanced Wars would be the one. So I'm not saying it has to be top five, but I, I want to throw that in the ring for contenders. I, th- I think that's worth having in the ring. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, it, it is worth mentioning. It was my number 11. Ah! It's my number 11. And Fire yeah. Emblem was my number 16. So it's Advanced Wars. I think it's Advanced Wars. I think it's Wars also like, it's so emblematic of the system too. Like it's yeah. so like, it has the name in it, everything about it. Yeah. yeah. The, so we got six now. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two that I'm thinking of for my list that like, I think honestly, it sucks, but like three potentially. So I'll, I'll just I'll say this out loud. I know it doesn't count. I know it won't make the list, but I'm going to say it out loud. I think Nightmare in Dreamland, just an incredible video game. Um, I think based on our conversation about it, you have a much stronger connection to Superstar, which like I totally get. So like we could throw that out. That game, I just want to say again, very important to me. Oh, yeah. The two that I actually think you could make a case for on both of our lists in some capacity uh, or WarioWare. Yeah, WarioWare, I think makes a great case whether it's twisted or mega micro games both of which are wonderful um you could take my word for it the twisted is better i think that might even be up for debate based on people who like that franchise i'm not really sure or mario golf advance tour which like weirdly enough even though it didn't make your top 10 it made my top five but weirdly enough has become this like touch point for what a sports rpg could be and has become like the blueprint for like everybody's golf clap hands golf pretty much everything that clap hands has made uh ever since you know like yeah so many people have taken that formula and run with it in interesting ways in multiple different directions that like 
its influence is unmatched. That said, it comes down. It, it, this isn't a list about influence. This isn't a list about you know what worked on the hardware. It's a list about like what's good and what you enjoyed currently. And you didn't enjoy it enough for it to be in your top ten. So like I think that says a lot about it. But I, I want to hear your take. I think that. Because we're still not, we're still throwing like, this is like the second round in my mind. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's like the entity of you and I and the show. So I think I'm actually very comfortable with like throwing Mario Golf and WarioWare, either the first one or the second one, into the ring of contenders. And we can like say those names out loud and see how that feels and what we should, what we think should be top five. Yeah. That works for me. Do you want to, do you want to pick one of the WarioWare games between the two? I mean, I think if it's the show's list, we should probably pick the one that you and I both played, which is Mega Micro Game the first one yeah that, um, i haven't played twisted so it would be weird to say that but i mean i trust you but i think it would probably have to be the first one then yeah i, I think i think if we were going to put twisted in it would be like a, a god of war situation where you just took my word for it that that was one of the best games of the year um anyway uh I I w- that's what a god of war situation means yeah <laughs> take my word for it kratos yeah, uh, it's it's either going to be WarioWare or God of War. It's one of the two. Um, so we have seven games now up for. We, we have seven uh, games up for top five. Yeah, I think you're right that Mother Three is a definite. Yeah, I think we can just move that over into the definite category. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm putting that. I'm 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 breaking that out. Um, I I you know I have a document open. I'm I'm tracking all this stuff. I um, would also say both our number one should be definites. I think Pokemon Emeralds and Minish Cap should be definites for yeah. the top five. That leaves two games. That, that leaves two spots. I think one of those two spots has to be has to be Fusion. Probably. Well, what right? what are the remaining candidates again? It's Fusion, Advanced Wars, and WarioWare, and Mario Golf. Those are the four. Fusion, Advanced Wars, WarioWare, Mario Golf. Yeah, those are the ones. Okay. Yeah, I think Fusion has to be one of those. Yeah, I think so too. I mean that that seems like yeah that that that's definite. It's on both our lists, whereas the other ones, it's only on one of our lists. Yeah. This this might be a uh, just maybe calling it I early. Have a, I have a oh what are you going to call? Because I I have a thought. Suddenly. Yeah, <laughs> I think you and I maybe have the same thought. It's a Marvel Spider-Man situation where uh, I don't know why I'm referencing the 2018 Goatee episode. You can go listen <laughs> to that if you want. Um, that was a situation where it was number three on both of our lists and ended up being our number one game of the year for the show. Um, yes, I, I could see that with Metroid Fusion. I could see that oh, being number one. I was going to say, I actually suddenly think for the I'm not thinking of already. I think I'm candidates. Mm. I think that. So the remaining, so we, for the definites right now, we have Mother 3, Metroid Fusion, Minish Cap, and Pokemon Emeralds. Yeah. And then for the remaining candidates that are like qualifying for definites, it's Mario Golf, WarioWare, and Advanced Wars, right? And Mario and Luigi. And Mario and Luigi. Oh, fuck. Okay. So the thing about Mario and Luigi and WarioWare, they're both on both our lists, Mm -hmm. whereas the other two are not. So, you know, whether or not we want to count that as a clear advantage, I just, for whatever reason, I thought it was just WarioWare and I was like, Maybe WarioWare is the one, but Mario and Luigi complicates things. I would be willing. Mario and Luigi was number three for me. It was a nine for me. The th- the thing about Mario and Luigi is that it feels like more of a gateway to more enjoyable experiences I'll have later. Uh, mm, okay. Then it is just like the clear contender for me. Weirdly, I think it's going to be my conduit towards interacting with the rest of that franchise. So I I would be willing personally to leave that one behind, I think, if that okay. complicates things less. I if, I feel like it has to be between WarioWare and Advance Wars. If that's the choice that we're making, then for me, it's clearly WarioWare. I guess let's look at the definite list and see what the vibe is there. Because I think, so we got both our number ones. 
Mm-hmm. And bo- I think both our number one picks are games we both love. So it's like kind of like equally representative of both of us. Yeah. Uh, Mother 3, same deal. Metroid Fusion, very similar deal. Uh-huh. And then there's two spots. So Advance Wars is more Steven. Uh, we have one spot th- left. Oh, we have one. Wait, what, what's it? What Mother I? 3, po- Pokemon, Emerald, Zelda, Minish Cap, Metroid Fusion. Oh, okay. We have one spot left. We have one spot left. <laughs> I think it's got to be WarioWare because I think that Mario Golf is more you and mm. Advance Wars is more me and WarioWare really is the, the middle ground. Oof, yeah. I think you're right. If it, if it, I feel things. Yeah. I, f- I feel a lot of ways about this, but... I know you feel a lot of ways about Advance Wars, so I, th- I think maybe we do need to we need to shed a piece of ourselves to come to a collective agreement here and say that WarioWare is is the one. I think so too, just because I think if like we if the show is like here are the games we recommend, I feel like WarioWare. I mean, I, Advance Wars again, uh, my number three. I think it's like easily one of the games I'd recommend. I think the difficulty of it is like keeping it in more of a niche territory. It's my whereas wa- biggest issue with that game, yeah, yeah. Whereas WarioWare is like so easily like such a unique and and joyful experience. Not that it has to be like for everyone. It's our. It's still subjective. But I just think Wario, WarioWare is the middle ground. Uh, unless you want to make a strong case for Mario Golf, I think it should be WarioWare. Does that feel good to you, though? Do you feel like is that too much of a compromise? Do you want it to be one way or another? I'm I'm thinking about not just, you know, like, these are the best games on the Game Boy Advance, but, like, how do these games hold up compared to the rest of, like, the video game library at large? Just sitting there and recommending games in general. How do I feel about that? And the thing about WarioWare and Advance Wars is that I feel like you can get similar experiences elsewhere in a lot of cases. I think Advance Wars succeeds in its in its you know tactics and gameplay and vibe, but the tactics and gameplay have also been like achieved in different avenues in different ways, even in the indie scene itself. WarioWare, I kind of feel a similar way in that there are actually there are a lot of WarioWare games that exist. Like although they don't go back to that well that often, Nintendo has made a bunch of WarioWare games. And then Mario Golf kind of falls into a similar category where like Golf Story exists, the clap hand stuff exists like other companies have made Mario Golf games. So the question is, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm trying to come at this from every angle and like I can't really pick one of the three. And that kind of makes me want to lean towards WarioWare because it's like the safest option. And then that could just be number five. Yeah, I, I disagree a little weird. bit. I feel like Advance Wars and WarioWare are actually both like incredibly unique in the experience you get, even though they're like, yes, there are more WarioWare games, but they largely are multiplayer focused. Whereas this is like very much a score chasey solo experience. I think that's true of smooth moves in the new one that they're putting out, but that's not true of all of WarioWare. That's true. But Advance Wars, I think, is also, even though it is in like the tactics genre, very like even Wargroove, which is like the attempt at like doing Advance Wars, like does not really do it the same yeah. way. Like just, it's a very, yeah. even though it's in a very populated niche genre i think it's still it still has like a very unique energy now that you're saying they're not unique i know what you mean in terms of like where else can you get that kind of similar experience but i just, um, I just think if i was going to recommend a tactics based game like this to somebody it would not be advanced wars it would be fire emblem awakening or three houses i disagree I, well, I, just because you would I recommend think, Advance Wars over Awakening or Three Houses to a person who's never played a tactics game, depending on what they want from it. I mean, I think if you if you never played a tactics game, like the focus of, the focus of Three Houses is not tactics. The focus of Three Houses is getting to know it's the smooching. characters. 
And then you get to do tactics in between smooching. If if the person who wants to get into tactics games wants to like actually focus on tactics, then it depends on what they're looking for. You're if right. They Starcraft want... 2 is the move. <laughs> Quit parading on my on my take. <laughs> uh, if they want, you know, I, I just think like I agree that like, okay, the entry point to like Fire Emblem is way more accessible with Awakening and Three Houses. Mm-hmm. But again, the focus on those games is different. It's much more like I feel like if you wanted to get into Persona, there's more Persona DNA in Three Houses than there is like Tactics. Yeah. Even, you know, if you love Three Houses, you probably it's not a guarantee you would love Advanced Wars. Whereas, like, um, if you love Into the Breach, you might like Advanced Wars, you know? I think, like, Advanced Wars is is difficult and it's very specifically in a genre, but it's also probably the first tactics game I played as a kid. And it's, like, kind of what got me into the genre, too. So, mm. like, you know, I, I think I get where you're coming from, but I think that it's very, there's a lot of variables there that I wouldn't be able to say, like, ignore Advanced Wars because Three Houses is the superior entry point. Like, I don't, that's, like, if you don't like bananas, you'd love chicken parmesan like it's a little bit too far apart for me to like get down with that point and then i think if golf story didn't exist mario golf would be more of an obvious pick which i think leaves warrior wear as like the more obvious one still yeah i i, I think it's warrior wear because i think that's like the first time you and i maybe actually got heated on the show so i think that's representative oh, of... i wasn't getting heated at all but it's okay, good to good. know it's good to know that <laughs> advanced wars elicits that in you i'm excited for the reboot i to come wasn't out. angry i just feel like we were like disagreeing in a way that usually doesn't happen <laughs> I, I, I mean, it has, it's gotta be WarioWare then, but, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's WarioWare because I think that like, that is, that is a game we both love and it's so representative of this system. And I think like, uh, I like the approach of like, what is the unique experience? Um, yeah, yeah. And I think WarioWare is probably of the three, even though there are more WarioWare games, I think it's still the most unique experience here. Yeah. I mean, it, again, you know, to go back to this, uh, point i've made now like four or five times on this episode but like it's it's the mario kart super circuit situation you know like this is this is warrior wear and it's like literally most stripped down form it's just you got a button and a d-pad and that's it um yeah and, and i i think that's extremely powerful and you know was laid the foundation for what became you know a tentpole nintendo first party ip and honestly a blueprint for like a lot of other companies to try and make things i also uh, think they got it their best in this era like i think between twisted and this one like those are the strongest games in this series. I love smooth moves, but I think like having to stop the action to explain how to hold the Wiimote really does throw a wrench in the pacing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I haven't played the DS one. I think it's called Touched, but... Uh, yeah, that was the one for me. That was like really the one for me. Yeah. Um, that was that was the one that got me into it. Um, I don't know. Mega Micro Games was, was great. I played that and Twisted all the way through. Uh, they're really good. So I, I want to say I, this. Yeah. Oh, go I, ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I, exactly what you were going to say. I think I think it's worry aware. And I think it's got to be number aware. five, which like puts it, you know, we have a thing on the board now, <laughs> which is nice. OK, yeah. So worry aware number five. Worry aware mega micro games. <laughs> Sorry. Worry aware comma inc period colon mega micro games dollar S sign is, is the S exclamation point exclamation point is the full name officially dragon quest 11 it actually this actually led directly to dragon quest 11 the subtitle <laughs> amazing all right cool i feel good about that I, I, how do you feel yeah i feel good i, I think yeah. i think that that makes sense okay so now we got against the order even though um, mega micro games wasn't even in my top 20 ah! uh, 
I'm just kidding. Is there uh, anything on this list that wasn't on my list? I'm just want to, trying to be fair here. That wasn't on your list? Yeah. Fusion, Minish Cap, Pokemon Emerald, and Mother 3? Those are all my list. They're on your list, too. Yeah. And I guess Twisted was on your list. It's kind of on both. Yeah. Any, No matter what we chose of those three, there would be one that wasn't on our list. So this is like actually the only one that's kind of on both. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel okay, about it. Okay, cool. So five is WarioWare. Do you have any immediate thoughts right now in terms of, I guess you want to work our way up, number four? I have, a, I, have a, I have a top level question for you. Yeah, what's for, up? for the show, is Mother 3 number one? I think that's like, just looking at the four that we have left, that seems like the most obvious placement for, for any of them, potentially. We could come back to this, but it, it just looking at the list, if I was to assign numbers to any of them, it feels like that would be the case. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, honestly, of all the ones that remain, I'm like pretty comfortable with any of them being number one. I would probably that's lean towards yeah. like... Pokemon was yours, Minish Cap was mine, and Mother 3 was in both of our top fives. I would be comfortable with any of those three being number one, um, including, you know, so yeah, that, that works for me, but maybe we could build our way up and see how that feels. Yeah. I just, I feel like Metroid Fusion is probably four, right? It was four on my list, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it was, was, it was it lower you? on my list. It was, what, seven? Yeah, it was so seven that works. on my list. Yeah. Four for Metroid Fusion works. I, th- I think that makes the most sense. Three, I would say is yeah. This, this, this is this is this is this is very 2018 because we have like number one as like Celeste for Hollow Knight. Yeah, yeah. This is Celeste for Hollow Knight. I mean, I love Pokemon Emeralds. That's the um, thing is that, that that to me that conversation Celeste vs. Hollow Knight felt more heated. <laughs> than this does because i'd be happy with either of them in either spot yeah I, i'm totally like i i i'm there's not a there's not a qualification debate here yeah um, like i i could almost do a coin flip and be happy with where the coin lands i'm not i don't want to do that but i i could hypothetically I, which again leads me to the mother three thing i, I think actually, mother you know three fuck should that, be actually one. i don't think mother three should be number one i oh, okay. i've, I've kind of turned <laughs> i just said it should... <laughs> i i've changed my mind on that i look Incredible game. I have it at number two. You had it. You had it much lower. You had it number five. five. Man, wh- what a weird, what weird placement we had here. I f- I feel like it should be Emerald or Minish Cap at number one. Um, oh, wow. I could I could I think you could make strong cases for either of them. Is the yeah. problem it, it, specific? Exactly what I was saying towards the end of the last segment. Like both of them, strangely enough, are these like forgotten classics in their franchise on a forgotten console. Like. It feels like both of them exemplify what the Game Boy Advance is better than anything else. That said, you could really apply that to Mother 3. There is no game more forgotten than that. But is it really forgotten if people mention it in the replies of every Nintendo tweet every time Nintendo says anything ever? Probably not. It is not, not. forgotten. The, the power move is Minish Cap at number one. Like the power move is like Minish Cap is the one that nobody talks about really in the conversation <laughs> regarding Zelda games. Like ev- even the people who talk about Pokemon will like shout out the Battle Frontier and Emerald every once in a while. Because uh, yeah. th- that's that's the, you know, whenever I- I'm not going to get into this, obviously, but like the shitty side of the Pokemon fandom that's always yelling on the Internet. Like they always talk about wanting a hardcore end game and the Battle Frontier is the thing that they're referring to as like right. you've done it before you can do it again. So like there is there is a current zeitgeist cultural touchstone for why emerald is still in the conversation mother three is an ever-present looming cloud amongst everything that nintendo does minish cap is the one that's always in the background yeah i think it really depends what we want to like i think putting minish cap at number one for the show is sort of like the underdog victory 
in a way. Emerald is like, like you said, there's sort of like a zeitgeist behind it. It's definitely the game that I think most people could enjoy yeah. out of the three here, like by far. Uh, oh, Nish Cap is, is there too. But I mean, Emerald is like, like you said, if, if you like, if we could include a game with the giveaway, it probably would have been Emeralds, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then Mother 3 is just like, you know, that is the narrative achievement. That is like mm-hmm. the cult classic. It, it has that following for a reason. So it, it really is like tricky. My my thought, oh man, it's so hard. This is this is the tough part. Yeah. Um, I keep seeing <laughs> I keep seeing Minish Cap at two for some reason. I don't know why. But really? I keep seeing it at two. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It's tough too because Minish Cap is my number one. So it's a little bit weird to be like, Boo, you know, I want to win everything. Yeah. And Minish Cap is my number six. Right. And uh, literally same with me with Pokemon Emerald. So yeah. like we're it really is like this is as symmetrical as a top three could be. Yeah. Um I mean, another case from other three being number one, we do have a bonus about it. That's like three hours. But you also have a 40 hour <laughs> uh, library of video about your experience of Pokemon Emerald. <laughs> what do you think of what do you think of three Minish Cap, two Emerald, one Mother three? Honestly, man, I think Emerald should be number one for the show. I think it should be Pokemon Emerald, Minish Cat, Mother 3. That is the conclusion that I was careening towards yeah. as well. I just think for the show, like Pokemon is always a big deal to us. It's a game we both love and have put a lot of time into. Of all the games I played for this show, I sure did put 40 ass hours into my Nuzlocke Emerald <laughs> run. I think it's like emblematic, even though it's like such a mainstream thing. It is weirdly emblematic of all the things we like about Game Boy Advance. It's a beautiful game visually. It's like utilizing the hardware for like the music and the aesthetic of the game. It's a really solid RPG on top of being a good Pokemon game. And it's like easy to recommend to anybody. Mother 3 comes with like a ton of caveats, but is such a rich narrative experience. And Minish Cap is, you know, the underdog. So I think I think that feels good to me. I think Emeralds, Minish Cap, Mother 3. Metro Fusion, WarioWare. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Wow. We did it. I think that works for me. I'm I'm looking at it. I like that Mother 3 is number 3. That's fun. Yeah, that's that's really what sealed the deal, I think. (laughs) There's something something fun about that. WarioWare at number 5. Yeah. I I think this is good. That, to me, is the weird pick. WarioWare? Yeah, like, looking at the list, Pokemon Emerald... Minish Cap, Mother 3, Metroid Fusion as a top four is like, yeah, that rules. And then Warrior yeah, yeah. is like, whoa, that's a hot take. <laughs> but you know what? I'll stand by it. Do you want to revisit the idea of having Advanced Tour or Advanced Wars there? Or is it Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga? Ooh. Honestly, for the show, including AJ in this, I'd be very open to having Mario and Luigi. I know we counted it out before, but it's on both our lists. It's actually worth... It is actually on both our lists. My phone just died, so I can't look at it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have your list written down, and it's number nine on your list, and it was number three on my list. But actually, even more than WarioWare, it is on both our lists, like the actual game. That's true. AJ loves it. It's very, I think, emblematic of the show in a lot of ways. Yeah. I'm into that. It's interesting. It's an interesting uh, ninth inning shakeup. I don't watch baseball, but I, that's a thing people <laughs> say, right? Um, I think we can actually count out. I think we like 
we we talked through advanced wars and advanced tour as options. I think we can let those go past us. Obviously, big deal for both of us individually, but for the show, I think we can let that go. Yeah, I think WarioWare or Mario and Luigi is is a interesting topic. Yeah, um, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Here's going back to what you said about <laughs> yeah. Uh, just let's just skate right by that. <laughs> going back to what you said about what is the unique experience. Even though they did remake Mario and Luigi for the 3DS, this is a very like tragically short-lived series, um, mm-hmm. and you really do want the GBA presentation for Mario and Luigi. So this is like the place to play this game. Even yeah. though Inside Story is also great, from what I hear. Yeah, I I threw that idea out thinking that we were gonna turn back uh at at the cliff's edge but maybe we jump man maybe we jump maybe it's mario plus luigi superstar saga that works for me i mean it's also another game that i think doesn't get enough attention weirdly yeah. like warrior like even though it has it's been a while like it's definitely a known series yeah i wouldn't mind giving a little bit of a pedestal to mario and luigi i'm just writing it down seeing how it looks you know it also symbolically is us trying to work together on a list i think there's a lot of <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, pushing each other out of view on the main menu. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really good about both, but I'm, I'm like leaning towards Mario and Luigi for that spot, to be honest. It's funny to say, but like, it is goofy that again, these are all technically like first party Nintendo games. Like I know again, Minish Cap is a Capcom game, but it's very, very silly that it's like, we got Pokemon, we got Zelda, we got Earthbound. Okay. We got uh, Metroid and we got Mario and Luigi, but I, th- I think this is a good list. I feel good about this list. I do too. I think I'm, it's great. I'm looking at it. It's kind of hard to beat. I'm looking at the other stuff in both of our lists and like, I don't really know what I would put in there. Um, Joel Dozer? Maybe Joel Dozer. I did love that game, but I know yeah. it's not up for consideration. <laughs> yeah. Your your experience with Joel Dozer was my experience with Gunstar Heroes. Like Exactly. Yes, you, exactly you and I, right. You and I were going to have one of those. Yeah. Um, wow. Is that it then? So let's read it through. A five to one or one to five? Hey, we can go five to one. Uh, okay. Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga at number five. Number four, Metroid Fusion. Number three, Mother 3. Number two, The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. And number one, Pokemon Emerald version. I love that. And that's great. Wow. It's so funny to have played as many Game Boy Advance games as we have and come down with that being the list. It's like it, it feels safe to look at and say out loud but is weirdly kind of a hot take list, I think. I, I think so. I mean, I think there's like, there it doesn't seem to be, a lot of lists I looked at, you know, they were, they were more inclusive of the ports and like Golden Sun was obviously much higher. And yeah. like, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the lists, I think were more like historic. Um, and these are just like the ones we enjoyed the most, but I think there's also a lot of like landmarks there. I mean, they're also all kind of weird, like Mario <laughs> and Luigi. Yeah. Very weird take on, uh, the main IP of Nintendo yeah. Metroid fusion is like the horror spin of, of Metroid mother three. Need I say more <laughs> Minish cap is like the weird third party version of Zelda. And then Pokemon Emerald is like summer edition. Let's yeah. fight two teams at once, man. Oh, interview me. And then I'll watch that report later on the TV with my loud dread. <laughs> I think, I think the wow. only like on the nose pick is Pokemon, but I think it's an honest one. You know? Yeah, that that was the big thing about my list specifically was I spent a long time trying to convince myself that Pokemon wasn't the number one. Um, and then at a certain point, it was like, why, why am I fighting against the tide in this situation? You know? <laughs> yeah, I can um, fight my dad in the gym and he uses normal <laughs> Pokemon and his name is Norman. What else yeah, do you want? He's essentially just Jerry Seinfeld. 
Yeah. <laughs> Norman Normcore. I will say to you about Gen 3 real quick now that it's gotten the honorary title of the ITA GBA number one spot. Um, <laughs> I think the gym battles are really cool. And like mm-hmm. the, the AI is using tactics that I haven't seen really in any other Pokemon game. Say like more. It, it feels like, you know, because I feel like every other Pokemon game, even black and white, which is like, you know, the the like hardcore one in quotes. Every other game is like there's a gym with an element and you like, you know, you get the opposite element and you'll win. Even Sword and Shield, which had like a very heavy focus on that. Like mm-hmm. there's some, you know, oh, caught you off guard with my bug and fire type. Ha <laughs> Gigantamax. But like, <laughs> for example, Norman, your dad, like he's using like very like meta strategies with like using move. Like uh, he has a... um uh, who does Zigzagoon evolve into? Uh, the ferret. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was, I was, I, I was going to say ferret. Lanoon. Lanoon, yeah. Lanoon. He's a Lanoon that uses Belly Drum, which maxes out its attack stat. So like, if you're not careful, that can just sweep your entire party. <laughs> I use Swagger, and then it, it, its attack was so high that when it attacked itself after being confused, it just knocked the rest it of the itself. Yeah. Wild. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff like that that I think makes Pokemon more interesting than just like, I use Surf against the Fire tortoise yeah you know which is like what most people assume it is but like really the the gameplay going back to like it being a good rpg that is the one that has like the best gameplay of a single player campaign right whereas crystal has the best like ambiance of the single player campaign yeah i think you're right yeah um wow we did it that's our top five that's a top five hey uh Wow, Brendan, I want to thank you for doing this alongside me. This is so like this is probably the most I don't want to I don't want to discredit like our whole show, but this is like definitely the most like manual work we've put into an episode, you know, between like the amount of games played, the time yeah. we planned to do it and the amount of time we took to make our lists. Never mind the work AJ has done to edit this cuz at this point Brendan and I have stopped counting how many hours this episode is so like thank you aj you're unparalleled kyle yeah. making the game boys like unreal like this scout with the new art is like yeah. amazing i'm so i'm so happy that that's out because i've been looking at it every day for a long time because it's, it's beautiful really wonderful yeah i'm just like so grateful to have this show with you and like this has been such a cool experience it makes me want to do more like i don't again let us know what you think. Like, if this is a fun way to like start the season, I'd be very open to doing this again with another system, or maybe it's something that's like a little bit less infrequent, uh, less frequent. I don't know, but this is so rewarding to do, and I think it's like so nice to have like a firmer understanding of like a system's library, and also knowing that we like still only scratched the tip of the iceberg in some ways. You yeah. know, like yeah. realistically, you know, we can't play a thousand games. We did a pretty good job checking out the ones that are like conversations and like are known. And made an effort to highlight stuff, you know, like uh, Trigun Heroes and Joel Dozer stuff that's like not really known at all. But uh, was it, did I get the name wrong? Gunstar Superheroes, <laughs> baby. I'm so sorry. Um, Trigun but yeah, Heroes. I just, I just thank you for doing the show with me. I'm, I'm very excited that we have more ahead of us. It's, it's exciting. Yeah, likewise. I, I Look, every season we try and do more stuff, um, which has been 
an interesting experience, I think, for the two of us, because like we started it just wanting to make a show together was really how it began was just like you and I were uh, two pieces of a larger podcast at an old outlet that we both wrote for at one point and just kind of like liked the way we worked together and have always wanted to for years and years and years. Um, and to see it materialize into something with season one and then every season, it kind of like gets bigger in a way that. I want to be very clear, like doesn't feel shitty. Like, like that's, I think yeah. the, the, the biggest thing I want to highlight is that like the, the exorbitant work that you and AJ and I do is like, doesn't feel bad to do. Like it's, it's just rewarding usually. Uh, and that's, that's really cool. You know, that we're growing on our own terms, I think, you know, um, even like, you know, our, our season where we added bonus episodes, a season where we started bringing guests on every once in a while to talk about games. Um, and now this season, like doing Patreon bonus episodes um, alongside all the other stuff we've introduced. Really fucking cool. And and alongside that, there's been this community of listeners that we've kind of carved out. You know, I, I think from season one, we've always said, like, we want to be this kind of like little island floating adjacent to but like not totally part of the larger like video game media atmosphere. And, and like we did that, like it feels, it feels like we've done that. Um, and that's so cool. I mean, like the ability to hang out in the discord all day and talk to a bunch of people who are like really cool and open and fun and kind and honest um, is, is like an extremely rewarding experience. And that's like tangential to the already rewarding experience you and I have making the show. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's really great. And, and doing these big episodes like this that require this work, like, is because of the listener base. You know, it's like, yeah, because we don't feel a pressure to do anything except for what, like, creatively fulfills the two of us. It allows us to do things like this. Um, so, like, shout out to the people who listen for not ever being like, why didn't you talk about this game this week? Yeah. You know, like, like, not once has that ever happened. And that is so fulfilling and and allows us to take big swings like this uh and try weird stuff yeah i totally agree i mean i i feel like i i often kind of dissociate from how much the show has grown and then i like have to remind myself like that we've you know done it and obviously everything continues to grow it's a work in progress and like but you know mention you mentioning the discord and stuff like i just am so grateful to have like those connections and, like be part of a community like not um you know, as much as we try to like not uh, be too present in some ways, like I love the fact that like we are a part of it and not like in some weird like bubble from it, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We can we can interact with people listening to the show without any pretense and just like geek out about stuff. It's great. Yeah. We're not it. standing on the top of the mountain with the Ten Commandments shouting down. <laughs> Which I think Number is like five Mario and Luigi <laughs> superstar saga. No golden sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a shame we lost our entire audience after our golden sun take, but you know, you got to take big swings sometimes. It's wild to be talking to no one for the first time in a long time. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, I, it's, it, look, it's continually rewarding and, uh, continues to grow in ways that I think you and I don't even fully comprehend sometimes. Uh, and that's, that's really wonderful. So thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who supported the show and like shared it with people. Thank you to everybody who, uh, just listens on a week to week basis. Even if you've never interacted with anything except for just downloading and listening to the episodes, like that's amazing. Thank you for yeah. doing that. Absolutely. That, that, that means so much again, like we're blown away that anyone even listens, Never mind, like. Anything on top of that is like, whoa, what's going on? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to say, uh, you mentioned earlier, like, 
the reason we do these big events is because of you and because of the support we've received. I'm like always trying to not sound like PBS at the end of Arthur, but it really is because <laughs> of viewers like you, like truly. Yeah. Especially yeah. now as we move forward with the Patreon, like our plans for that and, you know, finding ways to like support the show financially that like align with our morals and, you know, aren't like, hey, do you, are you tired of being your own boss? Don't you want to go door to door and sell Monsanto stock? But anyway, we love you. Thank you so much. Brendan, I love you. I love doing the show with you. I'm so excited for season four. Season four. Um, I want to I, I want to give an extra big shout out to AJ for editing this episode. Um, holy shit. Yeah, uh, a- this is AJ a long one. Is the is the is the third uh, aetherite or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> that uh-huh. didn't feel good coming out of my mouth, but I don't know. AJ, you're great. Scout, thank you so much for doing the art uh, again. Uh, to all of our guests who have joined us in the previous season uh, and beyond, thank you so much. You'll be hearing more from them over time, but. Uh, we should probably wrap up at this point. Uh, that, that said, if you want to join the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash into the cast. Uh, as we have said every week since people uh, first asked us to make a Patreon, if backing the show in any way negatively impacts your financial situation, do not back the show. Totally cool. But uh, that said, as of this month, if you back the show, you get uh, access to bonus episodes. You can subscribe to uh, the Patreon and get access to those episodes at any time. Um, so like going forward, if you subscribe, you will get access to all of the previous bonus episodes. So they'll just be available there. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we should shout out, uh, into the cast out online is where all of our links are. That's where Twitter is. That's where YouTube and Twitch are. Um, and, uh, also a link to the discord, which you can join and, uh, hang out with a bunch of cool people. Yeah, that's it. We've been talking for so long and then tomorrow we get to do it again. My name is (laughs) Brendan Bigley. (laughs) You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful day, week, month, year, life. Play some Pokemon Emeralds or Mother <laughs> 3 or Mario Drill Luigi Dozer. or Drill Dozer. Vroom. Goodbye. <laughs> AJ, can you just end it on Vroom? <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Vroom, 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 vroom. PWG, the worst garbage, the online.